lot. You listen to Garage Hammer, episode 148. On tonight's episode, the fat manling is joined with his friend Tyler, and together they talk about the balance of power, which the fat manling knows nothing about, because he has no power, and no game, and no talent. He's just pretty much a useless git. I, uh, why do you even listen? I don't know. Why do I listen? I do. Oh, it's time to listen more of this nonsense. Shut it! I'm listening to me show. Welcome to the garage, you tools. For the next several hours, I'm going to be bringing you my love of tabletop wargaming. And... Probably some of my various other fandoms. In fact, not probably not too much of my various other fandoms. Because we got a lot we're covering today. A lot we're covering today. But bringing you several realms, tons of destruction, and all sorts of side talk. I'm Dave Whitek, and with me, as always in the introductory segment here, or as always as of late, is Lindsay, the albino hockey puck. Say hello, Lindsay. Okay, so um, the rest of the show's done. Through the magic of editing and time and space, uh, Tyler has joined me over three lunch breaks and, uh, and an evening to get together and segment by segment put together what proved to be a very long talk about all six sections of the balance of power um and i think you guys are going to enjoy it i'm excited uh and we're gonna get to it really quick but first we need to thank our sponsors uh Lindsay, she's gonna help me here with uh with this stuff she's gonna take my role and i'm gonna say name the sponsors so we're gonna do this right now uh the sponsors of garage hammer as always as you all know as the faithful listeners know our unique gifts and games, Mersha Miniatures, the TC War Room in Traverse City, Michigan, Six Squared Studios, Mantic Games, and Battle Foam, protecting your... Wow, that was pretty good, Lindsay. That was good. That was pretty good. I, I was impressed. All right. All right, so go really quick. Let's kind of get through some stuff here. All right. Um, uh, okay. Don't have time for all of the toolbox and the news and rumors and all that. Uh, lots of stuff has been going on, but also uh, lots of other stuff has been going on, and I'm almost caught as to where uh, and, and what uh, I can do uh, with time constraints. So I'm kind of torn. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going I'm to put up a little, uh, I think I'm going to put up a, a, a poll. Uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going to just, um, on the show thread, uh, on the garage hammer website, um, I'm going to, I'm going to put up the question to you guys. Um, do you want more of this? Uh, we're covering Balance of Power today. Uh, Games Workshop has been kind enough to uh, send me uh, uh, several uh, books recently to review. Uh, we got the uh, All Gates book, and we got the Sylvaneth book to review. Uh, I just, the other day, uh, finally got Bone Splitters. Um, and I know we haven't covered every single book um, that, that has ever come out. Uh, and before we got to All Gates, I thought, you know, I know some people 
listen to the show, and they don't actually play. Um, and although they're not saying, hey, cover something else, they're actually, you know, they've written and said, I listen to keep up with the AOS fluff and to hear what's going on in, at, at Games Workshop and, you know, to see if uh, at what point you know, I may want to come back, um, you know, if the story grabs me. And I didn't want to jump to all gates without covering what goes on here. Um, and so what I want to know is, do you guys want more of this? Like, is this what you guys are liking? And I'd, I'd like to know what you guys think. Um, so I'd like you to jump on. Uh, just the just go, go to the forum and go to the episode thread. And just let me know. Uh, more book coverage, more fluff coverage. Is that what you want? You want the fluff coverage um, and the book coverage? Or 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 you know uh, a little less of it. Uh, what 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 is it that you did you really got you guys really want to hear? Because I've got so much book coverage to cover, and I don't necessarily feel like I need to do it every single episode. But there's just so much coming out. Uh, I mean, it's a deluge coming out. Um, that I mean, I could literally go the next two or three months and just cover books, and uh, you know. Um, you know, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if that's what you guys want. Um, uh, quick recap: um, I have been painting my Stormcast Eternals, and I've got almost half the army done. Not based because I'm still deciding on the basing. Um, I am gonna basically uh, eventually wind up having to probably pop them off the 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 bases they're glued to. I haven't decided if I'm gonna do the multi base thing where I magnetize them. I'm thinking I'm gonna at least magnetize them to these bases, and then if I want to do multiple types I can um, but that's that's right now I just want to get these these ones basically painted um, but they're coming along pretty nice I'm enjoying that I'm liking that um, but wow the FAQs have come out um, you know my tournament is come is going to be this Saturday my second one day event and you know one day events may not be a big deal to people but for me this is something I've never done before it's sold out it's sold out I've got a waiting list I mean that's so cool I mean UGG can only hold like six tables so we got a 12 person one day event um, we got tons of prize support coming in thank you um, to I got I have, I have friends out uh, in uh, in 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 Washington who who sent. Uh, some prize support. I've got UGG is providing you know some prize support from Games Workshop because they're doing that now. Um, this is just it's it's very exciting. It, it's it's a very exciting time here at Garage Hammer. Um, as you can tell, it's kind of early in the morning. I am totally wide awake and full of energy. Um, but I just I kind of want to know what you guys want to do. I may put up a little poll on on Twitter uh, as well if you follow me on Twitter at Garage Hammer. But I'm just I just kind of want to see. What you guys want? Because I enjoyed this. I'm really thinking though at, on the next book because um, as you're going to see, uh, Balance of Power tells three different stories, actually four different stories, but it breaks it up like first half of story number one, first half of story number two, then story number three, then second half of story number one, second half of story number two, story number four, and even though by breaking it up into that order, it keeps certain parts of the story like secret something it's sort of you know i mean it 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 makes for a bit of a i felt it made for a little bit of a disjointed parts of the episode like you know other than telling me where to take a break you know get to the end of the section um it, it made for a bit of disjointedness i'm thinking of just if the next book breaks things up that way 
uh, to just put them in, you know, lump those sections together and then put all of the either the little battle plans or the times of war together in their own section so that you're not doing uh, a story, a time of war, a battle plan, a story, a time of war, a battle plan. Um, Following along with the book, I mean, it works to do it in segments. You know, it makes for easy breaking segments, but it also, I think it, it makes for a weird flow if you're just a listener. But I don't know how you, the listener, uh, feel when you're listening to it. Um, so I'd like your opinion. And um, so if you would go on uh, garagehammer.net slash forum and maybe sign in. Now, if you are not a member of the forum and you have to sign in, please drop me an email, um, garagehammer at live.com, and just be like, hey, Dave, I just signed up for forums. My username is whatever your username is, and I will go in and, and sign you up because we are getting a, a – it, it's crazy the amount of uh, spam. Since the forum, uh, that la- when it got hacked and got messed up, the new forum is just being attacked constantly uh, by people, by spammers. I have to constantly go in and, and stop um, stop people from going in with that with the hacking. So – you know, please, uh, but join us. It, it's great. Um, that's that's basically all I wanted to say about that. Uh, so I guess we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, I'll be here with Tyler. And we are going to cover uh, what, what turns out to be a lot of talking about the uh, balance of power. I think you're really going to enjoy it, though. I mean, I know I sort of set it up for failure here. was saying, oh, it's all disjointed and stuff. But um, Tyler loves the fluff almost as much as I do. In fact, he's read stuff that I haven't gotten a chance to read because I've been doing other things. And um, so we do sort of branch out and bring in other other books and other sources and other things and really sort of try to reference. And, and we get into some really, I think, some fun discussions here. Um, just about where this story's going. Uh, I think that's one of the most exciting things is as as you read this story, you know, the people who talk about how there's not enough story or not enough background in this new world, uh, there there is so much that's starting to fill up in this world. There's so much going on. There is so much happening. Um, and it's it's just it's it's getting really exciting. I'm I'm loving it. Um and this is from books that, uh, and this is from books that, uh, you know, that, that I bought myself, you know, um, that I bought myself and read, and I'm just, I'm having a really great time with them. Um, th- these stories are are really uh, are are grabbing my attention, and I'm enjoying them a ton. So, um, so enjoy. I will be back in a moment with uh, with Tyler. And and we're going to go. So kick back, grab yourself a beverage, uh, start painting models, doing whatever it is you're doing. Don't paint and drive. If you're driving, uh, don't be painting and driving. Um, and uh, hopefully next week um, we'll do something a little shorter and we'll have time for all the regular segments as well because there is a lot of cool stuff that's coming out, a lot of cool stuff that I wanted to talk about that are just not having time right now to devote time to even giving a short segment to simply because we devoted a lot of time to The Balance of Power. It's a pretty cool book. It's got some pretty cool stuff. I think you'll enjoy it.
Without waiting for the warriors behind him, Arngard charged. With a swipe of his great axe, the Grimrath Berserker lopped the steel tips off the wall of spears that were thrust out to greet him. Using the massive weapon's momentum to spin himself around, Arngard's next swing clove through shields and limbs, sending a wave of splintered wood and blood upwards. As he hacked through the press of foes before him, Arngard caught a glimpse of a ragged wound in reality that lit the rear of the cavern with its emerald glow. Then he was plowing deeper into the sea of swarming ratmen, the fiery killing fury taking over. The runes embedded in his skin glowed, the burning fueling his white-hot battle wrath. Enemy blades stabbed his bare torso, spiked clubs bludgeoned his hardened flesh. Although several blows drew blood, most glanced aside as power flowed through him. The great axe tore scything holes through the foe, and in the close press of combat, Arngard used his elbows to smash skulls and the rock-like heels of his feet to crush the fallen that tried to rise. The Grimrath could hear those following in his wake, hoarse exultations to Grimnir in the wet sound of axes cleaving skulls. But more and more, the trance of battle overcame his senses. While he spun, parried, and mowed through enemy ranks, Arngard's mind was aflame. The cavern and its endless sea of foes seemed to melt away at the edges, and he was no longer simply Arngard. The spirit that bonded to him fueled his body with strength beyond what even his thickly corded muscles should allow. As his axe cut down three clan rats in a single sweep, Arngard knew he was not alone. He was every grim wrath that ever was. He was the fire of destruction that would end all, and he was Grimnir himself, fighting the great battle at the end of realms. Doom was all around him, but he heeded it not. Lifting up his voice in praise of the god spirit that made flames lick behind each axe swing, Arngard was surrounded. He had sliced a path too far ahead. None of that mattered. In that moment, the Grimrath Berserker was unstoppable. Okay, and I'm back, and it is time to talk about the balance of power. I know it's been a long time, but we're going to run through some of the fluff and the stories here. So today I am joined with none other than Tomb King Lover, um, a great uh, army list uh, sharer and um, Adepticon um, scenario wrecker, Tyler Mangle. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I knew you were going to throw that in there somewhere. I had to. It's my yeah. job. Tyler, yeah. thanks for coming on the show. For those of you who don't know Tyler, if you're on Twitter, you can follow him at Mangle Miniatures. Um, he is a heck of a painter, and he uh, he loves his fluff. So yep. I thought it might be fun to have him on today, um, especially since I mentioned him so many times since Adepticon teasing him about that, that, that game. So... Um, but Tyler, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself before we get jumping into this here? All right, let's see. Uh, well, I, I run Mengel Miniatures it's a website. You should go check it out. Um, I have uh, weekly posts up there. I basically just like to cover everything from you know uh, what I'm painting to what other people are painting, painting tutorials if I can, 
reviews, fluff reviews, book reviews, uh, basically anything anything that I want, mostly Age of Sigmar related, some 40k stuff thrown in there too occasionally. Um, I've been in the hobby for 17 years now, I think. Started back in 2000, when I was like 11 or 10 years old. Uh, and uh, loving AOS so far. Nice. Hey, have you seen this little Prisma app that everybody's posting up stuff with? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just got that yesterday, too. Man, I was having fun playing around with that thing. Yeah, I spent about two hours on it the first time I downloaded it. <laughs> I spent more like 15 minutes, but that's, uh, yeah, that's all sorts of neat stuff. I was, I, was, I was talking about it earlier in the show, and I just was wondering if you had, had a chance to look at it. Yeah. Because it's pretty cool. I had a lot of fun with it. But... That is not the point of this here conversation, and we are on a time limit. Folks, this is going to be recorded over a series of days. Tyler has been nice enough to give me his lunch break where we get to record from his car from the remote McDonald's parking lot or something like that. So um, while we're doing this here, um, if you hear any car honking or anything like that, or, or you hear a sudden squealing and, and then, the, and then the, 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 the recording shuts off, um, well, we'll just pray for Tyler. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> So, okay, the second book in the uh, Realmgate Wars, Balance of Power. Um, yep. Now, is this, is this, this is after Quest for Galmaraz, right? Yeah, right yeah. after Quest. So Sigmar's got his, 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 uh, his, his mighty war hammer back. Uh, it gives you a little recap in the beginning, the great little you know, bunches of pictures and sort of recapping the story thus far. Um, you know, the fight for Galmaraz. Um, and then you're basically getting a story that stretches primarily over three different stories in three different realms. Um, you've got the first one taking place in the, in the realm of life, which I, we covered a bit of actually most of this story we covered quickly when we did this Sylvaneth review, because there's a very short version of it in the, in the Sylvaneth book fluff. Yeah. It's pretty, pretty important actually to where the Sylvaneth end up. Yeah. This, the, the detail in here is really, is really pretty good. Uh, and then it jumps over to, um, to the realm of fire and you get some some great uh, fire slayer on Skaven, on blood corn bloodbound action going on there. And then it also jump over to uh, to uh, the realm of death, and we'll we'll hang out with Neferata and Nagash for a while. So lots of lots of stuff going on here. Um, they split this up. You get each section, and then it's it's basically sections and uh, and then battle plans for each little war story. But they give you like the first half of each story up to some battle plans. Then they cut to the other realms, and then they come back to give you the second half of each story. And then they wind up at the. Is it the very end? They wind up in the realm of metal. Yeah, it's just kind of. It's not. Uh, well, it's kind of related to the fire story. But yeah, it's thrown in at the end. Yeah, yeah. It's, it kind of messes around because Scarbrand winds up getting tossed all over the universe in this, and so. Yeah. <laughs> Oops. That that'll happen. Um, yeah, that that'll happen when 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 the slans show up and start messing around. But let's jump into the story. Um, and like I said, we start in the realm of life with uh, Rotterdamerung is the is the first part of this one. Okay, this jumps in, and like I said, if you listened to the Sylvaneth review, a lot of this is going to sort of be rehash. 
but this is about 500 years into the the war for the realm of life between Alariel's forces and Nurgle. Um, and this is basically picks up right after Alariel was found, which you know it happened in the, in the earlier books. Um, Torglug is still hunting her. He's the corrupted um, chaos, uh, you know, chaos uh, lord who used to be uh, a tree lord, right? Uh, he used to be a tree lord. He just used to be some type of mortal champion uh, in, in Gairan. Oh, he's a mortal champion. Okay. I, yeah. I see. Even, I, even I'm starting to get confused with all the storylines running here. That's what happens when you give me 15 storylines in a year. Um, so Alariel burns off most of the last of her power, wiping out those great unclean ones who were there. She breaks free Lady of the Vines and, and, and with the remaining Stormcast Eternals. Um, now, I like this as they're running. Like, she... Alariel burns out most of her power getting them out of there. Yeah. Yeah, and she's already kind of mopey and morose and upset, and she burns off all her power, and she's just sort of going along sort of, you know, almost mindlessly, just sort of heading forward, like just... And it's very upsetting to the Lady of the Vines, and it says that she starts this keening song that uh you know sort of that she sustains through this entire march this song she starts singing and i remember the first time i read this i didn't put any of it together because i hadn't seen the sylvaneth book where they all sing these war songs it's sort of this music that goes through them um so i didn't know what this was but now i'm thinking that this is either some sort of a battle song or some sort of call to the other um inhabitants of the realm of life to let them know where she is and what they're doing to get the you know they got a call for help almost to the rest yeah. of them, and and she keeps it up as she's going, almost like a like a beacon, like her, like she she's her own little, you know, she's the G, she's the marker on the GPS. Yeah, I kind of figured it's um since she's in her war state in the Sylvaneth book, and in this one she's in her like winter right. state. I guess this is kind of the the wintry version of their their battle song. Right, and I just figured she saw how bad off Illyrial was. She kind of knew. I thought maybe she kind of knew it was coming off. So you get this sort of keening wail, this sort of sad song going off, you know, calling them all to her. Uh, but they're basically on the run, and then uh, this is where Illyrial transforms into a soul pod. She turns into a big glowing ball of light, and the Lady of the Vines grabs it, and it turns into this glowing soul pod. Um, and now they don't even have Illyrial to back them up anymore because she's she, she's in seed form. Which, unfortunately, um, you know, if, if you play any video game, something still in seed form usually doesn't do you any good until it grows. Nope. Um, so then, um, and to upset people and pull a completely uh, current current reference, um, she hasn't walked her three her five kilometers with it in an incubator, so this Pokemon is not going <laughs> to open. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so, get the Pokemon going there. <laughs> yeah. So... I'm kind of enjoying this, and even though I already know it from reading the Sylvaneth book now, or if you haven't read this and you've heard the Sylvaneth review, if you know this, there is a lot more detail in this. You know, uh, you got Loras Grimm, who had taken over because of um, what's his name? Who was the guy? Garda. That, yeah, because Gardas. Yeah, because Gardas got sucked back. I mean, well, he got sucked into Nurgle's realm, ran through Nurgle's realm, got out of Nurgle's realm, then was about to get eaten and sucked back into the realm by the Great Unclean One. When Grimm kills him, so that he won't have to go back to Nurgle's realm, but can yeah. be reformed. So, so you know, Grimm doesn't know what to do. Like they're on the run. Alariel is now a seed. 
And he's like, I, I've got to protect this thing. That's my job. Um, and so he just follows the Lady of the Vines. And they're, where are we heading? We're heading towards the Sea of Serpents. And so they've like, there they are, just heading northeast toward the sea. Um, and he's got his, he's got his, you know, his flying guys out there. And they're like, dude, there, there's no end to this sea that we can. There's no way to get across this. Like, we're at a dead end. Um, Nurgle forces are forming a horseshoe around him. Around him, and this is when the the Jot the Jotenberg shows up. Oh yeah, that Jotenberg is awesome, isn't he? Though Harrison yeah. and I talked about it for just a little bit. This is a guy who basically gets one page in all of these books. Probably the most interesting character. Like th- this is the guy I want to know more about out of like everything they've shown us so far. Like, I have to imagine that there's there's more than just the one. It sounds to me kind of like there's, I don't know, several, and maybe this is the last one left. Yeah, I hope he wasn't the last of them. There had to be several. I mean, there, he can't be the only thing that brings winter. They've got to be all over the realm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, let me. Re- I want to read this part because it's really just crazy. Because um, the Lady of the Vines is calling out to this, and she feels this thing here. And it says, this was the Jotenberg, one of the living winters, a mountain that walked. So first of all, you have a walking mountain. I mean, just right there, it's like, oh, wow, okay. It strode across the Jade Kingdoms, bringing with it an abrupt end to the growing season. It was a rare sight, for the Jotenbergs were few in number and slumbered for centuries in the northern Rhymelands, where it was said ice itself was born. So you know there's multiples of them here just because of this. This Jotenberg, however, was infected, brought low by some insidious plague of Nurgle's devising. The glacial ice that forms among its ragged peaks pulsed with black energy. Its far-spanning stride was uneven, and even as the encircled foes neared the shore, it tumbled, it stumbled and fell. The sudden settling of the mountain caused the ground to form waves like ripples upon the water. Since the first sunrise over Garin, such a thing had never before happened, but a Jotenberg was dying. So there was multiples of them, and none of them have ever died. So there has to be some left. But this yeah, one, true. you know, he falls, and he keeps trying to keep going, and he falls into the water. He's causing earthquakes. Um, and it says, although colossal in size and imbued with the power to rival the gods, these creatures were peaceful. To them, the task of bringing winter was everything, and they cared nothing for the affairs of mortals or immortals. Yet something of the Lady of the Vine Song carried a distant echo from forgotten age, and the massive rock beast remembered his mother, if but dimly. And so it goes out into the sea, and it falls down, and because it, 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 it brings winter, it creates ice. So it falls, and it freezes over pretty much the entire ocean. Yeah, I, I really liked, uh, especially when I first got this book, and I was flipping through it, and I saw all the, the ice scenes in it yeah i really like that we're seeing that these realms aren't so mono uh like they're not just one weather pattern basically like uh the realm of life isn't just all forest there's ice and there's snow and there's water and well, this makes them a little bit more interesting to me yeah the realm of life does go through all four seasons uh the realm of fire doesn't i haven't seen that as much there uh, was um well, I don't know about seasons, but I know in the the Warstorm novel, right? The the first story in it about Vandis, uh, they're going through some mountains that have snow on them and oh, there's forests, right. and so it. it that's right. I a, forgot about that. Yeah, it's a little bit more. I mean, it's all still kind of 
Well, I suppose it can't volcanic. all be lava, and it can't all be all lava and cracked earth. Otherwise, like who could live there? But you yeah. Know. So, yeah, you're right. It there, it it uh, it's got the variety that that it needs. But this is just like I'm like with this Jotenberg thing. I'm like, wait a minute. It's the thing that brings winter, which makes sense. You know, you know the the snow in the mountains in the spring. The snow melts and brings the water down, and I mean it. It's pretty much a natural thing. And if you said what thing in nature would actually bring winter, that would make sense that it would be it. I just the fact that they're the mountains themselves are sentient when I've you know, as, especially as a dwarf player, I've gone through how long just thinking of mountains as the place where as as the place where uh where dwarfs live and mine. You know what I'm saying? They cut holes in it, they cut them open. There's nothing here that's sentient. So to be in this realm where everything is sentient and the mountains themselves are moving around, that's just about the coolest thing. I just, I really like it. And I hate to harp on it because I know it's sort of a, 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 it might be a bit lame of a thing to really like. Oh, I like that mountain. But uh, <laughs> it just struck me as I wish I could know more about that. Yeah, um, I wondered like what it looks like if it's really just a, a giant mountain that's somehow moving, or if it's more kind of like the uh, the tree lords, and that it looks more like a person but rocky. But if it's a, if it's a full on mountain size, like you know, I yeah. just you know I just don't want it to look like something from Adventure Time, like a giant mountain <laughs> with two little skinny legs under it and two arms sticking out the side. <laughs> um, but. Yeah, I just yeah, this big moving mountain. I think it would be even scarier if you couldn't see the actual features on it as much. If it's it said big uneven strides, if it just seemed to sort of move, and with that the width of it and the and the and the height of it that you don't necessarily can't tell exactly how it's moving. It just is. Um, I love they, they are clever enough to point out that these things sleep for centuries and don't care about the 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 doings of mortals or immortals. So, so, in other words, don't expect to see these things again or too often. Um, but it's just a fascinating idea that they can even move around like this. So, but I suppose we ought to move along. Um, the sea freezes over, and so they can run. And of course, there's an ice bridges because not everything freezes solid. Because when he falls, he causes the waves in the water, which freeze up, and some of them crack and break. So you've got gaps and this. Otherwise, if it's just one solid sheet of ice, the story gets kind of boring, and it's just a it's just a chase. Who can yeah, run the fastest? That was really cool too. And I don't know if you have you read uh, Wardens of the Evergreen yet, the novel? No, I have not been able to. I'm tr- I'm still I'm trying desperately to catch up with everything over the summer here. Well, that it's they. I mean, it goes into a lot more detail on this specific story, and it describes it's not just like uh, uh, cracks in the ice; it's like entire valleys and hills and almost many mountains and it's kind of uh it's a lot more claustrophobic the way it's described in the novel oh so it's the valleys and hills of ice so it's not just way well it's just a mountain just fell into the ocean so it's causing like almost tidal wave size waves yep with all the ripples and all the after effects of that and that's what froze up oh, that's that's even oh that's kind of crazy so it's basically created a whole new terrain area for them that they have to move through yeah, it's uh, a lot more interesting than, like what you said, this, a solid sheet of ice. Because that would have been lame, wouldn't it? Oh, look, it froze the the lake over solid. Let's run, you know? Yeah. Um, okay, so now, of course, you know, there's the ice bridge 
in this one section. It's the the main way across. Otherwise, you got to go way off to the to the to the north and south because they're heading sort of east at this point. Um, so you have to go way north and south to get around these big open areas, or you got to cross the ice bridge. And so, of course, they get over and they're like, "We got to destroy the ice bridge," which, of course, they do. Um, so. <laughs> I love this part. Uh, you know, the Stormcaster calling down lightning. The Tree Lords are just digging their, their roots into the ice and ripping up the ice, and they take down the ice bridge. And the only reason this is really worth mentioning, because there's, there's a lot of things. As, as much as I enjoy the story, I think my one criticism is that some of these battles get a little repetitive. Yeah, I agree with that. Um uh, you I think, know. actually, out of all the stories in this book, this one's probably my favorite. But I don't know if it's because I've seen it so many times now in uh, the novel and in the Sylvaneth book and how important it is to the story. Oh, the, the, the overall arcing story is great, but the individual little battles are just sort of like, I mean, you're going to see this. You're going to see Break the Ice, Slow Them Down, like at least four times. In in this in this one story, you know what I'm saying, and it's just and I and I, I you can't fault them for this, but by the same token, you've got it's it's like okay, I get it. Uh, in fact, this particular first breaking of the first bridge is only worth mentioning because what is it? Slogoth, Maggot Fang, and the other plague sorcerers start to feel Nurgle's touch because he's like, oh no, you're they're not getting away that easy, and slow this this uh, Maggot Fang and all of his other plague sorcerers start to feel their bellies rolling and riling, and they all start to vomit, and they start to vomit like apparently it's like a vomit fire hose of vomit, and they just start to spray it out in one big pile, which instantly freezes when it hits this ice. Because of the Jotenberg. So then they just start piling it up and piling it up, and they create a vomit bridge <laughs> that they cross uh, on. I'm like, oh, that's so nasty. Yeah, it's pretty perfect. It's, uh, I think that pretty much is Age of Sigmar personified right there, as far as Nurgle goes anyway. Yeah. So they can literally have a bridge of vomit to walk over. <laughs> yeah. And the, the fact that, like, you know, a dozen or so of these these guys just had, a, you know, blessed by Nurgle with enough puke that they can make a vomit bridge that an army can cross. Yeah. And then you get the Stormcast and the Dryads keeps trying to slow them down, um, you know, as they get across this bridge. But finally, the Stormcast realized that this is a distraction. That they, you know, they stayed behind to form a rear guard to keep these guys back, but as they're fighting them, they realize this can't be the full army, and they realize then, oh my gosh, we're not holding them back; they're holding us back. Which this, this I kind of like. They realize, hey, we're the ones being held back, so they can split up our forces, and the other guys are like doing an end around around this battle. And now Alariel's got less defenders because we're sitting here, so we got to get going. Um, and then on page 26, you get one mention of this. And I just, I, I love this because I was just like, are you kidding me? Um, so Torglug wants to get Alario. He's the one that wants to get Alario. Like he wants this prize more than anyone. He wants to prove that he doesn't care anything anymore about the realm of life, that he's Nurgle's servant. So Leaving a horde of beastmen to batter the stormcast, Torgalik and the bulk of his armies bypassed the shield wall. It's like, oh, really? <laughs> so, 
Here we need some fodder. There's no beastmen mentioned like anywhere in this book, except hey, right here. Up. When it's like, well, we need to throw a lot of bodies at this, and <laughs> and, and I feel bad for the beastmen because they are they are totally now the if you just need a ton of bodies and you don't have the skaven around, throw some beastmen at it. We need a bunch of bad guys to die. Exactly. And that's exactly what happened. It's the only mention I think they get, like, in the whole first half of this book is right here. Oh, there was some beast men. And so we said, here, you go here and fight these guys while we all run around and do the actual real, you know, important job. I was like, oh, man, poor beast men. <laughs> so uh, let's see what else happens. Okay, Torglug chases them through the snow. They got to keep dropping troops in the rear to fight skirmishes and all this. Eventually, they get caught up to them. Uh, and then they try to cut open the ice again, but they're too close to the Jotunberg now. Like the Jotunberg had like marched out into the sea. Not he didn't just fall over on the beach, you know. <laughs> so actually, as they're running east, they got closer to him, and the ice is now too thick, so they can't really cut open the ice. So now the good guys are like taking a beating. Uh, and the Lady of the Vines is completely desperate, and she's got no backup. There's no one else to help. So she starts her song again, and she starts singing this song, and it wakes up the Jotunberg, which apparently has is not is only mostly dead, um, not quite dead. And so uh, he basically shifts and moves and tries to get up to help, and and he can't. But all that shifting and moving, you know, he's in the water. So all that ice is frozen up right against him. So as he shifts and moves, he sends cracks and breaks and ripples all through the ice. Um, and so it, all the Nurgle guys, and especially the horde of dragon ogre Shoggoths, who are the biggest and heaviest and are coming right at him, they all just fall right through the ice. Flimplomp. Um which I just I liked I liked that one. I liked this part of the story. I liked that they had no chance. Like there's just so much coming at them and they're just running and you get all these cool little Deus Ex Machina's happening here. This one I like like I said, I like the Jotenberg. So when he like does one last turn and shift and trying to stand up in death and fails and falls back down, it's still enough to save the day. I mean, this thing is so destructive in its movement. That it saves the day. I don't know what you thought about it, but I like I said, I really like this part. No, I thought, yeah, I like that they brought him back, and it wasn't just the one-time thing, and now it's frozen, and then they forgot about it. So, yeah, the fact that they're they're still utilizing him in the story and acknowledging that he's there, kind of, it makes me wonder though how many of the Sylvanoth died in that same uh, that same thing. Oh, there had it, to be a bunch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's not, I mean, unless their vines could have caught onto some of that ice, you know, or the, the they could have burrowed into the ice with their roots a bit. There's got to be, there's got to be a whole lot of death happening. Oh, excuse me. Okay, so this is the end of the, actually this section here. The Jotenberg saves the day. Um, you do get a cool scenario here. Uh, none of the scenarios in here are really balanced. Uh, they're fun, though. Um, at least some of them. This one seems kind of fun. Uh, sudden death, and basically, if you picture a realm of battleboard, you've got the six, the six pieces of board. Um, your job as the as the as the well, if you play it as the Sylvaneth force or the good force or the force that's running, 
Your job is to smash the ice in the center and escape. The enemies is to end turn four with less than two sections destroyed. Okay. Um, otherwise, follow the victory rules from the AOS rule sheet. This is the first time I can remember them saying, otherwise, follow the rules on the AOS rule sheet as a victory condition. Like 90% of the time, they're like, they have all sorts of conditions. They say, ignore the four page rule set uh, for victory. But yeah, they say, just go with it. It's usually more interesting when they ignore the. The victory conditions completely. Exactly, which is why I was surprised they did it. But this one's really simple. Um, anyone interested, it's basically every turn you roll some dice, and one of the six sections gets earthquakey, and then you roll to see how many points of damage it takes. Once it hits a certain point, it becomes like dangerous terrain. If you remember dangerous terrain from the old book, basically if you're running or charging across it, roll a dice and you may die just charging across it. Um, once you hit a certain number of points of damage to the ter- to the tile, it's destroyed. And if you can't fly or cast a certain magic spell that lets you sort of you know move over the ice, um, you die if you're on it at the end of the turn. Um, the one cool thing is the forces of good are actually allowed to try to break the ice, and you can attack the actual ground itself, but it's got like a two-up save. And it doesn't really want, and you're like minus one to your hit or to, you know, and you can't rend. It's just like, no, it's, you know, you're hitting the ground. Good luck with that. Yeah, I don't see that helping very often. Yeah, it's not minus one to hit, it's minus one to wound. But basically, it's kind of a neat scenario. If you can break the two middle sections and separate your army from theirs, you win. And if you can't, if you only get one done within four turns, then you lose. Otherwise... You know, if you've got basically, if you get two sections destroyed before the end of turn four, and it's not the two middle sections, because it could be the other sections, um, you got to play it out. You know, you got to play it out uh, till till somebody's wiped out. Basically, it's I mean, it's fun, but uh, it's totally it's it's not it's not something you you could like you know you could con- I don't think you could convert it for a tournament. Do you? No, no, yeah, this is definitely more of a narrative narrative play, uh, not match play game. Yeah. Um, after that, you get a time of war for the Jotenberg Vortex. Uh, basically, at the start of the hero phase, you roll and random weather occurrences happen, and they could mess up your army. And you each roll for it. So even the Sylvaneth are not immune to the weather of the Jotenberg, um, which is nice. So it's not like, oh, shooting armies can't see. It's like, oh, no, if you roll for units, and that unit is just you know, having trouble because of what's going on. Um, the other interesting thing about the time of war thing, and once again, I don't want to delve deep into these. I just want to point out some of the neat things. If you have anything neat that you think about in these, Tyler, point them out. Um, basically, every single wizard... Uh, in this, if you're playing this particular time of war rules, knows four extra spells, which are you know Tower of Ice, Frost Spirit, Freeze, Ice Beast. It's all it's all ice magic. Um, but just to get four extra spells for everybody, just oh, this is interesting, opens up the game a little bit. Yeah, I really like that, and it'd be really cool too for if you're playing like ogres or something, and you want to theme your game up in like the mountains or. You know, with some Yetis or something. Yeah. That'd be really cool. Oh, yeah, that would totally be, yeah. Especially since, well, I don't think they have the rules that they're immune to ice magic anymore. I think they totally dropped that. Yeah. But it would it would have finally come in handy after 10 <laughs> years or 15 years or whatever. 
Uh, so um, we get past this scenario, and we got a little bit more with Alario before we hit the break. We got one more, uh, one more bit of run, and then a quick scenario, and we're back with Torglug again. Uh, and he finally catches up to them, and he is so tired of chasing them. Like, he gets up to them, and he's just like, well, I should set up my army and form ranks and do all this stuff. And he's like, no, get him. <laughs> like, he's just tired of running. He's like, I, I, I'm not, I don't want, he, he is so anxious to get this prize. Um, it's actually that that sort of impatience that it, uh, turns out to benefit, I think, the Sylvaneth. Yeah, I got to say, too, on this page, that picture of Torglug about to chop into that uh, tree lord is pretty awesome. Yeah. Oh, that, yeah. Yeah, with the, you know what, this picture now, um, because he, you know, he's, and the picture of him, basically, if you have that, that, that Lord of Nurgle or that champion of Nurgle, the, the big fat guy with the little tiny helmet head and the big guts that are sort of spilling open. But this one with Torgal, he's like naked. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I think they just made his gut so big that it's uh, covering everything up. You can kind of see the chainmail between his legs a but, little bit. It's like a loincloth, and oh, he's got like he's got like boots on. Like you can yeah. see the armored the armored you know boots, but like there's not there's not much armor on the rest of his body. He's got the helmet. He's got like one shoulder pad, but if you look at the rest of it, it's like he's just out there, like just like. In the open, just going after him, you know. Um, it's just he looks a little different than the, the typical one, and I'm glad that they changed him up a little bit because obviously that one model has been used for a lot of things lately. Yeah. You know, the character models, oh, this is the Lord of Nurgle, and they all sort of look like this. That one, because you can get a, a, like a Lord of, uh, of, of Corn or something like that from Chaos, and they all have very, you know, kind of generic looks, and anyone can kind of look like that. They're all just wearing armor. But the Nurgle one is so specific. Yeah, like he is so unique that if ever so, all of them are fat with little solid helmet heads with their guts open. Like that, it's you know, for them to change it up at least in the artwork, I appreciated. Yeah, I'd love to see a conversion. Someone, if anyone out there can manage to make their model look like this picture too with that pose, that'd be pretty awesome. No, oh, that would be fantastic. Um, so let's see. Um. They're trying to crack the ice again. Uh, this is kind of the Liberators. You know, uh, Grim has the Liberators form a shield wall because they're just they're, they're so outnumbered. The Hallowed Knights actually get in front of the shield wall and start smashing the ice. And this this I thought was cool. Do you remember this part? Th- talk about some guys. We who are about to die salute you. Talk about some some old old school Roman warriors going out here. Was this the uh, the Retributors? Yeah, where they're out there and they're smashing the ice in front of the line of liberators with yep. the hammers. If they smash the ice in time, they're going to drop all these Nurgle enemies, but they're in the like they're smashing it like at their own feet. Like if they don't smash it in time, Nurgle's going to come and wipe through this and Alario they're going to lose. If these retributors break the ice in time, they're going to die. Cuz they're going into the ice with Nurgle. There's like no way around this where they're smashing if this breaks, they're going down too. Yeah, and you know, a lot of people think that you know, because they're Eternals and they just come back to life, it's not as big of a deal. But I mean, they're still dying. Right. <laughs> it's not just like uh, hit a reset button, they come back. I mean, especially this, it's not like they die instantly. They would 
slowly freeze to death as they drown inside their armor. Yeah, and suffocate, and so it's it's not it's not pleasant. And no. plus, as we've already learned, every time they come back, they come back a little weirder. Yeah. You know, it's almost like a copy of a copy of a copy. They come back a little quite not as clear and clean as the first one. So there's definitely that, you know, there's that, um, it, you know, it's not like when chaos demons and stuff get killed and they go back and they're, they just get reformed the exact same thing as they were, you know. Um, yeah, no, I f- eventually, if, I feel like if a storm cast gets uh, killed enough times, they would just kind of be like blank. Yeah. There's nothing there. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the scary part. And they're starting to realize it too, I think. So there's even uh in one of the newer audio dramas, there's a Astral Templar character in it who right. is known for having died and been reforged more than any other Stormcast so far. Okay. And the way he's portrayed is yeah, he's just emotionless he has he has uh he's stoic and he he still knows what he's doing but he like never really talks and he's not really all there anymore see yeah that's 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 kind of creepy that's kind of scary yeah uh, and you know there's already people rumoring that you're gonna see you know storm chaos eternals if if they get too too many repeats or too many you know things that they're going to be easy to corrupt or something like that, I don't necessarily buy it and I don't want to see it because we've already got chaos warriors that could fit that bill. But uh, it's something bad is going to happen. I have a feeling that something bad is going to happen to some of these guys who get yeah. re- re- redone too many times. But uh, either way, chaos is in a bottleneck. You know they got these long ice bridges with no room to maneuver. They're just running in and killing at this point. It's an ice bridge. There's no room for fancy footwork, fancy, you know, you're just hacking and slashing and trying not to fall down on the ice and die. Um, the one part I like about this is, uh, as we get towards this end here is that Grimm is like, he just has to hold out as long as he can. And talk about, you know, only the faithful. It's like Grimm is just like, okay, I got sent here by Sigmar to get, get Alarial or protect Alarial, and that's what I'm going to do. And this seems pointless, and we're outnumbered, and things are bad, but Sigmar's got a plan, and my job isn't to question this. My job is to just do my absolute best to see that plan as far as it can go. And he doesn't even, he's like, he is so, he is so faithful in, you know, he is so, you know, he just, he trusts Sigmar so much that he's like, I don't care that I'm outnumbered. I don't care that any of this is happening. I'm just going to do – all I can do is my best, and I'm going to do my best as as far as I can. And I loved the way they described that in the book. Yeah, and I got to say, Grimm started off for me uh, in the first few books as being kind of a boring character. But after this whole storyline, he's he's definitely one of my favorite characters out there, I feel like. It's pretty – pretty awesome yeah well he was kind of sullen in the in the first book when he first showed up and he always was like that second in command uh and he was happy to be the second in command and now it's like you have no choice you have to step up and his his being forced to step up has made a much more interesting character out of him because he's not you know it's like he's got his doubts in himself but not in sigmar or the plan which is uh, makes makes for some uh, makes for an interesting character uh, so let's see. Torglug's all like, I can't let Alariel get away. So he builds a bridge of bodies across the gaps, like like the beasts of Nurgle and stuff. Just clinging to the ice and then clinging to each other. Surprised it wasn't Beastmen. 
<laughs> well, they would just fall in the water, and the water's too deep. If he had enough beast men to just fill up like a body bridge, you know, like 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 that stupid scene from World War Z where they just make like a bo- a wall yeah. of zombies, he would have done it. I bet you he would have. Isn't that what they're there for? Basically, at, at this point, they are. I'm hoping to see something where they get a little better than what they're getting. Uh, let's see. Grim fights him, and Grim loses uh, loses his hand. His hand gets chopped off. He's getting whomped on, and then he wakes up, and suddenly the new storm host arrives. The lightning hits. What? What's all the lightning and the flashing? Sigmar ex machina. And the faithful are rewarded, and the Knights Excelsior arrive, and their leader challenges Torglug. And he's like, oh, your time's over. And Torglug's like, not yet it ain't. And that's pretty much where this one, where this half of the story ends. Yeah, I really like Torglug. I feel like uh, you see more of him too in the novels, but he's smart and like actually a good general. Yeah, which I feel like most of the time with chaos stuff, they're just you know throw stuff at someone until they die. But he actually kind of knows what he's doing. Yeah, and well, we've been seeing a lot of this. Just I mean, and it's nothing against Corn, but for the last for the first better portion of the first part of the year where we've had this game, it's just been blood for the blood god. True, and here you're seeing a guy who knows the realm, knows the people, kind of hates them, and knows their tactics, and he's 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 planning around what he knows they will do. Um, you do get one more uh, one more scenario in here. Basically, you start off on the west side of the board, and if you can get your artifact to the east end of the board, major victory. Um, if and you, basically, you have to pick a unit in your army and mark it down ahead of time. They have the artifact. That's the unit that's got to get to the end of the board. Um, you're, you're, the enemy that's pursuing you doesn't know who has it, so he just has to kind of kill everybody, but once he kills off the unit that has the artifact, he's got the major victory. It's a simple scenario. It's sort of like, you know, button, button, who's got the button, but once you can get through that, it's, you know, this one you can actually sort of play, uh, play with and have fun with, as long as you don't have, like, some cheaty, teleporty, just jump people across the board type thing. Um, yeah. Or you're not playing a, a you know a, a, an army on you know with huge movement against a very slow army. This one, as long as their movement is similar, this could be a good a good scenario. Yeah, all these scenarios kind of require you to uh, think about what you're doing beforehand and decide that you don't want to be that guy. Um, oh yeah. And in some of the newer ones, and some of the like the Iron Jaws battle tome and stuff, it has even like little kind of the hints and tips thing at the end basically says, you know, you could win this scenario very easily if you did X, Y, and Z, but let's try and have fun and don't do that. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I like that they point out, you know, it's like the, the, the accidental, uh, uh, be, you know, accidentally being a jerk. It's like, listen, we, we you know, and that's funny because you, you, that's one of the biggest complaints is people said, you know, I don't, I don't want to come and do something and bring this to the table and my opponent has no fun. We heard that a lot back last August and last September when the game first started to get into, into full swing. Um, people complaining that they didn't know what to bring and they were often messing things up. And here you get them saying, listen, this is how you can mess it up. So avoid this, you know. This is what you want to concentrate on if you want to have it be a fun game. And I like that they put that in there. Yeah, it's a little sad that they have to put it in there, but I guess there's, well, you know, people yeah. out there who would want to 
but not necessarily either because I mean there's times when you're just kind of picking a list and you're taking some things you like and you don't True. necessarily you know you kind of look over the scenario and maybe you don't realize oh wait that you know I mean I I've looked at scenarios and not realized oh if if I do this in fact uh like I, Alex Gonzalez is going to be on in the next episode or two and we played out one of these scenarios and I did offer to play it again afterwards because I didn't totally overdo it but basically I just had stuff with so much better movement than him that he really didn't have a chance to win yeah, it's kind of like taking a unit of flying chariots who can run really far oh. and uh, <laughs> and then having the your opponent turn on. <laughs> well, you know, it also helps when your opponent completely screws up and rolls and puts the objective. It's a random roll and it happens to go exactly right where you can reach it. <laughs> exactly. If you roll this number right on turn one. But that's another story. Listen, folks, um, we're going to finish this up. We're going to come back with the uh, we're going to come back in action. How do you pronounce it? Is actually. Uh, that's how I've been pronouncing it. Okay. Actually. Okay. So yeah. we're coming back with some some awesome awesome fire slayers in the realm of fire and all of their their anger. And uh, we'll be back at that in just a few moments. Right, folks, Chaos Orc Superstore, your one-stop shop for all your hobby gaming needs. They've not only got current and classic GW releases, Chess X Dice, and Vallejo Paints, but now they're also carrying Mantic, Infinity, Flames of War, Privateer Press, Soda Pop, Dark Age, and other assorted board and miniature-based games. They usually ship within 24 hours, and the model in the picture is the model they ship to you, because at Chaos Orc Superstore, what you see is what you get. Chaos Orc Superstore. Are you finally looking to start your rebasing project? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some new and interesting resin terrain? Six Squared Studios. Are you looking for some fancy acrylic counters to keep track of wounds or maybe some other statistical anomalies? Six Squared Studios. Maybe you need a new rack for your paint? Six Squared Studios. Well then look no further. What you need is Six Squared Studios. They ship worldwide with domestic shipping for both the U.S. and Canada. Six Squared Studios. That's right, Six Squared Studios. That's the number six, squaredstudios.ca. When your gaming needs go beyond your basic dice, tape measure, models, and paints, think Six Squared Studios. Six Squared Studios. Now all your base are belong from them. And we're back. Yes, we are. And we're in the realm of Akshi. They came from below. Um, I liked this one um, partially for the story and partially for the insight that you got into the Fire Slayers. Um, I thought you got even a little more insight into bits of this, just the culture, than you got from the actual Fire Slayer book. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd agree with that. Uh, the Fireside book wasn't. I'm not saying it was bad. I'm just saying there was just a there was a few snippets in here that I thought were great. 
Um, this is taking place in Vostarg, which is one of the most, you know, one of the strongest parts. In fact, I got this little answer. The Vostarg Lodge is among the eldest and most powerful of all the Fire Slayer Lodges of Akshi. Although they had weathered many dangers of the Age of Chaos, their ancient stronghold of Furious Peak was at last breached from below, heralding the beginning of a new age. So they've got Furious This place is kind of reminds me, it's like, it's, it, it's, this is almost like Karaz Eight Peaks, you know? Or, or you know, the, one of the one of their big, you know, one of their great, great realms, and uh, basically the Skaven just say, "Well, we can't get in, so we're just going to go under it," which is a typical Skaven move. Um, and this this really upsets the Fire Slayers. Oh boy, talk about waking a sleeping giant, which you know, no pun intended, since they're dwarves. Um, <laughs> Wow, did that really upset them. <laughs> so basically, you know, you're reading this thing, and it talks about the Vostok has, has held against, like, every attack from Chaos. Nobody has breached this place. No matter what Chaos has thrown at it, they have been able to hold this place. And all of a sudden, they're down there, and down in the deep in the magma vaults, which if you remember from the Fire Slayer book, they've got their buried dead there with their gold. That's where they do all this work. So this is like the, the you know, the, it's near the heart of the mountain, near their magma temples, which holds you know, that, that essence of the fire of, 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 of uh, Grimnir. And uh, this is what the Skaven have tunneled into. And so all the Fire Slayers, including the Rune Father, start rushing down there to go fight. And once they lure just about everybody in in the in the mountain, in the whole place, down into this place, then they unleash the actual attack where they come in with the secondary attack a few levels higher at their actual target once they've dragged everybody downstairs. Um, there's all this fighting and death, uh, but basically this is where um, you get the Rune Father... Um, he realizes what's going on. He rushes at Bale Grimnir. Bale Grimnir runs back up there. And they basically wind up smashing all the Skaven and closing all the all the portals. But it's this distraction where they were not as well defended up there, which allows them not only to steal, they stole a bunch of Urgold, but they grabbed his kid. And I think that, that they grabbed his first son. And so talk about Skaven making all sorts of, you know, just just really just doing everything in their power to completely upset the uh the uh the fire slayers. I do like that we got to see the classic Skaven versus Dwarden uh, yeah. match up here. Well, yeah, and it's that's still that battle. No one can break into my mountain. Well, we don't need to. We're just gonna tunnel under it. It's like it's the same plan they've been doing it now for thousands of years over two different worlds um i like the information about the lodge though the lodge's history is really cool here the lodge had a proud history and was led by a long and glorious lineage it was the only lodge to retain the name of the original vostarks and its leader bale grimnir was descended in direct line from zalfor grimnir the father of victories who first founded vostark Zalfor learned the craft of war from Grimnir before his cataclysmic battle with Volcatrix, for at the dawn of the Age of Myth, the god themselves had walked among the Dwarden, guiding their children. So, Bale's great, 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 great grandfather literally fought with Grimnir. 
that's how far back they, they take this line. So this is an old and noble house. Um, and they basically said, now he's, he's, he's like, we have to take an inventory. We have to know what they took so we know what we have to get back. Um, and they introduced this inter- this fire slayer. Uh, what's his name? Arngard and Berserker, the Grimwrath Berserker. <laughs> he, he's he reminds me a little bit of Gotrek. <laughs> um, but he's this Grimwrath Berserker, and he's just like, nope, not waiting. Like just disobeys and goes after the Skaven immediately. He's not waiting. He goes with a group of Auric Hearthguard with him, and they are just chopping through the Skaven. Um, what I thought was interesting, and did you notice this? They go down in the tunnels after the Skaven. They close the tunnels behind them. They said, because it was the first job was to seal the tunnels so that the Skaven couldn't go through. They've got a tunnel there. They go through, and as they're going through, like they start going around the corners of these tunnels, and there's just basically Skaven like warp fire teams waiting for them with different warp fire weapons. And as they run through and they, these weapons are opened up on them, they run right through it unscathed, like most of them. Like some of them are hurt, but apparently, you know, they're so, you know, with their runes, you know, hammered into their flesh and stuff like that, like they are protected from this warp stuff. Uh, I mean, I guess it's a type of fire. I, I, I guess so. And, I, I mean, you know, maybe, I mean, dwarves are always resistant to magic. Right, True. and yeah. so maybe it's this warp fire between the fire and the magic part of it. They, it's like, or maybe they're just that wrapped up in this battle, like they're that heated. You know what I'm saying? Because it's like they're they they still have a bit of that slayer quality to them. Or the angrier they get, the tougher they get. Because these rooms are even protecting them from these warp fire weapons. Um, yeah, I can I can just imagine some uh, some of these slayers running through the tunnels with their beards on fire still. Hacking down Skaven. Oh yeah, or at least just smoking. Just, I mean, I could literally, literally. I mean, it talks about when they start to, when they start to really get into the heat of battle, how smoke comes off of them, and they do seem to almost catch on fire. Their blades start to glow and stuff. I could totally see this happening. And those poor Skaven. Not that I like the Skaven at all, but man, you know, these guys are just got to be squirting the musk of fear when they see these guys come running right through the warp fire unscathed, just smoking a little bit, and coming right through them. Um, and then of course the battle starts to get huge. Okay, they're running through and they're fighting. They're fighting. They get into this hall and they see that when they finally see how large the Skaven Warren is that has been under their mountain, they're shocked. They're like, "No way!" Like we had no idea how much tunneling these guys have actually done. So they're in there and they're fighting. What's there with the Skaven? Uh, a vermin lord shows up. Of course, a vermin lord shows up because you got to up the ante, right? Uh, and then Bale Grimnir shows up. He comes through the rock. The man, they, they're so busy fighting, they don't notice that one of the walls is getting hot and turning orange. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the wall melts away, and up comes Bale Grimnir through the rock on his magma dragon. Um, and what's interesting in this part is they're not even there. Like they're there to do a job, and they're not. They don't really want to fight. Um, as soon as the tide starts to turn against him, the vermin lord grabs his, you know, the, the the rune son that they kidnapped. The other people he's kidnapped. He grabs the gold, and the vermin lord runs there with whoever's nearest to him, and they go right through one of those, um, what are they called? The, uh, the uh, gnaw holes. holes. Yeah. And then they close it behind him. Boom. And 
the Skaven who was in charge of all of this that was promised everything from the Vermin Lords, like, oh no. I Typical totally Skaven. Played. Yep. I mean, it's. <laughs> It's, a, it's it's the same Skaven story we've heard before. And, of course, they all just get slaughtered by Ar- Arngard and the Auric Guard. Um, and as they slaughter all these guys, then the Stormcast Eternals, like lightning flashes and the Stormcast Eternals show up. And that's where you get to this battle report. Uh, or not, not battle report, one of these uh, scenarios. Um, th- this, one's a, uh, it's, this one's pretty simple, too, and I'm not going to even go into this one too long. It's basically one of your models is getting ritual sacrificed, and they can take a wound off of it every turn, basically. Uh, and if you don't save it before it's dead, they win. If you save it by killing the general and all of his priests so they can't do the ritual, then you win. Um, what I thought was really worth worth looking at here, though, uh, is on pages 52 and 53 of the book. The whole That weird picture of all the rat heads that are, make up oh, yeah. the doll holes. And they're basically like, nobody quite knows how the Skaven do this. Like, this is the best part. Even the Chaos Lords don't know how Skaven do this. It's like, everybody needs the Realm Gates to jump through the worlds. Even the Chaos guys need the Realm Gates to get into the realms. And uh, Skaven don't. They're not very powerful, and they're weak, and they're cowardly. But they can literally just chew into the ground of one realm and pop out in another realm. It's Seriously. It's like a Bugs yeah. Bunny cartoon. Like they pop up, look around, like I think I took a wrong turn at Albuquerque. <laughs> yeah, I, I like that they kept that. So the Skaven still have their, you know, uh, <laughs> the same kind of feel they had in the old world, yeah. where they're popping up from underground. But it makes sense within the realms because it's not just one realm they're in. I remember, I remember talking about that with from with with friends. How do they get? You know, how does this work? It's like, well. <laughs> They they came up with an answer. They can just jump between the realms. It's 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 part of their their you know it's the horned rat's magic basically. That's yeah. his ability as a chaos god, which I think is a great thing because when you think about it, we all know what the other four chaos gods can do, and the horned rat just kind of seems kind of really not all that awesome compared to the other four chaos gods. You know? No. Yeah, he's kind of the the runt of the litter. Exactly, but now it's like now you start to see what I mean. Okay, I may not be blood all blood for the blood god, and I may not be able to twist the hands of fate, and I may not be able to rot everything around me, but I can just chew through. In, I can chew through reality. How's that work for you? Like it's like that's actually a pretty cool and awesome power for him to have for his minions, and it it actually makes them. It makes the other chaos gods want to work with them because they can actually do something that nobody else can do. So, oh, they do have a time of war in here, I think. Yeah, they do. The underground catacombs. Um, it's a cool one to look at. Uh, gives you a lot of little ways if you want to play underground stuff. Uh, in playing in tunnel tunnel warfare and stuff like that, they've got a few things that you can throw in there. And it's got uh, off fire stuff too. Oh yeah. The Fire Slayers realm. The Fire Slayers get a command ability. There's we have white hot weapons, massive firestorms, lava, calling forth lava seraphs. Not exactly magic because they don't do magic as usual with the dwarfs, but something that's still going to be interesting for you. Yeah, I played a, a game with one of the Times of War for the first time the other week. Oh, which one did and, you play? And uh, the the Brimstone Peninsula one. Oh, okay. And right away. Before the game even begins, one of those like blood geysers or whatever. Oh no! 
erupts and kills one of my retributors and takes a bunch of wounds off of a bunch of my guys. Oh. First thing. It was fun, though. I liked it. You know, it's random, but it's it's one of those things where you could actually build a campaign around one of these times of war. Yeah. And that's one of the things I think is interesting is if you can find one that you and your friends all sort of find interesting and that isn't completely lopsided one way or the other, it could be a really fun one. Like, we're going to see the death one is really lopsided if you play death. If nobody's playing death in the death realm, it's it could be a totally fun time of war. But if one army is a death army, basically almost none of the bad things affect them. So, but let's jump into this next half of this story because this is where I like it. The Stormcast Eternals dropped down, and then we get the story. And now, now they look around, and it's like this isn't a, this doesn't look anything like a Dwarden Great Hall. Like it's it's a big hall, but boy does it look shoddy. Like this looks crappy. I thought Dwarden did were craftsmen. Um, because they didn't pop into the Great Hall, they got sent to where the Dwarden were, and they were all down in the Skaven, the Underwarren. Um, Arngard is still in a rage and apparently dude, now I know that they talk about these guys getting caught up in these, these sort of like blood rage, not, not a bloodlust like corn, but in the, you know, into that fighting rage where Grimnir sort of kind of his spirit possesses them. And here you finally see it. Um, if you remember, I don't know if you remember this far, Tyler, but they talk about Arngard shouting war cries in a language unspoken since Grimnir walked the lands. Like, the Stormcast don't even know what he's saying. Like, I don't recognize that language. Yeah, it's really cool. It's yeah. possessed by the spirit of Grimnir. Yeah, and he's not slowing down. Like, these things showed up, and he looked, and he goes, you don't look like Dwarden, and he goes after them. And, like, they're trying to parlay with these guys, and they're trying to, to you know... Uh, and and the Stormcast are obviously not looking for a fight. Uh, it's not until uh, that Rune Father screams out a command to halt, and it stops everyone and sort of breaks that fugue state that's over Arngard. Um, and uh, but I do love this part. He tells him to stop, and he looks at him, and he knows chaos. He knows the scent of chaos. He knows the feel of chaos. He knows this isn't it. He doesn't know what they are, but he knows they're not chaos. And he felt duty bound to at least hear them out before slaying them. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before I kill you, I can at least hear you out. Uh, so basically, he comes down. He says, "Sigmar sends us. We need your help." Okay, and this is the 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 leader, uh, Lord Celestin Sargassus. So he shows up. He goes, "Sigmar sent us. We need your help." And they're all looking at him. And Bale Grimnir is looking at him like, "Yeah," and like there's like they recognize the names and they don't care. They're just giving him the stink eye. And then like his. <laughs> One of his, uh, one of his, you know, the his seconds come basically out. They pull out this giant chest, but we brought you gold, and it's like, oh, why didn't you say that in the first place? And now they're talking. Oh, that's all that matters. It was just crazy. We need your help. Yeah, we brought gold. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so they agree to lead them uh, to the blood. Keep. Now they they they're not here about this game. They want to go to this blood keep. Um, because that's what they've got to take. That's what they've got to do. The Fire Slayers not only agree to take them to the Blood Keep, but they know secret ways to tunnel them under the walls. Sort of like this game, the Magma Droths can tunnel right through the rock. So they're going to tunnel under the walls because this is eight concentric walls wrapped around the main keep. Blood Keep has never fallen. Its troops who have marched out to battle have never returned defeated. 
So this is the this is you know corn has corn has basically claimed the realm of fire for himself. He's like this is mine. He went in there and set up shop, and this is his main fortress in the entire realm. Um, and again, you get this weird thing with the with the fire slayers. The, okay, they hired us, so we'll take you there, and we'll even help you get underneath the walls so that you can get in there. Um, but they're looking at the going. There's 300 stormcast here, and they're going to fight a force that has defeated besieging forces of millions. So they know they can't siege the tower. Or siege the the, the the keep. So they're going to help him go underneath. Uh, I, neither force of these, neither the Stormcast Eternals nor the Fire Slayers seem to know or care who the other is or what they're doing or why they're doing it. Like, like the Stormcast show up and they're just not, they're, there's no questions about, hey, was is everything okay here? Like, it looks like a big battle went on. No questions. Like, they've got a job to do and they've hired the Fire Slayers. The Fire Slayers are giving up nothing, not asking anything, don't care. They're just the client. At this point, everyone's just um, basically using each other for what they need. Exactly. Which, I mean, I like with the way the Fire Slayers are described as being mercenaries. I'm glad they stuck with that in the story. Yeah. No, it works well. It's pretty good. Um, there is an interesting part here where as they're marching out, they're marching for days and they're about to, or for a day or so, and they're about to get out of sight of, of the Vostarg. And I guess they have a tradition that one that they they stop and they take a drink at the very last site of their of their of their hold as they're leaving. So they sit there and they say, uh, "The Stormcast were taken under guard of the hall." Blah blah blah. They do all this. Where is it? The part where it's uh, oh here it is. It's in the little fluff section. Um, the Sky Herald sensed that being asked to take part in such a ritual was an honor amongst Duarden. For to them, the drinking of intoxicating liquids was treated as something akin to a sacred rite. That's true. Drinking ale is is it's, it's, there's a lot more to it than just drinking. So Bandus also knew better than to smell the liquor first, and he swigged quickly from the flask. At first, the burning was tolerable. Then the knight Azeros swore he could feel steam coursing through his entire body. <laughs> Magmalt ale, said Vagor, clapping him upon the shoulder and laughing. And not bad. Best quaff I've ever seen from a manling. And they still call them manlings. Of course. Mag malt ale. They make ale from malt and magma. So he's it's like, really? That's fantastic. Best quaff I've ever seen from a manling. So he took a big old swig and they were like impressed. But he feels steam coming out of his body. Like <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry. I this 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 amused me. This amused me maybe more than it should have. <laughs> I just really liked it a lot. Um, then you get a little fire slayer lore here. Um, Bale Grimnir. They talk about uh, since the age of myth, the Rune Fathers of the Vorstarg Law have been entrusted with Hrathling, a latchkey grand axe said to be blessed by Grimnir himself. Wielding that massive axe, Bale had felled Aelguzzer Gargans and swept down ranks of ratmen at a time. He led his people with a fixed purpose, to seek out Urgold by any means necessary. So here you've got even this, you know, this is the a weapon used by Grimnir himself. So you get another one of these, uh, very similar to the, to, the, to the Warhammer that was used by the dwarves that all the dwarf kings held. You know, um... That was, was was the axe, the war axe that was one of Sigmar's, not Sigmar's, uh, the war axe that was one of, uh, you know, 
one of the dwarf gods' axes. Similar, similar tales, similar stories. Um, Didn't uh, Gotrek have one of Grimnir's axes? That he had the second one. Yeah, there were two oh. of them, and Gotrek had one of them, which is why he basically turned into what he was, which was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so you get a little lore here, and I want to jump really through this, and then we're gonna we're gonna uh, take another break. Um, Bale Grimnir apparently is an awesome leader. He personally leads his Stormcast along with a force of Fire Slayers to this thing. He's like, I'm taking you myself. This is a dangerous job. If we're going to do the job right, I'll take you. They travel for days. They're being spied on by Skaven. And what winds up happening here is, like, none of the things along the path are even challenging them. The monsters and the things that live here, they see this force of, of these Fire Slayers along with the Stormcast Eternals, and, like, nothing is stupid enough to challenge them. But the Skaven are following along and following along. So what they do is they start making noise and they they basically lure an entire force of blood uh, of corn bloodbound a war a couple of war bands. You know they basically lead them this way. So the war bands catch a scent or catch a sight of the Skaven and start chasing them. Uh, they don't know exactly what they are, but they're following them. You know, blood for the blood god, and uh, the Skaven basically lead them right into the, the this this group. Um, and once the battle is raging in full force, that's when the Skaven finally unleash, and from the back walls, they start shooting the people with Gisales, poison wind mortars. They send in the storm fiends. Um, the coolest part in this story, in this part, I think, and this is another part where the lore I thought got great, is the red mist happens. I forgot about the red mist. You know the the what is it? Uh, one of the one of the units. You know that that red mist that forms around them. Uh, the uh, the wrathmongers. The wrathmongers. That's it. The wrathmongers are attacking, and the red mist is out there, and they start killing wrathmongers. And literally, um, the Arngard, who's already been proved to be like a, a, a an able killer and a complete psychopath in battle. Arngard gets hit with the red mist, as does uh, the Lord Relicter, um not the Lord Relicter, but the, what's his name? The the guy, the the head of the uh, Sargassus. Yeah, so, the Celestant. Yeah, the Lord Celestant. So they get caught with the red mist and they just, they go berserk as they're supposed to. So the Lord Celestant is killing anyone in his path, including Dwarden. Um, Arngard, the the berserker, is killing Stormcast. In front, I mean, they're just killing anything in front of them, and you're like, "Oh, this is." I, I'm reading this going, "This is going to end badly." There's going to be a to- there's going to be a grudge here. Um, they're going to have to start maybe putting them down in a book or something like that. I don't know. Um, <laughs> and uh, basically, um, Bale Grimnir and the Lord Relictor. They use magma fire and lightning to dissipate the mist and shock them back in the more. So the the, the uh, Grimnir uses his magma draught to just spit out all this magma fire, and it sort of burns the mist out of the air around them and shocks the. And his troops, of course, the fire won't burn them. It'll just it, but it burns off all the mist and shocks him back into place. Uh, Thoros Blackheart, the Lord Relictor, starts calling down lightning. And as it's sort of the lightning, the electricity is dissipating the mist, it actually catches on to the Lord Relictor's axe. And uh, when it hits his axe, it like runs the electricity. Basically, basically, he hits him with lightning and shocks, the, shocks him back to normal. 
And then the two of them look around and realize what has happened to them, and they get, they're get they not happy about that either, and they start to smash things up. I'm glad they brought in some of the like uh, unit rules into the story. It's always kind of nice when they do that, so it's... Well, especially you know. that particular one, because I remember doing the, the Bloodbound Army review and thinking... You know, they talk about how, you know, they've gotten down where they've lost the battle and all they've had left is a unit of these wrathmongers. And they get, as they're getting killed, that red mist gets into their enemy and their enemy winds up wiping itself out. Even after the, the, the bloodbound have lost the battle, it winds up being a draw because these guys get into this, this frenzy and, and, and kill everything. Have you ever had to fight them yet in the game? Only twice. And it's not fun. <laughs> yeah, I uh, playing my friend, and I charged his wrathmongers with all my chariots, wiped out his entire unit, and then my unit killed itself. Yeah, that, yeah, you got to shoot them. Yeah, it's the only thing you could do is just shoot them, take them down before they get near you. Um, and then the last bit before our break is you get this uh, last you get a you get a uh, you get uh, this last battle uh, another battle plan uneasy alliances. This is kind of cool. They have you set up, and you got a four foot by four. You got a four by four middle section of the board where you are running your guys, and then there's a smaller section on either side where you're getting ambushed. Okay, um, the invaders win if you wipe out all the ambushers, and the ambushers win if they wipe out all the invaders. What's the only change? If you are outnumbered by uh, uh, over a third, uh, you know, of your model count by your uh, by your opponent then all you have to do is take out his general the his generals cuz it's uh it's two it, there's two it's you know skaven and bloodbound versus stormcast and fireslayer so you'll have two generals and they have a few rules for how this works so this is kind of like a four player game here um and there's certain rules for how you interact between the two generals and you don't if you can't agree on stuff you have to basically roll off a dice and just do it because you may not always agree, um, but so if it's even, you got to wipe out the entire army. If you're outnumbered, it was like before, like in the old, you know, in the four-page rules, how you could pick. Uh, mm-hmm. Basically, it's kill both of the ambushers' generals, and you and you'll you can still win. Um, but now the winning team, since you've got two players, the interesting thing on this is you have to keep track of how many models you actually kill. Because the major victory goes to the the army that killed the most models. And then the minor victory goes to the other one. Which if you're playing with where you get to roll off on that victory chart, you know, it's the major victory guy who's gonna get the roll. So I always I like these scenarios too that use the uh, unusual table size. Yeah. Makes it a lot more I mean, I there's nothing like this before in forty K or fantasy. So I always, I always really love these ones. Yeah, I love the unusual table size. I love the one in the other book that had the uh, one section of the book was up in the air, so there was that that divide where this section is is the. So you, if you fall off the edge of here, you could die, and you can only get from there up to here. And if you if you if you took a big risk or if you could fly, um, and then basically this dwarf, they, at the end of this battle, they've wiped out all the all the all the corn blood bound. They've the skaven. They've wiped out or they've run away. Uh, now they're not being led by. It's not the fire slayers leading the stormcast through the past. They're walking side by side, like they've been through a battle together. So they both respect each other. They've both seen how they can fight, 
and so now they're now they're like they're there there's there's a there's a kinship there a friendship that's forming uh that wasn't there before when they didn't quite trust each other and they had just hired to do a job they've been through a fight together they both sort of have some respect for each other and so that moves on and this this is this this is where this part of the story ends too classic Dwarden. yep um so quick break and when we come back we're going to enter the realm of the dead and we're going to find out what's happening with nagash um, well, actually, we won't because he doesn't. Po- he just—you don't actually see him. His his spirit pops in at the end. But we're gonna find out what's happened with Neferata when we come back. Hey folks, it's Dave, and I wanted to talk to you for a minute about Battle Foam. You've all heard me talk about it before. The foam is firm, it doesn't separate from the base, they custom cut, design, make any piece of foam you want to fit any model you want. Anytime a new army comes out, within days, you've got Battle Foam cut and designed to fit those models. This isn't a game company making cases on the side. This is a carrying case company making foam and custom carrying cases to protect your army. It's what they do. It's all they do. Check it out at BattleFoam.com. Battle Foam, protecting your army. We are back. All right, Tyler. Well, yep. getting rested? Uh, yeah. <laughs> right. So, okay, folks, quick recap. Um, Alariel is in a soul pod, and she's on the move, thanks to the Lady of the Vines and the Stormcasts. Um, the Fire Slayers are leading the Stormcasts to Corn's uh, Bloodkeep, his big hold on Akshi. Um, and uh, they have become buddies, bonded by combat. Meanwhile, in the land of death, we got all this going on. All right, so we are on to the section called When Cometh Death, the land of Shyish? Yeah, that's how I've been saying it, Shyish. Yeah. <laughs> I wish they'd give us a pronunciation key with the names of these realms. I really yeah. do. No, I mean, I, I, I don't suppose it matters, but I don't like to be saying it wrong either. I think it's funny because back in like eighth edition and stuff, you know, these are the names of all the uh, magic lores, and I never bothered to learn them because they were too hard to pronounce. <laughs> and now I'm, I feel like I've, I've been forced to learn them. Exactly. I agree with you one hundred percent. So, um, I'm, I, you know, I love me some undead, as people know, and uh, Neferata was one of those characters I really enjoyed. So, this particular section I like. Yeah, it's nice to see death get some uh, attention in any of these books because it's really the only time that we see a lot of uh, more than a page or two focused on death in the campaign books. Yeah, that's true. Although they did get like a whole series of like books on or like the audio dramas, didn't they? Yeah, and now they're printing all those actually as one one novel. Oh, thank goodness! Because I just I can't I, I just. 
I can't get around to getting all the CDs and, and getting them together and and. and They're uh, really good though on audio. I really like them. Great acting. Great, uh, like musical musical numbers and sound effects and all of that. Yeah, I do like their audio dramas. I've listened to some of the Garo ones. Um, yeah. And uh, Rotor, Rotor uh, sent me a, a lovely gift of a few of these audio dramas, and I got to hear them. And um, outside of the occasional really bad level check, where also and then Garo came up, and then I was like, "Bro!" <laughs> like, ah, my ears. Um, outside of the occasional battle blowing up in your head, um, they're really fun to listen to. I do enjoy them quite a bit. Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like now I'm putting a little bit of a a conundrum because I own all the audio CDs, but I'm a completionist and the book they're publishing it in isn't one of the, like the side novels. They're making it one of the, the numbered ones. <laughs> so now I don't know what to do because I, I don't need to read it. I already know the whole story, but now if they do a book 10 in the realm gate war series, I'll be missing book nine. Uh, oh, see, uh, you know, I, I've, I've, I've come to the conclusion that I have to break that, in myself, uh, yeah. actually, one of the things I'm doing is, and this is a complete side note is, and if it's not ready at this episode, which it probably won't be, it should be up by next episode, is I'm, I'm doing the Patreon thing. And one of the things I'm doing is if you hit certain levels of, you know, like, you know, you give you give people things when they donate at certain levels. And if you donate at a certain level, uh, you get put in for the, like, you know, when I, when I cover those Black Library books. Because yeah. I, I do mark mine up a little bit only because I'm, you know, I'm taking notes in them for the show and I just, you know, they're mine. I don't care. Um, sometimes I mark them. Sometimes I don't. I'll be honest. Uh, the the soft cover Horace Heresy ones I mark the heck out of, but the hardcover ones sometimes I don't. Um, but if you donate at a certain level, that's what you get entered into the raffle. And when I finish reading the Black Library stuff for coverage, then, you know, people just, I'm raffling them off and giving them to people who help with Patreon. You get something I used on the show because I just don't have room for all these books. And I buy them, and I want them, and I read them. But it's like eventually, it's getting stupid. I mean, I have 7th edition rule books and 6th edition rule books, and I have like the last three editions of rule books for 40K, and I've got all, it's like it's just filling up my yeah, house I've, at this point. And it's like I can't, I got to I gotta do something with all this. Like My wife's looking at me going, what is this do you actually use? I'm like, see this shelf here. I use, you know, and these shelves here, I, you know, I, I wax nostalgic over. That's no good. No boy. Yeah. I'm definitely a big time book collector. I love seeing them on, on the bookshelf. House too small with five of us here for, for me to wax nostalgic. You know, I suppose, and I, I, I did mention that I could hold on to it for another, maybe nine years. If I can hold out for another nine years, they'll all move out. And then I'll have all the room I want. That got me in a world of, of, of not not in my wife's good graces. You know, waiting for the kids to move out so I could have more room for my toys didn't fly at yeah, all. My, my wife gives me a hard time sometimes about uh, me and my books because I'm always getting more. And uh, I, I could never mark up my books because I always like to keep mine in perfect condition. To the point where if like we go on vacation somewhere and I'm taking a book with me and I put it in my suitcase, I wrap it in something soft so that the uh the binding or the pages don't get messed up you know i i i am that way about some books you know like some of the books i buy like my patrick rothfuss books especially the ones i get signed like the my my jim butcher signed ones i put those up on the shelf i'm very nice with them um i'm trying to be nice with these hardcover books 
but I've just gotten to the point where it's like the stuff that I'm buying just because I want to read it once and I'm never going to look at it again, and I know I'm never going to look at it again, really, or I'm using it for the show. Like I'm, I'm almost making myself like either you know, either just, I'm, I'm you know it's because I can't I, I I can't I can't be that way for the rest of my I'm too old to be that that freaked out about things like that. That's where I'm getting to. But I'm an old man. I'm 44, and you're like 28. So, yep. Yeah. See, wait. Give it another 16 years. You'll be like, ah, screw it. I'll tear these pages out when I'm done reading them. No one can read uh, this book again. So we'll, we'll see. I I still go back. I've got Storm of Iron, the 40k novel. Oh yeah. I've got like the first running of it because I bought it when it came out back in like 2000 or whatever. It's all beat up just because how old it is. But I've gone back and read that thing like five times. Probably well, honestly, over the if years, you're going to so. go back and reread them, that's another thing. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. You know, I've kept certain things, but. I've also gotten to the point where it's not, I mean, unless you're really worried it's never going to get printed again. Like I said, with the Horus Heresy, this is my second time, too, reading a lot of these books for, for after Olinor. You know what? I'm, I'm taking a highlighter to it. I'm not taking time to write all the notes out. I'm taking a highlighter to it and marking it right there in a the book so I can just flip through and save a lot of time when I'm going through it. It You know, it's... For now, now it's like I'm doing homework, so I'm marking my book. You know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, I can't care less. So, all right, so let's get going on this. Um, we wasted enough time with me talking about how I'm being mean to my books. I'm probably going to get hate <laughs> mail about this. Um, all right, so you know what I like about this is you know they talk about the land of the dead, and you always sort of picture this just realm of death, like you know, like Beetlejuice World or something like that, where it's just all dead people. But, the, you know, the realm of of death was still a realm, even though it was ruled by death magic. You know, it had there were people living there. Yeah. Like, yeah, it, and then they explore it more, too. And like uh, the audio dramas or I guess that book that will be coming out, you get more of a sense, too, of there's, there's people. Yeah. I, I mean, it, I guess it is sort of the realm version of Sylvania. Yeah. You know, which I mean, for for lack of a better term, you know. Um, well, I feel like uh, I forget which one of the books I read it in, but they kind of describe uh, Shyash has like two levels. There's the, it's basically like the top level and the bottom level. So there's the underworld and the realm itself. So it sounds like the realm itself is kind of where I mean, there's a lot of skeletons and stuff there too, but that's where the, the people live. And then there's the underworld, which is the literal underworld of the, the entire mortal realms, but it's also part of Shyash. So, oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a little confusing. It's you know, like a lot of the realms are. It's hard to kind of uh, grasp how it works because it's so weird. But you kind of got to go with it with these realms. They don't follow any real yeah. laws of physics. Yep. You know, stuff just floats out there, and some stuff. You know, it's not like planets, or it's just you know, this is a big floating continent, and that's all it is, and. It just you gotta you kind of gotta go with it. It's neat though. I like that they're not they're not worrying about all those rules. It's just like no, these it's it. Each of these worlds are a realm, basically made by magic, and so they don't have to follow those other rules. I'm like, okay, I'm going with that. Um, I do like they still talk about how the people who lived there, um, they worshipped Nagash, or else they were hunted out of existence, and then they were and then they and then they served him anyway because. Either way, 
in this realm, you serve Nagash. You either serve him in life and then die and keep serving him, or you refuse to serve him. He kills you. You die and you serve him. I'm like, yep, sounds like Nagash to me. Yep, you can't really get away from him. <laughs> so, uh, I also like how they talk about how much the Chaos Gods hate him. Yeah. It talks about how they are diametrically opposed to him. And I'm wondering, like, they don't really go into much detail about what they mean by that. How they well, are just, you know. They talked about it in the, the End Time series, actually, a lot. Um, it's because, you know, his ideal world, at least, I mean, back then when there was a world, I'm assuming it's the same now, was everything is dead except for him. Even, like, his servants and stuff. Because they talked about it a lot with, like, Manfred and Arkin and all of them. Right. They know that if they continue to further Nagash's plan, that involves them being literally dead and not kind of undead at some point. Because he won't tolerate having any other personalities around him. So that's, that is kind of the exact opposite did it, to chaos. Did, did it, did, see, I never quite got that. I thought he was tolerating the undead as long as they served him. Um, he just eventually everything's going to die, and he's going to he's going to literally control it all. But he wanted that pure order, and I guess that's that's right. They did that was the part that I remember taking from from the end times was that they were literally chaos, where stuff is constantly shifting, changing, anything is possible, and he was complete stagnation and no change and perfect utter order. No, I guess you're right then, because that's right, because that's what uh, that's what Vlad would, would like. That's why Vlad was like refusing to be a part of what he was doing was because yeah, that, he, he understood what the end game would be. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You're right. Ah, and when you're yep. right, you're right. Vlad was the only smart one. Vlad's always been the smart one. Neferata does. Yeah. Neferata knows a lot of what's going on, but she's always trying to play that game. Like she's kind of like, she's like the techless of, 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 the, vampires, of the vampires, the undead. Yeah, it's yeah. like she sees that that really bad stuff is happening, but she's got her fingers in everything, and she's like, you know, if I ha- if I can get if I can if I can have enough pieces on the board, I might be able to shift this my way. Um, I think she understands what would happen, but she's so self-involved that it kind of. I feel like she's the type of person uh, that she would just be like, I'll, I'll worry about it when I need to worry about it. Well, and that shows up in this story, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, whereas Manfred just is in, he's delusional. Yeah, Manfred thinks he can always win. Yeah, well, and you know, at times I wonder if he does think he can win or if he, you know, it's like there's a point where he's just lying to himself, you know? It's like even he knows, like, because he cuts and runs quite often. Like for a guy who says, yeah, I could do anything. It's like he realizes half the time. That's why he gets so angry. That's why he's always mad. Because it's like he's like he's he's sort of like that petulant sort of teenager. It's like I know I can't win, so I'm just going to be sullen. Yeah. Well, I think he realizes when he knows he can't win a battle, but he always still thinks he can win the war. Yeah. He thinks if you know he cuts okay. and runs now, he'll find something, some artifact or whatever that'll give him the upper hand, and he'll be back. He is so delusional with his stuff with Nagash, though. It's so funny how he constantly tries to beat him, but. Uh... I don't know. It just it cracks me up the the whole dynamic between all of them, all of these guys. The only one who really loves him is Archon, and Archon's dead, isn't he? I mean, he's undead, but he's dead, isn't he? He's Archon. He's interesting. Uh, did you read any of the um, like Josh Reynolds uh, novels from yeah. the old world with him, yeah, yeah, yeah. or like the ones, even the End Times novels with him? The End Times stuff, but I didn't read his own his his you know the 
I know he had a solo novel at some point. Yeah, he never he never had a solo novel. He was big oh, no, he part was in, in that... the like Neferata novel. And, oh yeah, the uh, trilogy. They're right. Yeah, he is completely subservient to Nagash, as in like his personality's almost been like burned away. But he's really he realizes that he is uh, pretty much completely tied to Nagash, and he's aware of it, but at the same time, he's unaware of it because of how little of him is left. Kind of. He's, he's a really interesting character actually. He, at but least he's kind of cool with it, isn't he? Cause I remember reading in those stories, he was like a weirdo. He was almost like sort of like when Nagash found him, he was sort of like, or when he was living with Neferata, he was, he was sort of like a cell sword sort of. I mean, I remember his teeth yeah, were rotted like, because he was on the, he was in, uh, he was into, he was into drugs and he was into, he was really mm-hmm. into like this underworld. He was like a gangster sort of yep. thing. In yeah. Her he land. was essentially a gangster. Yeah. And he basically worked his way up to 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 the boss's right hand man, and um, and I mean he does he and he kind of loves him. It seems like it's like he just he's like you know what he's given me everything. Like, I think he did at first, but at this point he he doesn't hate Nagash. He doesn't love Nagash. He just he serves Nagash because he has no other choice, and he knows he has no other choice, and it doesn't really bother him because. He literally has no other his his personality is like seventy five percent Nagash at this point and twenty five percent Archon. That's and just, so he, he kind of he knows that yeah. You know? it, it is it's a very it's a, he's an interesting character because I remember even the few parts even in the end times when you read he literally would just go and he's like up oh, Nagash wouldn't like this or you know it's like he was he, he was it's like you said he was completely. He he never thought about what was best. There's no what's best for me anymore because I think he realizes what's best for him is what's best for the boss. Like you know, yeah. like the boss is what's keeping him alive. He's really a pretty like tragic character too when you actually read about him because he he is a smart guy and he knows to when like uh, Nagash's plan is stupid or this isn't going to work or you know it would make more sense to listen to this and do that, but he doesn't have a choice in the matter. So he can't really do anything, but his internal monologue is always, you know, he knows this. He knows that he shouldn't follow Nagash. He knows that if he keeps doing this at some point, he will be no more because he won't have a purpose for him. And uh, he's also got the whole kind of like tragic love story with Neferata and that he always loved her and she never loved him. And It's interesting. Yeah, that's right. So okay, I guess. Oh boy, we're to- see. This is the thing when you love. I love this. I, I love this whole army. I have. For, I've been playing them for so long. We get sidetracked like this. So I suppose we should get back to this part. All right. So uh, I took Archeon and Zinch to put a wedge between Nagash and Sigmar for chaos to gain the upper hand in this realm. They've been trying and they've been trying, and no matter what they do, they lose because of the basic concept of everything they kill, he brings back. And everything that they bring that dies that isn't a demon that turns back into ectoplasm or whatever and goes back to the chaos realm, that dies, he brings back on his side. They just can't beat it. So he's got to, they put this wedge between him and Sigmar. Now, I was looking on page 97, and they've got this great, like, sort of summation of kind of what happened. And this was basically, this was the stuff that happened... Uh, Correct me if I'm wrong. I'm going to read this and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the stuff that happened that really upset Sigmar. This is like, this is like, I think, uh, this is the stuff that really sort of was where that whole 
um, that whole rift came in. It says, uh, after the war of heaven in the underworlds, Nagash's power was greatly reduced, leaving him easy prey. Realm tunneling Skaven unraveled Shaiish's defenses, and the War of Bones culminated in the destruction of the great stronghold of Nagashazar. Thought slain at the Battle of Black Skies, Nagash instead reformed anew, aided by his Mortarks. Centuries later, when Sigmar opened the heavens and sent forth the Stormcast, the Chaos Gods believed Nagash long defeated. His armies had been trapped by Archaon in the Cages of Bones and were not considered a threat. However, Nagash was growing in power, absorbing the influx of dead from countless ongoing wars. The first step for Nagash in putting the Shattered Kingdoms back in order was to find and reunite his lieutenants, his wayward Mortarks. So, this was all that stuff where he betrayed Sigmar in the first place, right? That was all, that's what happened back then. Yeah, it's like he, uh, he left the gate from Shyesh to the All Points open for Archeon, I think is what it was. And that's how Archeon got into the All Points. Right. So he came in through uh, Shyesh. And that's when Sigmar went after him and was like screaming and chasing him and letting the other fight. They're, like, they're losing the fight and he was ignoring it because he was chasing the gosh around trying to kill him because he was so mad at him. Yeah, there's lots of interesting little hints here and there, though, that it wasn't Nagash who did it. Like, uh, the, there's lots of hints saying that Nagash felt betrayed by Sigmar and a bunch of other stuff. It kind of makes me wonder if it was actually like Manfred or someone more easily uh, manipulated than Nagash. Because what what purpose would Nagash have in you know siding with chaos? Well, that's true. I'm not certain. Yeah, I mean, it could be nothing, but I feel like they've been dropping little hints here and there. It's kind of making you wonder if it really was him who did it. Huh. That's a good question. I mean, you know, it's not a, it's not a bad. I, I have I have no idea. I'm not. You know, I I hadn't heard all the book stuff either. So, but it sounds like something. See, here's the thing. It sounds like something Manfred would do. But for mm-hmm. Manfred to pull it off to make Sigmar think it was all Nagash, and for Nagash to think he was somehow betrayed by Sigmar, and for nobody to have any clue it was him. That's the part where it's like, really? He's never seemed that clever to me. I don't know how clever it would have to be. He would just have to be the one to leave the gate open. Sigmar would uh, think it was Nagash just by, you know, because it's Nagash's realm. And, uh, you know, Sigmar tried to hunt him down whenever he did confront him. I feel like Nagash would be too proud to ever admit that it wasn't him. He would rather say it was him than say that one of his minions you know and, oh maybe that's possible but then because also in the the audio dramas and this book that's coming out manfred is not in nagash's favor he's been uh banned basically from the underworld and nagash like tries to kill him every time he sees him oh so manfred's kind of an outcast right now even the other mortarks oh that would make sense then that would that would yeah well that's kind of cool Yep, he's he's called Manfred the Betrayer to uh, to Sigmar and to Nagash, and Nagash wants him back. Interesting, interesting. All right, well, I know your lunch break is ticking down, and we haven't even t- t- cracked into this because we're doing this, but that's cool. Now I'm going to have to listen to that or read the book. All right, so yeah. let's get to the raising of Nulamia. So Archeon right. has 12 Chaos Commanders, and he told them all to find Neferata's city. Because uh, he wants her, he wants her, he wants that city sacked, and he wants her taken. Now, Lassilian, the Lord of Slanesh, and this is a chaos warrior, Lord of Slanesh. This is like the guy riding, like riding the snake with breasts, monster. You know, 
um, which we haven't seen one of those in a while. And I yeah, like, it's nice to see Slanash actually do something. Yeah, and he was the only one who was able to find it because he could smell out her excesses. Like it's <laughs> it's her excesses and that 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 weird pleasure cult type stuff going on that he is able to just smell that nobody else was able to even notice. So hey, look at that, chalk one up for Slanesh and their weird their weird pleasure cults. Uh, it actually came in useful. Um, but he gets there and he burns the place to the ground. All but the palace is pretty much burning. The whole city is just on fire. Her, the, you know, his his people are ransacked. They've got into the city and he's basically taking a break and taking in all the all of the destruction and the and the and the and the chaos that's happening um, and enjoying that while his uh, people are sort of enjoying sacking the place. Uh, before before calling them together to go back and you know form up and go after the cat the you know the the main castle. And I gotta say too that I like how it's named New Lamia. Yeah, how Neferata always always obsessed with Lamia and how she lost it still can't still can't let it go after you know however many thousands of years now. Yep. And well, they've all got and they've all got those little trappings at home too, right? It's like that's their that was where they came from. Everyone's got their little bits. Um, but her literally naming it that place. uh. So she's sitting in her palace and she's watching the Chaos Warrior Sacker City and, uh, she's getting ready to bail. She calls her general over, uh, what's his name? Um, uh, Hark, Harkdron. Yeah. Lord Harkdron. Lord Harkdron. And she's like, he's like, I'm so sorry. I failed you. They've taken the city. And she kind of expected him to lose the city because apparently he's kind of an idiot. Um, but she's like, yep, got a zombie dragon here for you. Get back in there for when 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 uh, reinforcements show up. And he's like, reinforcements, excellent. And he's going out, and she's like, fool, there ain't no reinforcements coming. She's sending him out there so she could break out the back door um, and leave, which I just think is great. She's like, just, you know, send him out. She's going to take off. Um, and then... Like right when Lassillian has decided it's okay, enough enough burning and pillaging, time to get back to work. He starts to get ready to call them all together and lightning bolts start popping out from all over the skies. Lightning starts raining down, and it's like, oh, we know what that means. Um and so the Stormcaster here, and now he's like now he sees these these golden warriors showing up, these ones he've he's heard about. Oh, these aren't the golden ones. These are the uh, or not. The, oh, that's right. They're the all, anvils of the Heldenhammer. Right, black they're in all black. Yeah, I love this color scheme. By the way, I kind of regret painting mine gold now because I love this like black and gold color scheme so much. It is. It does look very cool. Seeing that, seeing the little paint schemes, and, and it seems like a pretty simple paint job. Yeah, that's the other thing. Be quick to paint because <laughs> um, mine are taking forever. Going along with the guy on the Games Workshop uh, video with the twenty four flipping colors you know to get through and the several layers of each color i was just like oh my goodness yeah i've been um, painting my three prosecutors now for about like two and a half weeks uh, well i'm almost done with my 33 liberators so they've only taken me ages but i had to stop for a while so whatever uh let's see so no he calls all the troops back together the stormcast lord stellison markar is there and he now he's actually coming there to find neferata because uh, he's trying to establish a, a, a diplomatic link, um, get talk to her and maybe get her in to 
to talk to Nagash because talking to Nagash directly doesn't always work. Um, and she's heard rumors of the Stormcast Eternals, but she's not actually seen them either. Now she wants to deal with them. She like she's heard about these guys. She knows about what happened. She's hoping they show up. She wants to make a deal with them. She's thinking this is the leverage she can get. Yeah, she wants to be the the first one before her the other Mortarks or before in the gash. Yeah. She wants to get in there and, and get her little deal in as quickly as possible. Um, and then right before we get into more of the story, they got a nice little p- part here where they show, they talk about N- Nagash and they talk about the little breakdown, his his main lieutenants, and these six little classifications underneath them. Flesh Eaters is one of them. And then you've got what the Death Rattle, the Death Mage, the Dead Walker, the Soul Blight, and the Night Haunt. And they all, those all show up in the in the Death uh the death book yeah the grand alliance book but i'm wondering if any of these other ones are going to get their own book like the flesh eater courts did i feel like soul blight probably definitely will the vampires and at the very least death rattle because i mean it's the skeletons right um beyond that i'm not sure i I, i'm curious to see how many of these little sub factions they actually flesh out in the grand alliance books yeah I mean, it would be cool I, as long as there's enough in there where it can it can create a decent, at least a decent sub faction. Yeah, you know, I don't mind. Um, you know, the Nagash one kind of annoyed me. I got to be honest, not Nagash, the um, Archangel one. Chosen. Yeah, yeah, with him and then his his big his his riders and then the the one other. I was like, oh, that's that's kind of a whole. I mean, I get he gets his own book for the fluff reasons, but I was like, really? Yeah, I, I bought it. Bought it because I found it for a really cheap deal. Yeah. Read it, reviewed it, and then sold it on. Yeah, mine just sitting on the shelf. I, just, I mean, there's no, there's no use for that book once you've it has read some it. Nice artwork though. Yeah, that like opening section. Yeah, I mean that real comic booky art. It's really nice. Yeah. But once you've read it, really, I mean, those it's three, and you can just. Yeah. And, I mean, I would never go to that over going just going to the, the Grand chaos Alliance. book exactly yeah. Grand Alliance. All right, so. Now, so Neferata sees these guys showing up and attacking the Slanesh, the Chaos Armies. So she, instead of leaving, goes in and joins the battle, uh, especially because she wants to talk to these Stormcast. And she's all mad at Harkton because she told Harkton, get rid of these, our, you know, get rid of our enemies. He goes down there. He sees the Stormcast attacking the Chaos but to him, like in his in his not too brightness, in his not too creative generalship, they're not from here. Therefore, they're the enemy. So he has his skeletons and his army attacking Stormcast and and uh, and Chaos alike. Uh, so she's flying in there and she wants to talk to them. She's too far away from him to get him a message. So basically, wherever she is, she's making sure that anything that she takes control over is not attacking Stormcast. Um, I love how they got the one area. Suddenly, this the the demonettes make way for the Slanesh chariots because you know you got to mention the big yeah, the Thresher chariots. Yeah, they come rolling down the place. All this stuff's going on now. Um, and then I, I like that his apparently that snake mount that uh, that demonic mount for Slanesh can just go st- like up vertical walls too. Makes sense. The snake can, uh, you know. Yeah. Apparently, it can stick to walls because it just it, like all, everyone's trying to get there, and he's like, 
oh, I don't have time. Like, I can't break through this with these guys coming for me in the back. So he just goes straight up the wall. And he gets up the wall, and he's about to go after Neferata when um, all of a sudden there's a big flash, and then the Knight Azeros appears. Um, and then he uh, it actually kills the, the demonic mount and, and sends... The guy just falls over the side. Yeah. Just shoves him over the edge. Back dead, back down, you. Yeah, it doesn't say he's dead, though. It's, nope. You know, he, over the side. In Warhammer, you're not dead until you get your head cut off. Basically. And even then, <laughs> you know, if you've got enough power, you can come back. I mean, yep. look at Nagash. He came back. I mean, what was that at the end of the, the Nagash uh, trilogy when the rats, when they burned him with all that warp fire, he had like one piece of ash left and he came back. Yeah. He's special. Um, now, I do like, and I'm, right before we get to this uh, last bit of the story, in fact, let's finish the last bit of the story before we do the little, because uh, it's got this one uh, this one battle plan in here. But basically, um, after the battle plan, uh, one of the things we I forgot to mention is as this as this war is happening, there's like this huge storm comes rolling in. Uh, I, I keep picturing it almost like a like a tornado. Yeah, it's I pictured too like a black tornado with like ghosts coming out of it or whatever. Right, this huge tempest of a storm and it's rolling through and it's just destroying all this stuff. Ghosts are flying through it, like you said. All it is crashing through stuff. And as it gets closer and closer, Neferata realizes that that kind of magic that kind of power to sustain that much magic for that long is only coming from one place. The boss has ignored her for quite a while, but not now. Now her city is getting sacked. She's The battle's not going well. Um, so he's coming in. Then when the Stormcast finally arrive, now it's like all this stuff is going on. Um she sees this thing getting closer and closer to her and building power, not losing power. And unlike Manfred, she just realizes, you know what? All right. The 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 <laughs> I got nothing. Like she's got nothing. So she just submits. She just bows a knee and allows and apparently Nagash just takes her over. Yeah. Well, I think at first she thought maybe it was one of the other Mortarks, but then she realized it was too uh too powerful for them. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that with that much, it was getting more and more powerful, rushing through, not slowing down, getting bigger as it came through. She's like, "Oh no, that's it's the boss." So she bows down and completely submits, and he actually takes over her her her. He like possesses her uh, just for the moment because now before he possesses her, this is when the night the night uh, zeros comes down and he says something about I came from Sigmar and blah blah blah. blah. What does he say? I don't think it's this specifically. He's just yeah, he's there for an alliance. Yeah, uh, greetings, Lady Neferata. I am Hold Knight Azeros from the Anvils of Heldenhammer. I hail from the Rome Celestial, and I come seeking alliances as were of old. And uh, after that, you know, the the storm comes rushing up. She kneels down, um, and then she stands up, and she's talking in, in Nagash's voice. And he's like, uh, you want to repeat that to me? And he's like, yep. And he repeats it, and then it actually this section ends with Nagash contemplating what his answer is going to be, which I kind of like that. That's a, that's a nice place to leave it. They showed up. They, listen, 
we come back, it's time to make a deal. We have big plans happening, and we actually want to bring you back in on this, which this just seems like one of those moves where you're just like, really? Are you sure you want to bring him in on this? Like, you know? Yeah. I mean, I know they they need him. Uh, Yeah, they need him. You know, but I was just like, oh, my goodness. So that's where that stops. Now, we do have a uh, two last little things. Um, the uh, the battle plan is uh, it's a simple one. Um, if you're the invader, you got to kill the general by the end of turn six. If you're the defender, you only start with half your army. Um, but then there's a portal, a summoning portal in the middle of the board. You start on the narrow edges. You got to race to the middle of the board, and if you can get to the middle of the board, you can summon up half of your reserves on one turn and the second half on the next turn. So, like, you're only starting off with half your forces. You have to run out to the middle of the board, which is a risk because it's your general that has to do it to summon up the rest of the army, and then you can summon up the rest of the army over the next two turns once you get there. Um, it, this sounds like an interesting scenario to me. Yeah, it could be fun. So uh, the, trying to get to the middle of the board is definitely risky, especially since all the invader has to do is kill your general. Oh, that's the thing. They just have to kill the general to win. It's, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, having your general have to run to the middle of the board and you're only at half power. And just and getting to the middle of the board doesn't guarantee you win. It just guarantees that you have to stay there for two turns after that to summon up the rest of your army to give you a chance to live, you know, for the next, well, if you get there by turn two, and if you can, I don't know if you can summon on the same turn or not, I don't remember. So it's either by turn two and three or by turn three and four, and you got to live till the end of turn six. And you got to, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, you've still got, there's still a way to go that you, after you've summoned up the rest of your army to defend you. So this could be, I think this one looks like a lot of fun. This is one I definitely want to play. I think it would be really hard for the defender, especially since it says at the beginning, if one of the armies outnumbers the other, that army should be the invader. So to even put in the defender more of a uh, handicap there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I mean, I, I suppose if you take a character, now this is supposed to be like, I mean, if you have a, if you have a, a powerful character, a Neferata-esque character, or someone who at least got a little more than a basic hero, um, it, it might it might work out a little more to your favor. Um, yeah, just got to make sure that the invader doesn't plop down three hell cannons or something. <laughs> well, once again, got to <laughs> have that. You know. Yeah. I mean, you could your your enemy could be stormcast, and they could bring the banner and just drop a huge unit right at the summoning section, and be like, "Okay, come get it now." You know, and then yeah. you can't even get to it. I mean, because you don't have to summon the other half of the army; you just have to not die for six turns, but. Just go hide in the corner. Yeah, I mean, if you can, you know. So, I mean, it all depends on how you want to play it out. But, I mean, I suppose there's a way to win it cheesy. But it looks like, it sounds like a fun game if you play it the way the story sort of runs it out. Yeah. Um, let's see, what's the last thing? Is there any last stuff? Oh, the... Uh, the time of War. Yeah. This is the one that's not fair. <laughs> not even close. Well, maybe this is what gives the defender a, uh, a winning chance in that last scenario. Oh, yeah, probably. Because this one, um, 
let's see, the following rules apply to Ophidian archways in addition to the normal rules. Um, if you're within three inches of an archway, you can reroll unsuccessful casting and unbinding rolls for death wizards. Uh, at the start of an enemy movement phase, roll a dice for each enemy that's within six inches of any Ophidian archway. If you roll a six, you're engulfed in shadow. You're not allowed to move or attack in the shooting phase of that turn. In addition, subtract one from any hit rolls made for or against the unit in the combat phase that turn. Death units can never be engulfed in shadow. So it's, it's hard, actually harder to hit them, too. So there's a little bonus. They can't shoot or move during that phase, um, but during the shooting phase. Uh, and it's minus one for them to hit or to be hit. And then what else is there? Um, Spirits of the world that was. Yeah. What does that one do? Um, in your hero phase, pick an enemy unit and roll two dice. If the total you roll is greater than the enemy unit's bravery, uh, bravery it becomes unsettled by the ghost and one is subtracted from any hit. Casting and unbinding rolls until your next hero phase. Death units cannot be affected. Oh, jeez. Yeah. I like how it's Spirits of the world that was, though. It's the, the ghosts of... Uh, Lamia from Nehekara. Oh yeah. Somehow came over into uh Shayesh. That's cool. Uh and then you get this one last thing. And this thing's kind of cool. <laughs> Neferata's Palace. Mm-hmm. Uh you you can basically set up a realm gate. Pick a realm gate at the start of the game, and heroes can go through the realm gate in an Ephrata's palace and try to get like a reward. Basically it's like people who have who have been in her palace and have been in her presence generally are so enamored with her that they want to go back. There's no true escape from her. So you can take a journey right through it uh before they can return they must survive her palace. So then you play Yahtzee. You basically pick up 5 dice and you get 3 shakes of the dice rerolling whichever of the dice you want however many you want um and if you get a yahtzee if you get all five dice the same the the triumph chart um the triumph chart you get to literally pick any of the bonuses you want and they're not bad sorry Um, i got i got disconnected for a second oh no problem (laughs) uh basically i was saying is that if you if you if you can roll those five dice and get them all to match after three rolls uh you know yahtzee yeah, uh, you get to pick anything you want off the major victory chart, and you have that for the re- um, for the rest of this battle and the next battle you fight. You get that bonus. It's nice that, that uh, so many people probably don't use these triumph tables at all, making it so it's useful in the battle you're playing. Right. Um, I could see if you're playing a campaign. Yeah, yeah. But just, I mean, individual games, the next time you play, I, I get a bonus because I won last time. I, You know, whatever. Yeah, that's um, not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. But then if you get, now if you get not quite a Yaki, but if you get four of a kind, then you can roll a dice and you get one of them. You don't get to pick. Three of a kind, you uh, just come out with nothing. And if you don't get at least three of a kind after three shakes of the dice, you die. <laughs> so <laughs> you're taking a risk, but... That risk could totally pay off uh, with a with a really nice bonus. So, you know, I don't know. It's, I just I think it's a cool. It's a nice little mini game inside of your game. Yeah, I mean, you're literally stopping to play Yahtzee. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, I'll take that. Whatever, it's cool. 
but uh, that's uh, that's where we're stopped. So um, when we come back after the break, we're gonna now we, we finished the first half of all the stories. Uh, when we come back, we're gonna get to the uh, back to the realm of uh, the realm of life. Um, this is a crazy part. Suddenly, Corn throws his hat in the ring, and yeah. and, and 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 the and the uh, what is it? The um, the salon, the seraphon. Yeah, the seraphon were just like, oh, no, no, Corn's not jumping in here. We're not allowing that. This this is this is a cool story. Um, especially when the lady that finds later sees the aftermath and goes, "Oh, I know what happened here. <laughs> we, we apparently we just got really lucky and got some help, but don't expect more help later." I'm like, "What? Wait, what?" So I'm excited about this, and uh, I know this is your favorite part. So when we come back, if you if you want to take the lead on this one, and you can tell this story, okay, and I'll play color commentary because uh, I know you really love the this part of it. So then uh, when we come back. That's what we'll do next. Tyler will tell us how the story ends for uh, this section of the uh, In the Realm of Life. Against Scarbrand, no shield wall could stand. His advance undeniable, the greater demon strode the battlefield like a fiery avalanche of destruction. Side by side, the fire slayers and Stormcast sought to hold before that onslaught, and side by side, they were hewn down. The retreat to the magma tunnel had turned into a rout. All might have perished had not Lord Celestine Sargassus returned. While Bandus, the Knight of Zerus, cleared a path of retreat with the searing light of the Celestial Beacon, Sargassus blazed his own way, slaying all before him until he stood beneath the towering demon. Dodging and parrying in his saddle, the Lord Celestine used all his skills simply to stay alive against the maelstrom that was Scarbrand. Shining like a star beneath a fiery cloud, Sargassus would surely have fallen were it not for Arngard and Runefather Bale stepping up beside him. Loud rang that clash of arms. With weapons sparking, the trio deflected blows that would have lain waste to regiments. Only when all their troops had fled into the tunnel did they too turn. Battered and bleeding, they escaped, magma sealing the way behind earth-shaking bellows of frustration and the tumult of continued combat haunted every step through that tunnel. Stating the oath honor of Vostarg Lodge, Bale Grimnir would not accept final payment. The task, he said, was not yet done. And we're back, and it's time for some wrath. The Unbound Wrath. Tyler, are you ready for this? Oh, yeah. We're back in Gyran. Uh, All right. What's going on here? So, first off, we get a little catch-up on what's going on with the uh, the main chunk in Gyran, which is, of course, Loris Grimm and the, uh, the Stormcast and then the Lady of the Vines. So, they have now made it across the ice, 
to uh, the kingdom of Blackstone, I believe is what it was called, or they are close to the kingdom of Blackstone, where right. they want to replant uh, Alariel to um, benefit basically from all the heroic deeds that transpired there. Right, but uh, first I, they got to go through the path of the purified, right? Yep, the path of the purified. You know, and I don't know if we covered this in the last chunk of Gyran, but when uh, Grimm got his hand cut off, the Lady of the Vines uh, regrew it for him. That's uh, right. So he's got he's got like a magical plant hand now. And hey, uh, whatever other, works, right? Yeah. Well, they cover it a bit more in the novel of this too, and it's like literally his hand is green. It's like still a human hand. But it's green now. So, oh, that's interesting. I don't yeah. know. That might have just been in the other book then, because I don't remember reading that. I would have written that down. Well, they mention it briefly here. Yeah, I don't remember reading where she regrew his hand, but they mention it here in this first little recap part that he has a new hand from her. So. Um, okay. Cool. Now I know that she's worried that Alariel's been like her soul pot is is might be corrupted or that. Uh, the land is too corrupted or that the soul pod might be slowly dying. That's why she's got to hurry, which is why they're going through the path of the purified. Yep. So the path of the purified is a mystical path in uh, Gairan that only the pure can walk through and it's supposed to cleanse any taint. So chaos can't get through it. So that's another thing is Torgalug cannot follow them through this path. Um, so all the storm casts and the, uh, the silver go down this path heading towards Blackstone Summit. Right. And then everything goes sideways. Uh, not for them necessarily, but Corn, seeing that Nurgle is about to succeed in uh, killing Illyriel and completing his conquest of Gyran, takes Scarbrand and literally chucks him into Gyran. He's so he mean falls. to Scarbrand. Like, he could just <laughs> send him nicely, but he's like, come here, you, and just throws him like a yep. football. Yeah, he literally chucks him. He lands like a meteor uh, ahead of the Stormcast. So he doesn't land right. And the reason why, actually, is he was supposed to land right on target. But a Slon by the name of something I probably cannot pronounce. Uh, Zenfactica? Is that what it is? Yeah, Zen, Zen, Zenfactica. Zen, uh, yeah, that works. Uh, put a magical like force bubble around the uh, the Stormcast and the Sylvaneth that bounced Scarbrand off of them, and he landed ahead of them instead. Yeah, Zenfantica, that's it. There we Zenfantica, go. yeah. And so, so then, uh, let's see, Scarbrand, uh, a bunch of blood letters, a whole demon army basically forms from his fury, just like coalesces out of the like blood mist surrounding him. Yeah, well, he can do that. He's got his own little army to call up, and so he he calls up his army, and um, grabs all of this. Now, I just love that the slans just like, oh no, we can't let this happen. This has got to stop. So, yeah. So he goes and, and grabs. <laughs> so this is where the slans just show up. But this is and this is cool because this really fits with the fluff from the Seraphon book. Which is just like, nobody really knows why they show up or when they show up. They just kind of, they realize they need to be there, and then they show up and do stuff and leave. Yep, yeah. So he shows up, and then he's got his, uh, he remembers his army of lizards that appear around him to uh, challenge Scarbrand and his demons and stop them. 
And uh, yeah, it basically becomes a gigantic battle between the uh, the Seraphon and the Corn Demons. Some cool parts in here where it's mentioned. I think it mentions that the the rage coming off of Scarbrand doesn't just start affecting his own army, but it starts affecting the Seraphon, who start basically just get lost in a bloodlust and this charge at the demons. Like I think there's some skinks that uh, were supposed to be sneaking around and sniping off the demons, basically, and they get affected by this rage and instead this charge headlong into some blood letters. Yeah, no, this is this is just this is great stuff. I mean, just going down there and they're just killing the demons out and and but but Scarbrand, not so much. I love that Scarbrand kills Stegs, Bastilodons, yeah. and Carnosaurs each with a single blow. Like one swipe, he like cut one of them. Like it literally said he cut it in half. I think it was the Bastilodon. Yeah, just a just, in half, it's like wow, Scarbrand's crazy, insane, stupid, tough. Like, at least fluff wise, it's like, you know. And this is the guy who is like, you know, Corn's whipping boy because he was stupid enough to think he could take on Corn. But you kind of get a feel for why he started to think he could take on Corn. Yep. Yeah, he's uh, definitely a very tough bloodthirster. <laughs> so. Um. Yeah, and this and this, I love what happens here. It winds up when it just gets down to to Slan, and Man. the Slan and the Scarbrand. I love what happens yeah. here. Go ahead. Well, because so the demons and the Seraphon literally wipe each other out. Uh, so all that's left is Scarbrand and the Slan, and the Slan knows that he can't he can't defeat Scarbrand. There's nothing he can do that will defeat him. So instead, uh, they're standing apart from each other. Scarbrand sees the Slan. Of course, he needs to kill it. So he starts charging headlong at it. And uh, instead of trying to fight him, the slan instead just opens up this portal, like I guess <laughs> beneath Scarbrand, and he I, literally just falls into this portal, like a like a Looney Tunes character or something. Yeah, I thought it was kind of like right in front of him, like as he's just running, he just poof, opens it right in front right. of him, and he just charges headlong into it and goes, Floom. yeah, like, maybe that's like a yeah. wily coyote. Yeah, just like <laughs> like runs right into it. It's just like. What? <laughs> Which was great. Just stand there and let him charge you and then open the portal in front of you at the last second so he runs into the portal instead. And then and he teleports him off into space and then the slime just goes home. Yeah, you know, so I like this part. It was cool. It seemed like weird, out of place, like a little weird prelude. Or not a prelude, like a little interlude. Like, Meanwhile, there's a bunch of slime stuff happening. Yeah. So the one problem I had with this part, despite how cool it was, is that I feel like if you took just a section with just the Seraphon and Scarbrand out, it would would not impact the rest of the story at all. Um, so I'm, I mean, it kind of impacts the next story, but you could like easily tweak a few things, and it would still work just fine. Yeah, the only thing in here um, is I think a you're getting the Seraphon players, getting them a little. Yeah. Bit of Seraphon stuff. And B, um, Scarbrand needs to be not home. True. Yeah, that, and that's the only part of it that I feel like really affects the next one is, yeah, he, he needs to have not been at the uh, the Blood Keep. Right, so this uh, shows not only where he is, but then why all of a sudden he shows up back at home and but not getting chained up. Yeah. I just wish, uh, I mean, as, See, they, as a Seraphon player, I, if I was a Seraphon player, I would have liked my army to be more like interwoven into the actual narrative. But I mean besides that, it was a pretty cool. They're pretty turning cool them part. into Eldar. 
Yeah, kind of. Doesn't it seem like it? They just kind of show up, do some stuff, and leave, and like nobody really knows why. Yeah. Um, I don't hate it. I agree with you, but and but I understand why they did it. Like, and I'm not trying to just be the you know the apologist, but it's like Scarbrand had to be gone, and then he had to come back without being chained up when he's brought back, because when they bring him back, they always chain him up. But he wasn't brought back. He was thrown back. You know, like without the battle being done you know what i'm saying it wasn't time to yeah. bring him back and chain him up uh th- by by the slan doing the portal thing the way he did it it uh it it allowed scarbrand to show up unbound which is also why later on when he's summoned again he doesn't show up because he's not chained and 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 controlled so true yeah the the, the actual event has a lot of ramifications, but it does seem weird and disjointed and, um, you know, but I don't know. I mean, it, it, I see your point, but I also see how they needed to, they needed to explain why all this stuff happened with Scarbrand if you're trying to get the chain later in the story. Why isn't he there? Where is he? How come these things happen this way? Um, yeah, I mean, I guess if I was to just, like, rewrite this part on my own, I guess the only change, I would leave that whole thing in, but I would just change that, you know, maybe instead of Scarbrand getting bounced away from the Stormcast and Sylvanath, he lands near them, and then the Seraphon half still show up, still fight the demons to stand still, and he still throws them to the portal. But at least that way, they're they're part of the story more. You know, I guess. Oh, right. I kind of like that when they showed up, they found all the asteroids that had landed yeah. with the star stuff, and they're just yeah, like looking around. Cool. They're like, "You know what this is?" And they're like, "Nope." And like, I've seen these before. We've we 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 have just gotten help. We won't get any more, but we're apparently we're very lucky. I kind of found that cool. Like, I liked that part of it where they like nobody actually saw them except the aftermath, and they kind of like the oldest of them knew exactly what happened. I mean, to a degree, they knew what happened. Not exactly. But they knew what happened, and they're just like, okay, apparently we've gotten very lucky. It's just, I kind of found that neat. It makes them a little mysterious, you know? Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it's just, I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a personal preference thing, whether you like the way it went or not, you know? I can see your point of mixing them in with them and having them fight with them again. They fought with them before. It might be interesting to have them fight again, uh, maybe learn a little bit more about each other to bring them more into the story. I kind of like the weird, mysterious. They just show up and fight and disappear thing. So, that's yeah. a, that's a personal a personal preference, I think. There. So, well, where, so so where are we? Oh, we're at the we got a battle plan, which is well, really quick before that. There's okay. a little like uh, I don't know showcase on Lord Zenfantika. Oh yeah, which is cool. But my favorite part is the uh, the skink priest, Tac Tac Rillo. Yeah, Tac Tac Rillo. Just the fact that it mentioned he's like he's uh, Zanfantika's favorite priest, and it says let me see if I can find the line here. Uh, let's see, yeah, Tech Tech Relo has been slain many times, most spectacularly by the greater demon Kaithanas at the dawn of the Age of Chaos. Yet Lord Zanfantika always reconjures his favored skink, reshaping him out of memory and star magic, only occasionally forgetting the exact pattern of feathers. Tech Tech Relo prefers to wear in his cloak. <laughs> I just think that's funny. Only, <laughs> which you, you know, I thought they didn't forget anything. So that's like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. That, um, 
my favorite joke I always say is I want someone to do a Seraphon army with a Slon, and it's like a bunch of gray blobs. It's just, you know, a Slon with a really bad memory. Oh, gosh, that's terrible. <laughs> All the colors being weird or off or something. Yeah. Put the models together wrong. He just re- he recalls them as being gray plastic for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Just pray and prime. This is all he remembers. This counts. Yeah. This counts. He was colorblind. Yeah. There you go. Um, so yeah. yeah, the battle plan. This one's another another. Uh, this could be a fun one. Although I found some flaws with it personally. Um, it's you know one big monster against a, a lot of smaller infantry. If he kills thirty models. He wins, um, or um, let's see. If there are no foes at the battlefield, he wins. So, thirty models or everything. If you bring less than thirty models, he wins. Um, you win if you kill the big monster or if you banish it. Um, it's a four by four board on this one, and you have a potential portal in the middle of each of the four two by two squares. You know, there's like a piece of terrain in each one, and you secretly write down which one is the portal. And if he gets too close to it, you have a chance to try to just banish him. Like if he looks too powerful, like basically like the Slon did to Scarbrand. Um, the whole thing with that is, you know, if he, uh, you basically have to make him move towards them. And if he doesn't move towards the right one, you're never going to have the opportunity. You know what I'm saying? It just seems like, yeah. you know, if he's doing okay and he's not taking a beating, as long as he stays away from the portals, you're you as the attacker are in a, in a world of trouble. Well, couldn't the attacker just leave his unit sitting on the portals? So he has to kill 30 models to win. And if you're actually playing it as Scarbrand, he doesn't have any shooting attacks, so he would have to. I suppose you could do that too. You to could you. sit back on the portals. And make it move to them. Of course, then you'd have yeah. to split up your units onto several different portals. Yeah, and I feel like killing 30 models, especially if it's just like Saurus and Skinks. Well, Saurus might be not as hard because they're Bravery 10, so you're not really going to get many from fleeing. But any other army, I feel like that would... Uh, like if I was playing my Tomb Kings on there or something, that's one unit of skeletons. <laughs> and, and then I lost. Oh, that's true. So yeah. It's a cool idea, though. I like these scenarios where they're doing... Like, it's not the standard table setup. It's not the standard, like, uh, one army versus the other. Oh, I agree. I don't mind a lopsided battle when you know you're going into it lopsided. It's just this one seemed a little bit, like, it seemed like there was a lot of opportunity for it to just get way out of hand really fast. Yeah, I can see that. Uh, That's just my, my personal opinion. So, all right, let's keep going, though. Let's take the path of the purified. All right, so. And here they give a nice description of it, too. They give you a little bit of history of the Path of the Purified, which I liked. Yeah. Let's see. Where was that? Uh, we're on page 2 or 146. They talk about how uh, excuse me, some of the armies of the men in the Sylvaneth had been corrupted um, you know, by Nurgle as they went through the land. So the Druidic cults made a path that only those free of the taint of chaos could go through. Oh, yeah. Yep. So they, you know, this way they knew that they would take Alarial her seed pot, and if any corruption had started by dragging her through it, it would burn away any corruption. Anything that was corrupted, completely corrupted, would die trying to go through it. But apparently a little bit of corruption, it would burn away, and the, the Lariel, you know, would, was still, even if there was some corruption, she was 99% Lariel, so she would be fine going through there. 
Yeah, and this is also where we get to the part where they they come across where the uh, the Seraphon fought, fought uh, Scarbrand. Right. They find the uh, the craters with uh, strange like egg shaped things in them. Yeah. Which again, that confuses. I I thought the Seraphon is kind of like materialized out of memory, but I guess they actually land in like. Like little meteors, drop pods, yeah, yeah, like little meteors that crash down, and then they they open up. So the starlight is encased in a bit of a meteor, I guess. I, it it's very vague. Yeah, yeah. Which I wish it wasn't because that was the biggest problem with the Seraphon book. Very vague. Yeah. So, Hopefully they they revisit that one sometime soon and expand upon it a bit more. It would not be a bad thing. Yep. Um, so let's see, and they, uh, so they march along the path of the purified, and eventually they get to Blackstone, uh, the Blackstone Summit, which is where they want to plant a lariel, and waiting for them atop the summit is Torglug and his entire army, outnumbering them many, many times over. I do love part of the description they talk about, like why some of this stuff was going on, like why Korn did this. Like, we know he didn't want Nurgle to ascend, but it says how oh, there's battles going on across all the realms at this point. Mm-hmm. But Gairan had the, it said the entire realm was in the balance and the life of a god in the balance here. So, you know, the, there was more at stake in this particular realm than in any of the other realms. So all the chaos gods are watching. That's why Korn attacked. Also, there, there was a mention that how Zinch, if if Korn succeeded, Zinch was ready to start messing up his plans. Like he had things in motion that if Korn succeeded, Zinch had all sorts of uh, things ready to go to 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 mess with Korn's success. So yeah, make sure because he's already too powerful. Yeah, he's the most powerful already right now. So they got to keep him in check. Yeah, I mean, it was just it was interesting to see all of their machinations. Like this is quick explanation going how, yeah, there's you know, not, that that wasn't the only thing. It wasn't just he decided to throw Scarbrand. There was all sorts of stuff going on in the background, plans about plans and backup plans for other plans. I really liked that part a lot. Uh, and a little sidetrack here again into the novel on this part because they don't yep. talk about it at all here with how Torglug ended up ahead of them. Oh, um, okay. And it's after the battle on the ice, uh, a bunch of Skaven came out to start scavenging the dead. And Torglug basically marched up to them and beat them up and forced their warlord to let his army march along their... Uh, like through one of their knot holes or whatever. So he made him open a knot hole for him. Great. Yep. So he could bypass all of it and end up ahead of them. He's pretty brutal. I like this guy. Yep. And then uh, this illustration here, I love it. Which page? Of uh, the Celestine Prime, 149. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah this awesome. is fantastic. Holding the scepter and holding Galmaraz. The, yep. the white wings, and they're, you know what, everyone was like, what are they, what are they? And somewhere in this book, it actually, I think it, it describes in the very last page of the fluff, like the little bar with the picture of the of the thing, they're crystal. I always thought they were just supposed to be like rays of light. In the audios, they describe them as lightning. Do they describe them as lightning? What did I read? Yeah. Hold on, where did I read it? Cause I because they, they, they talk about, like, there's parts where they, they always talk about the, the sound of the wings or, like, lightning sound. That's actually the sound they use for them in the audios, too. And then... There's one part where, like, one of the, uh, 
uh, prosecutors gets knocked out of the air and it talks about how he's falling and then he reignites his wings and then uh, is able to fly again. Only fierce elation as crackling pinions of crystal and light spread majestically from his shoulders. Huh. So unless the crystal portion is that is the part that's all gold looking. Yeah. But it says it's crystal and light. Maybe they haven't decided fully. Unless they haven't decided. But when <laughs> yeah. you look at this, it does look like yeah, crystal and light like in the drawing. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's really kind of cool. Like uh, how that how that's aerodynamic and how it flies, I don't even care. Magic. You know, Alarial's wings are made of leaves. I don't care. Yeah. Like, I don't, you know. Oh, this Superman is the company. flies by force of will. I don't care what your wings actually look like. They, hey, you fly. I'm okay with that. This is this is the company that brought us the great aerodynamics of the Thunderhawk for Space Marines. So, <laughs> hey, yeah, you just make those in <laughs> space. That works. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, so they get to Blackstone Summit. They're completely outnumbered. And they and, scream. Uh, what do they scream out? Only the faithful. Of course, only the faithful. And that's and, when the uh, Celestin Prime shows up. Yep. A uh, lightning bolt slams down and out of it, probably like the Terminator. <laughs> stands up in <laughs> Celestine Prime, and that's not a and that's not a bad description either because he's going to start killing stuff. He's calling down comets. He's calling down lightning. Um, you know what I love in this? Here's another thing that goes back to the Sylvaneth book, though. So the Celestine Prime, you know, is already you know, uh, they're the 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 Stormcaster about to charge Torglug because this is what they got to do. Uh, the Celestine Prime shows up, and now they're they're jazzed. They go charging in. The Sylvaneth don't. I love that part. Yeah. The, the Sylvaneth don't follow the cells in Prime. They don't charge. Their only job is to protect Ilarial's, uh soul pod. And so when all these guys go off to battle, they just form a circle around the Lady of the Vines. They're like, no, we're no, no, that's not, that's not our gig. So you see two very different attitudes and ideas on what's going on here happening. And and I feel like it works perfectly with each other too. You got the oh, yeah. the vanguard going forward, and you got the people. Someone's got to stick around and protect her. Oh sure. Um, Torglug sends three great unclean ones after the storm cast, and then goes after the Lady of the Vines himself with his Blight Kings. Three great unclean ones. So fluff wise, this is that's really bad. Yeah. Um. Of course, then you see how tough these guys really are because Grimm and the Celestin Prime each kill one. Yeah, also, what was it? The first one, uh, the Celestin Prime, does he kill one before he gets knocked into the air or after? Um, I think that's before because I think that the other one is about to kill Grimm when the, the Celestin Prime was knocked in the air. And doesn't he come screaming down and kill it? He just hits him with Galvarez yeah. one, just slam, hits him with It's the like head. he gets knocked up into the air, and all the great unclean ones are looking up there, waiting for him to come back down. He's not. And they're just like, what happened to him? And then during that point is when Grimm charges in and uh, hacks one to death with his, his hellbird. And yeah. then, and then the, just, yeah, the third one, one is going to kill him. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> Celestine Prime all of a sudden comes screaming down from the clouds. Can you just picture that? All the speed, all the uh, just just coming straight down with Galmaraz held over his head, and then just swings it down, pulps this thing in one hit. Yeah, I love it. And then the rest of the neural forces look at that, look at each other, look at that, look at each other, 
and then run. <laughs> like there's a quick look. Like, guys, what are you look back at him, just make sure we saw what we just thought we saw. Yeah, he just killed the great unclean with one hit. We gotta go. Oh, look at the time. <laughs> uh, I'm more impressed with Grim killing it. Grim kill so, yeah. Castellant going in there, this hacking at one. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, that that was what was so great. The, 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 you know, each of them kill one on their own. Just killing one was impressive. But then, you know, that doesn't stop. That doesn't even stop these guys from fighting with them. You know, like they're that doesn't even slow down the Nurgle army. Finally, with the third one, when the C Prime comes in and just pulps this guy in one hit, they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, he can do that." Yeah. <laughs> That was just beautiful. That was just such a great moment. I was reading that. I'm like, oh, that's so good. But meanwhile, things are not going good on the other end. No, no. Torglug and his Blight Kings are just hacking their way through all the Silverneth. He's not even... Uh, and at one point, he sees the Celestine Prime. He sees the Celestine Prime, and he wants to go fight him. He wants to fight him. He wants to test himself against it. And then he has this, like, uh, they call it like a rot worm in his gut that... Nurgle put there to basically keep tabs on him, and he wants to go fight him, and instead this rot worm starts and like eating at his insides, basically telling him, "No, you know your goal here is Illyrial, not the Stormcast." Yeah, it's crazy. Like he tries to go do that, and this thing starts twisting and writhing in his in his in his gut, and like starts putting him in immense pain anytime he turns away from the Lady of the Vines. It's like, oh, okay, I got you. I mean. It, there's no more direct message than like a, a pain shocker. Like, <laughs> bzz, nope, go back to what you're doing. Bzz, yeah, no, back to what you're doing. You gotta imagine it's gotta be pretty painful for a Nurgle lord to actually feel pain. Exactly, and to feel that much pain that it like that it's stopping it. Like, it actually sounds kind of like a crippling pain. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's bad. So that goes on, and then he actually flipping wipes he, i mean he kills the lady of the vines yeah he hacks them all apart he hacks her apart i think it describes like sap going everywhere yeah her sap goes and runs all over the soul which i think is kind of cool that the lady of the vines who was made from Alarial, and it's her blood Alarial's own blood basically that sort of is the first blood that goes to water the seed as it's on this dirt and um and that's when uh, th- this is great. So he's reaching down to claim the soul pod. Like he takes that moment to gloat, like in the movies. You got to picture it like a movie, right? So yeah, he looks around. Everything else is dead. He's like, finally, it's mine. And as he's slowly reaching down to reach, and you see the fingers getting closer, and you see the helmet, because you can't see the smile because the helmet's on. The Stellison Prime comes streaking across like a lightning bolt and hits him in the helmet. With Galmaraz. Hits him so hard that <laughs> not only does it cr- caves in his helmet, so it crushes the whole helmet in, like dents it in, it knocks his soul right out of his body. <laughs> yeah, here, let me uh, read this part right here. Yeah, read it. So, in iridescent fury, the Celestine Prime landed before Torglug, bringing down Galmaraz in a two handed blow. The Warhammer shattered the Lord of Plague's attempted parry breaking his axe and crushing in his three-eyed helm. So hard was Torglug struck that his rotten soul, a fall green miasma, was torn free from his body. Even as the lifeless form of the Chaos Lord toppled, the foul cloud 
shimmered blue and flashed upwards, streaking into the heavens where it was received with a single booming peal of thunder. Yeah, I read that and I was like, wait, what? But, yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wait, so he just got grabbed by Sigmar is what it sounds like. Also, I read that I had I must have just finished reading the Stormcast book well, a little bit before this, but they mention it in the Celestine Prime's uh, like description in the Stormcast book. Right. I don't know if you remember that. I do not. Yeah, it says it says in there basically about Galmaraz that it can uh, redeem corrupt people's souls. Oh, I don't even remember. Re- I was, you know, as the after the fluff and stuff. I don't remember. I just I kind of glanced uh, through the individual character descriptions. I sort of kind of sped through them a bit. We never reviewed that book. But, <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, so yeah, it helps redeem it. And I just like, I mean, dude, I've heard of people getting knocked out of their shoes. <laughs> of people, but you knocked the soul out of his body. Yeah. Like, that's I mean, strange. that's just crazy. Like, I mean, you know, I know he just pulped a great unclean one so he can hit you hard, but your soul's an incorporeal thing. He knocked an incorporeal thing out of the body. I was like, this is crazy. Like, this whole scene is insane. It oh, yeah, makes I me love, love my Celestine Prime even more. Like table, you know, table wise or not, story wise, that's just fantastic. Yeah, you don't want to mess with him. Yeah, um, and then of course we got another uh, battle plan, and this one narrows the board again. If you're thinking of a, they they do this a lot. If you picture your realm of battle board, uh, instead of having it three on the top and three on the bottom, you do a four by four board. So you do two by two. Mm-hmm. And then you take your remaining two pieces and you put them sort of on the left side, but you put one sort of just sort of in the middle. So on the middle, you don't put it on the top or bottom but in the middle, and then you put the next one next to that. So you got a four by four, and that you know, and then you got four wide and two up and down, just sort of connected to it, so it's narrower. And the basically the invaders got to uh, start on the far side, away from the narrow edge. Yeah, away from the narrow edge. The defenders got the... So they've got the two squares on the far side. The defenders got the two squares next to the narrow edge. And the invaders have to basically run through it and get to the objective, which is nine inches from the far end of the board. So they've basically got to move at least like five, six feet across this board to get there. Um, It's another fun objective. Uh, Basically, the invader has to either... Wipe out the enemy defender or get the artifact at the within objective. an inch. Within yeah, an within inch an inch of the objective. Of the objective. Uh, the defender just basically has to kill all the models in the unit that has the artifact because you have to put the artifact with a specific unit. So they actually only have to kill a unit. Now, I don't think you have to tell them which unit has the artifact, but when that unit starts making a break for the border, you you'll figure it out. But so... Yeah, and the the unit carrying it has a ton of like uh, extra abilities too. Uh, basically, any unit around it, if they take wounds, units within three inches of it can take the wounds instead. Right. And then also they have um, because they're holding the artifact, they have like a protective aura. So on a roll of four or more, the wound is stopped, and they they hit better. Oh, that's right. That's right. Attacking. So though. yeah. So it suddenly becomes obvious though which unit has the artifact when all yeah. of a sudden it gets all the bonuses. But that's pretty, I mean, you got a four up, you got your normal save, and you got an extra four up save against regular wounds and mortal wounds. And then if you fail that, 
you can still pass those wounds off onto any unit within three inches of you that's friendly. Right. Yeah. So uh, it, it's tough, but I think if you like load that objective up on a really tanky unit and just surround your army around it. Oh yeah, it's going to be a bloodbath. There's going to be a vicious battle going on here. It's gonna, this one it looks like a lot of fun, depending on if you get a, a good uh, a good mix of armies playing in this one. Yeah. So this one I think will be a lot of fun. Um, you know what? Let's take a quick break um, because we've been going for a while. Let's take a quick break, and we come back, and we'll go back to Akshi, where the Fire Slayers and the Stormcast are about to do their thing. You wanna? And I think we can cover this one pretty quick. Yep. So let's let's take a break. Come back, and we'll handle that. Unique Gifts and Games in Grays Lake, Illinois is the one-stop shop for all your gaming needs. They carry anything your favorite gamer may want. Board games, collectible card games, miniature-based games, and all your hobby gaming supplies are there, as well as books, charms, incense, crystals, and other unique gifts. UGG has it all. Come into the store and ask about their frequent buyers program, or check out their gaming and events calendars in-store or online. From Tuesday night War Machine and Thursday Board Game Night to Friday Night Magic, there's always something going on at Unique Gifts and Games in Gray's Lake. Check them out on the web at uniquegg.com. are back all right so we are in the realm of fire all right going through life to fire to death back to life and now back into the fire yep unfortunately we're not going back to the realm of death which makes me sad it was just such a quick little interlude there yeah i'd like to see more there yeah especially since that was so unfinished it's like hey we want to talk to we want to make a deal and it's nagash and then it goes away. But that is a story for a later date. We are back in Akshi. And uh, I like this part of the story. I really do. It's it's simple. It's quick. But it's it's interesting. So what's going on here? All right. So we come back to uh, what was that Lord Sellison's name? Markov? Mark? Uh, oh. Um, oh, Lord Sargassus. Sorry. Markov was the. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, Hammer guy, right? Yeah. I was just saying, yeah. what are you talking about? It's Sargassus, yeah. Too many Celestins. <laughs> I know. Everybody with their own clever little name. Yeah. So we're back with Lord Sargassus and the Heaven Host and the uh, the Fire Slayers making their way to Blood Keep. Um, so basically, they, they've passed through the ambushes from the... Uh, uh, the travels there, and I think it mentions they're basically at about half strength now. They've yeah. lost about half their numbers to so all the the bloodbound and the scaven along the way. That's crazy. Um, so now you got yeah. about but got about one hundred and fifty five, uh, one hundred and fifty stormcast, and however many fire slayers there were. Yep. 
so now they arrived at uh, Blood Keep. Yeah. Which, let's see. And I love how they get through these secret passages. They've made secret passages that everybody else forgot about, and they're buried under, like, millions of skulls and all this stuff, so nobody even sees the entrances. But uh, the Rune Smiters are like, we don't even need the exact entrances. We've got these magma droths. They'll just they'll drill new sure. holes, and we'll just drill to where we know the tunnels are. It's just like, well, that works. Yeah, yeah. So they get there, and their original agreement with the Fire Slayers was just to lead them to the fortress. And it mentions how the uh, the was the rune smiter can tell that there's more gold. Oh yeah, these are the guys who can gold. sniff gold, and yeah, they knew. Yeah, they knew the stormcast had more ur gold, and so they're like, "Well, when we get there, we can always make a new deal." Yeah, so that's exactly what Sargassus does. He uh, as soon as he gets there, he decides. Oh, I guess they decided all along that they need the fire slayer's help. So yeah, after they, that after that last fight, he's like, "Oh, these guys can fight. We could use them." And the fire slayers actually don't think this is a really good deal. Like they're like, "What exactly do you need to do in there? Because th- there's no way we can take out this place." And then, like, "Oh no, we don't need to take out the place. We just need to get right to the middle and get the brass chain and cut it off and cut it loose and take it with us and get out of here," which yeah, is a which much I- easier deal than taking the keep. It's a really interesting plan, too. Like, I wonder what Sigmar actually planned to do with the brass chain if they had succeeded. Because it said that, like I mentioned, I think that then he could bind Scarbrand. In the upcoming battles. Yeah, so would he just, like, bind him away in, like, a cavern somewhere? Or I guess I didn't understand exactly what he planned to do with Scarbrand. I didn't know if he wanted to take that piece off the table or actually control that piece. Because if you could get control of Scarbrand and start tossing it places... Yeah, which is kind of how I read it, which is, would yeah. be interesting to think that Sigmar would be willing to uh, like use a greater demon of chaos against it. But why not? Scarbrand is a, is, a, is, a, is a force of nature. I mean, he is just destruction. Of course, also, Sigmar is playing the long game, and I think he kind of sees what's coming next, which is the whole in the God Beast book. Yeah. And... Granted, Scarbrand isn't a god beast, but dang, you know, <laughs> he is definitely a piece you could put on the table, you know, in that in that particular game. So, yeah, maybe I like that's how the plan. his backup for that, too, is even if uh, they can't control him or whatever, as long as they take the chain and he can't be bound, then he'll just be killing all the chaos guys around him the entire time. Yeah. Yeah. Then he's just yeah. then you've let loose a complete maniac. Um, and they, but they still, even though it's just get in there and get the chain, they only agree to it because it's a lot of Urgold. Apparently, the gold Sigmar brought is heavy with Urgold, not just regular gold. And it's like, oh, this is a huge payment. Um, and I like that Bale Grimnir, oh, he doesn't even want to do this. He wants to go get his son. Yeah. But he knows his duty is to the clan first, and their job is to get Urgold. And there is way too much Urgold here for him to be so petty as to only think about the life of his firstborn son. It's a little sad. And well that I mean and that should show you a you know this he kind of reminds you of Thorgrim Grudgebear in a lot of ways. How he you know it's 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 he is very much clan first even though he obviously wants, you know, he puts he puts the the needs of the of the of the of the of their race ahead of his own needs. But it also shows you how important Urgold is. 
that you know the, the successor to the throne is not as important as getting more Urgold if you can get it in the in, in this kind of amount. Yeah, and I don't think they ever revisit his son either. Yeah, well, I mean, we don't hear the rest of the story. I, I, I'm hoping that eventually he gets him, because, yeah, because they don't mention him again. It's like, oh, I really hope they don't wind up killing him. But, yeah, I mean, it could be an interesting setup later on, uh, maybe when a Skaven book comes out or something. Yeah, I mean, because there's more story. I mean, what kind of what one of the things I kind of like about this is as they're laying these out, and I don't, I honestly don't think in God, Beast, or in All Gates they came back to this. So you, no. you've got a complete story in these four books, with, but they they don't bother to tie everything up into it. You know, every loose end doesn't get tied up. They leave them open, and you can tell stories off of those, which is which is good. I hate when you tie up every single. You know, I don't need my story in a neat little bow with every storyline tied up. Yeah, no, I'm. I like that they're leaving stuff open like that to come back to. Yeah, it was it was great. So uh, they tunnel. <laughs> Yep, so yeah, they use the magma dross to uh, tunnel up through the keep uh, underneath the walls. Um, let's see. They get as close as they can get. They can't actually get inside where the chain is. They get just outside the gate to the chamber. And this uh, picture, the spread on, oh, what page is this? 166. I think the, the double page, page with the of, actual models. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, that was cool. You know, I was looking at this. I, I like uh, they photoshopped all the uh, the hair on the stormcast to be black to match the the celestine. Wait, which one are we looking at here? With uh, Scarbrand. Um. On page one sixty six. Let's see. Yeah, on one side it's got Scarbrand and oh, the demons. And the oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, cast. because those, those, yeah, those models always had the red hair. Yeah, and now these guys. I think the them. only one they painted for this is the Celestine. Everything else they just kind of retouched and photoshopped. Yeah. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah, they've been doing that a lot lately. Actually, you can see in um, you know the Iron Jaws book, you can see them doing it a lot in the Destruction Grand Alliance book with the bases. They go. retouch all the bases to match whatever the uh, the game board is that they're on, rather than go and just redo and a whole bunch of models with new bases. Well, that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't look that close. That's so. Now I'm going to start looking at that. See, this is one of those things that you never notice it until someone points it out, and now you're going to see it all the time. Yeah, I always look for that type of stuff because I mean, it's what I do to my own pictures a lot. <laughs> uh, I get, but I guess that's like I said, it's something that I don't notice. It's you know now, but it's those things that you point out to people. It's like in the old uh, untouched versions of Star Wars where you'd see all the boxes around the Tie Fighters. Yeah, and then you point them out to someone and they get mad because then you can't unsee them. Or like in The Godfather, every time somebody eats an orange, somebody dies. Like it's like, oh, <laughs> once you notice it, you can't not notice it. It's like, oh no, now I'm seeing what you're saying. Like, oh, yep, there it is. Yeah, they started doing it more. I don't think they did it as much in the earlier books. They've been doing it more and more. I mean, whatever, it looks good. You know what these pictures make me want to do more than anything? Huh? Is get the terrain. Yeah. Even though the whole background is like that little matte background, and they got the, the, the like, they, they, you know, they, they, they went out and bought a $40 fog machine and put the little <laughs> fog, you know, the fog in the background and stuff. They, 
they have been getting their money's worth out of that fog machine. Let me but tell you, dude. Uh, you know what? I've got one too, and I look at this and I'm like, you know, if I ever get a cool background, I'm going to pull it out of the garage that I use it on Halloween. I'm going to pull it out of the garage and start using it too. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. I considered looking for one that was uh, looking for a cheap one online. Oh, dude, you can get them at like the hobby stores, like Michaels and Hobby Lobby, around Halloween for like thirty, forty bucks. Yeah, and they come with enough fluid to last you forever. I might have to do that now. Yeah, but no, it's just this. Yeah, I love these. I just, I, just, I sit there sometimes, like if I'm getting tired, and I can't be done painting, or if I just can't read anymore because I've been like trying to read all these books. I'll just uh-huh. sit and flip through and look at the pretty pictures. Like my kids oh, will yeah. catch me just like, yeah, this is so cool. <laughs> yeah. It's the first thing I do when I get any of these books too. My first flip through is I just flip through and look at every single picture. They're so cool. So, um, all right, wait, where are we now? I totally lost track. Uh, <laughs> oh, they got to the gate. All right, yeah. so now as, as they're reading this, and I was totally like, what is this? So as they have to smash through the gate. And they're pounding through the gate, and it's like a sigil drifts off the metal and flips out oh, of the yeah. rim. And this is a bad thing for all the realms. And I'm like, what? Huh? Like, what? Yeah, I thought what? that was really weird when I read it until you find out what it's about. Yeah, well, I was just wondering, are they going to cover that in this book? Or is this something, or is this, uh, you know, are they teasing something that's going to come much later? I just didn't want this to be another one of those, <laughs> arise, Cetra, we have plans for you. <laughs> and then they never tell you what those plans are, ever. So, yeah. Hey, you never know though. They might still tell us those plans. They might show up here somewhere in one of these books upcoming two years later. <laughs> that would be hysterical. Like if in the next series of of books, like Cetra somehow shows up, like the 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 chaos gods just drop him somewhere. That's why you don't see any of that Tomb King stuff because they've got Cetra somewhere. Yeah, hey, I it's still a chance he could show up if anyone. I mean, they've got Neferata. You can't have Neferata without Kalita. Exactly. I mean, I'm not holding my breath, but I'm kind of holding <laughs> my breath. So I just, you never want to see all that stuff disappear because that stuff was cool. They didn't even resolve that storyline either. <laughs> Hers or Cetra's, So Exactly. So it's like, come on. All right. So let's see. They get in there. The, the sigil floats away off the door like, huh? And then Scarbrand shows up, and he is crazy angry. You know, the Slan denied him his prize. There he was. He was, like, smashing everything, crushing everything, and he was going for this land. And the Slan just, like, I mean, and you know what? If you're that kind of a crazy fighter and you're about to finish your thing and someone, I mean, he he did. The, the Slan totally, like, cheated. Like, I can't really yeah. fight you, so poop, oh, <coughs> gotcha. Like, it was a total gotcha thing. And so he He's goes. Go ahead. Yeah, you gotta imagine it was just like Scarbrand too. He's just charging at him. All of a sudden, he shows back up at his uh, castle with just a bunch of Stormcast and Dwarden all around him. Well, first of all, after doing, I'm assuming it wasn't instantaneous, like in uh, like in Portal. Yeah, you know, I'm assuming because you talk about how you know he gets flung through things. I'm imagining him sort of like flying through space. You know, at least for some time, just like all angry and that all that rage he's got, just building nowhere to put it. <laughs> and then he lands and slams back into ground, and he, you know, he's had enough time at least to realize he's been cheated. So now he's even angrier. And then he looks around, and it's it's basically his jail cell, except he's not locked up because he didn't get brought home properly. He wasn't pulled home and chained up. He was thrown home by somebody else, and nobody's expecting him. So this is this is this is kind of fantastic because he takes that look around, and it's just like, oh, I'm gonna smash. 
everything. That's one of the things I really like is he's just going to smash everything. He doesn't have the brass chain holding him in place. So he cuts apart a row, a storm cast, uh, one swipe, just the whole front row. Thwomp, cut him in half. Uh, Lord Relictor uh, Thanos or Thunos. <laughs> cuts him right down the middle. Like a cartoon. Yeah. I mean, literally chops him from head to 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 crotch and he they describe him as he falls into two parts in half. Yeah. Yep. Just like a cartoon, like you said. <laughs> so bad. So I mean of course he does. I mean he chopped he he killed I mean he killed all those other things. All the giant seraphon monsters. He was killing them with one shotting them. That's what this is. The end times it was decapitation. Now it's splitting in half. This, well, it's not the splitting half. It's the one shot. It's the killing them with with one hit. You know, the the C Prime killed the the great unclean one. With, he pulped him with the one hit. Scarbrand's killing stuff. Everything he kills, he kills in one hit. That's that's the proof that you're that you're Billy Bad Boy, is that you yeah. kill stuff with just one hit. It's pretty much the Hulk of uh, Age of Sigmar. Oh, he is, doesn't he? The angrier he gets, the stronger he gets. He really is the Hulk. <laughs> Uh, okay, so uh, what's going on now? What you got? Uh, but so now, yeah, the Stormcasts are completely getting torn apart by Scarbrand. So Sargassus at this point realizes that uh, he, I think he realizes that he doesn't think he's going to be able to get the brass chain. Yeah, they've got to pull back. So what's it? Sargassus, Arngard, and Bale Grimnir. Tell Bandus to lead everybody else back because the portal's even starting to get closed. Like they're not going to get out if they don't get out of here pretty soon. Like their 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 escape is getting blocked off at this point. They're not the portal, the tunnel. Mm-hmm. So uh, basically, they hold off. <laughs> they hold him off just long because they can't beat Scarbrand either. Like these three guys are like, yeah, all right, listen, we're gonna try not to die so the rest of you can get away. And uh, and they don't die. Hooray. And uh, so once everyone else is away, they run too. And I'm just picturing Scarbrand with no one else to fight, just trouncing around in that place, killing everything else that's standing there. Oh, yeah. I'm sure every single blood round died after that. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's his prison, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, unless Korn himself reached down and grabbed him and put him back on that brass chain on his collar, he's just... Killing everybody That I'd like to see Um, And then comes the end Dude my This end is one of my favorite parts Of anything that I've seen so far With the Fire Slayers Where Was it on the part with the uh, After the battle plan Um, I think so Yeah Yeah it's that, that last little The one paragraph with the awesome drawing with them fighting and Scarbrand just coming in ready to kill everybody. And it just shows you the uh, that honor of the uh, Fire Slayers. Because what, what happens here? Tell, tell the audience because they might not so, have read it. Yeah. Uh, here, I'll, so I'll, just, uh, I'll just read it out here. Loud rang that clash of arms. With weapons sparking, the trio deflected blows that would have lain waste to regiments. Only when all their troops had fled into the tunnel did they too turn. Battered and bleeding, they escaped, magma sealing the way behind, earth-shaking bellows of frustration, and the tumult of continued combat haunted every step through that tunnel. 
stating the oath honor of the Vostarg Lodge. Bill Grimnow would not accept final payment. The task, he said, was not yet done. Yeah. That's pretty sweet. That's really great. Yeah, he's just like he wouldn't take he yeah, he wouldn't take the payment. I think that's fantastic. It's like, wait, we didn't get the job done. You don't pay us. Like they went in there, all those guys died. All that stuff happened. Nope. Sorry. You we had a deal. And uh, the deal was that we got you that chain and we didn't get you the chain, so and, but it's not yet done. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they're gonna come back to it. It would be really cool to find out they go back in there later and they get that chain. He yeah. goes in there with more guys, tunnels in and gets the chain later on their own. Like they show up and present it to Sigmar later. That would be really, really kind of cool. I would like to see what Sigmar does with Scarbrand, like I said. So it would be cool yeah, if, they, if they circle back to that at some point down the line. Certainly. Absolutely, yeah. So uh, that's it. That's it for the. Uh, that's it for what happens on the on that plane. Uh, they failed basically. Yeah. And so. Yeah, it's nice. You know, everyone. I hear a lot of people saying that order keeps winning everything. I feel like through most of these books, they lost about half of everything they fought. Yeah. Because they they lost in Gyran uh, up until this book. Mm-hmm. They lost in Gyran for two books straight. And they lost in Gairan for two books straight, and, and basically they would have continued to lose, and, and, except Alario came back, yeah. you know, a, a, in her war form. Had she not come back in her war form, they were all in a world of trouble there. Yep. So they lost here. They've lost other battles. I mean, they tell you about battles where they've gotten slaughtered to a man. And so I was like, ugh. And speaking of, speaking of losing battles... Yep. Uh, well, you know what? We there's another battle plan. I'm, but uh, I totally didn't even. I don't even remember this one that much. Uh, let's see. This one's okay. about finding an artifact and stuff. You guys can look it up. It's not all that. I mean, <laughs> honestly, I you know, it's like this is the one weird thing. It's like I'm I'm debating whether when we do the next book, if we just do all the fluff and then go back and look at the look at the war the times of battle, war and the yeah. battle plan separately because it's a lot. It's a, it, they're very awkward. Breaks uh, to do this, even though there's, I mean, it's 200 some odd pages of fluff. So, you know, I mean, it does offer a nice little break from the fluff, but whatever. Yeah, sometimes I kind of wish they'd stuck with the uh, the end times formats for these books. Yeah, they had all the fluff in one book, and then all the rules in the second one, or even not a second book, but just put all the put all the different and, put all of those those the scenarios at, in in one section. So you can just flip through the scenarios if you don't want to read all the fluff. Here's all the different scenarios based off the fluff. You know, you can even yeah. put in the beginning, this is based off the story from pages, blah, blah, blah. So you can go back and read that story if you want to see the story that leads up to that scenario. I just, I like my stuff in a little bit, you know, in a little bit more, uh, you know, in in just clumped together better, I guess. You know, in yeah. better sections. No, I, I agree. That's just me. So, um... Should we start this one or should we take a break? Well, we've only been going about 15, 20 minutes. Let's go. Let's go with this. Let's keep going. Okay. So, uh, The War of Lost Time. This one took me a while to get into because I had to read the description of the place like three times. Yeah, me too. The description of this place really threw me. 
and I kept looking at the picture over and over again because I'm yeah. like, I don't even understand. Like, you almost needed a bit of a like, okay, listen, this is what's going on in this place before you described it because it didn't make sense. No. It's it's probably the one part in these books I've read where I just really like someone needed to go back and reread that. You needed to give that to somebody who doesn't play this game and say, Does this make any sense to you? I like the fantastical settings, but yeah, I feel like this setting almost took it it was just too fantastical almost. It was hard to kind of figure out how anything worked in it. Once I understood what it what was going on. Like I liked how the stuff played out on the battlefield and how the yeah, stuff, but I still don't yeah. get the dome and what's going on with that and why things can't get through it. Like it doesn't. It's like an orb. It's like a planet that floats in the void, and inside the planet is a flat disk. But is it a planet? And then there's a, or is it just a giant metal sphere with the? Like it doesn't. I don't. Oh well, yeah, I think it's like a giant weird energy metal sphere thing because i totally misread it then too because i kind of got the impression that this was like a dome on a planet like you know like the dome like that 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 tv show they had or like in the simpsons movie the dome yeah i thought this was just an area that this dome formed over like i didn't even get that it was a whole place so i totally misread it if that's what it is too and i you know I'm I mean, not, I might be I'm not stupid. It. Yeah, I mean, it's, but like I said, we're getting different interpretations because it's kind of confusing. Um, yeah. Now, here we start. Thunder in the Vault is the beginning of this section, and um, it gives you this sort of this this recap. Like this is because now we're going completely out. We're not going back to the realm of death. We finished the story of life. We finished the story in in actually, uh, you know, uh, we didn't get the chain. Um, but that 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 segment that flew off, we're gonna that's gonna actually be, that's we're, we're gonna hear a little about that now. So all of these weird sort of disjointed parts, all sort of something happens in each of them that becomes relevant in this story. But you get this uh, sort of preview here that kind of recaps the whole battle of the burning skies, which is that uh, what you big heard, important one. Yeah, you heard that one a long time ago. Um, and this is when Sigmar had his final battle um, against the four. He killed the four greater demons, and then he thought he was going to kill Ar- uh, Archeon, but it was really Zinch making a phony image of Archeon, and so he throws the Galmaraz at it, and it's, ha-ha, there's a portal behind it. It's just a picture, and uh, then it disappears. And so... Um, that's the point where he's fighting, but without Galmarez, he can't win, so that's where he retreats and locks himself up, and you guys all know the story. He's gone for a few hundred years. He comes out. He fights. Eventually, he gets Galmarez back, um, and that's sort of where we're getting this, you know. Uh, Vandis Hammerhand is the one who finally got Galmarez back, and Vandis, this little box here is kind of cool. Vandis is having nightmares. and He's, he's having, having his visions. Yeah. Visions. Uh, uh, oh, that's right, because he has visions. I forgot yep. about that. Even that was in some of the, some of the stories from that first book. Yeah, he's um, like cursed with visions he doesn't understand. Right, and it's basically Archeon sort of tackling him, and Archeon's uh, a Dorgar. It's like opening up his mouths to eat him, and inside him is this great void. And I guess what we find out is that, like, if Dorgar eats you, like your soul doesn't go on to anywhere. It goes into a like he's like. Like a void or something like that. Like it, yeah, it's one of the permanent deaths the Stormcast can face. Yeah, being eaten by by 
by Dorgar is like a permanent death, and he basically is, you know, about to be eaten by Dorgar. He keeps having this vision of this happening, and that's sort of where that ends. And then you get this, yeah, deep within Shaman glittered the spined sphere, Golgoth. Um, hanging heavy in the firmament, Golgoth was an orb so dense it drew arcane energies to it. It attracted lost magic as a lodestone attracts splinters of iron, and its surface was so saturated with arcane energies it was inimical to life. Inside its core, however, a hidden world thrived. So somewhere in... Sh- so it's not on Shaman. It's up in the skies above Shaman. Yeah, I feel like... Uh- uh, I, don't know, I said Shimon. Shimon? <laughs> okay, I don't. I, <laughs> yeah, but I feel like out of all the realms so far, it's the most like I just don't understand. Gairan is like a, you know, there's a map from Season of War. Gairan is at least as far as we can tell so far one connected place. Right. Akshi has, I guess, some disjointedness, but still has like a lot of. It, it kind of feels like an actual world. Shimon so far, in between this and the Hanging Valleys of Anvirok, it's all just like a bunch of uh, stuff floating around. Like, there's no connection with anything. Yeah, I mean, this looks like a place where if you're in one section, you could fall off and die. Yep. Or fall off into into space. Like, this this is the one realm. Even when you saw the picture in the first book, when they tried to uh, distract uh, the other the other uh, dragon so that the, the, mm-hmm. the waterfall, like the mercury waterfall or whatever it was, would cool and solidify so they could climb up it. Like, it's like, well, that drips down to that place and that moves around there and then it magically goes back up because of the dragons. Like, this place is just, how do you, li- like, how does this place work? This doesn't make any sense. I kind of like it for that because it's got a real sort of old, like, Norse mythology or, you know, some sort of, you know, ancient culture mythology where it doesn't have to all fit together. It's just, oh, the the great thing floats in the sky, and it works. I'll be interested to see because I feel like Shimon is also the most magical of all the realms because, I mean, I guess it's the one that Zinch is after. But I'm assuming this is where the uh, the uh, Grunjani's Dwarden are going to show up eventually who are, you know, anti-magic. So I wonder how that's going to work out. Oh, you think they'll show oh, in metal? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. That's but, why they. That's where they thought Grunjani was. That's why um, in the first book, Thostos or Thostos, Bladestorm. Oh, that's right. When he found Galmaraz, he was there looking for Grunjani. That's right. That's right. So we've okay. So we've got this sphere floating around in space, which makes sense because everything floats around in this place. Uh, the outer level metallostrata. So it's a big metal. It's a big metal orb. With yeah. a hidden world inside it, then I guess. I guess you were right. Yeah, I, it, I guess. And but like, was that fire on the outside on the picture? It's burning on the outside, like, or something? Or is that just the magical energies that are? Yeah, magical fire. Okay, that's I'm the, not yeah. Sure. So you can't live on it because the magical energies are burst are so far floating around it that you can't actually live on it. Although somehow people live inside it. Of course. Um. Now, somehow the under vault, which is the the world inside the the sphere, uh, not only attracts magic, but it's so dense with this thing that it, I mean, it pulls magic toward it. It also attracts time. With its creatively named Mount Cronus. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> so gravity, uh, as the magical stuff increases, gravity fluctuates, and therefore somehow time fluctuates. Um. Okay. Uh, some people live there. A few brave people have made their home there. Uh, you know what? If you're just born there, you don't. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, and, and you have no way of leaving. I don't know if that makes you brave or just completely, you know, you're out of luck. But There's got to be a, a realm gate out of there somehow. I mean, how but, else would they have shown up in the first place? Then again, how do you control it, though? I mean, since chaos controls yeah. most of these things. Oh, by the way, can we back up a second? Hmm. Um, in the recap, they talked about how uh, Archeon defeated Sigmar, you know, because Sigmar threw away his Galmaraz. And I'm like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That wasn't even Archeon. That was just a fake image of Archeon created by Zinch to get him to throw away Galmaraz. I don't know how much he was defeated at that point. I mean, I know Archeon's army won the battle, but it was not like somebody beat up Sigmar and sent him packing. Yeah. So I just, I don't know. I mean, granted, I'm on the side of order here, but uh, Sigmar seems to be one of the few people he hasn't beaten yet. So I was just kind of like, what do you mean he beat him? But whatever. So uh, here's what's going on. Um, the whole point of telling the story again of Sigmar is that Sigmar defeated each of the greater demons and each of them that failed were punished by the chaos god that spawned them in their own unique way. Zinch um, banished his greater demon or punished his greater demon's failure, I should say. He broke his name into nine parts. So his actual name, he put him into a, like, he turned him into basically a statue and put him in this place. He hid him. And then he broke uh, his name into nine parts through one part, went one part of his name, they were, you know, these little sigils, went into each of the seven realms that you could get into because you can't get into Sigmar's realm. One he threw into the realm of chaos and one he threw out into the void. Okay. A jerk. And then he placed him in the one place in the entire universe that just draws magic to it. Yeah, it's a good plan. Then. Well, I mean, I suppose this is the place he wants or the place he, he pays attention to, so it's a good place to put it. Uh, of course, you know, if you, I don't know. It just seems weird that you would put him in this place and like not have any clue that these sigils would eventually find their way back here. But maybe that's part of Zinch's big plan because, you know. Every, yeah, everything's part of Zinch's plan. So... Uh, what happens is in all these different realms, they, they're parts of an actual greater demon, and they have some. They become like oracles and things like that. Like people start to gather around it, and they ask it questions, and somehow these sigils can answer their questions. Um, I guess it's great. The, the punishment, one of the punishments is now that his name is broken into pieces, when someone asks a part of his name a question, it can only tell the truth. Which apparently is a torturous punishment for a for a, for a greater demon of Zinch. Yeah, it sounds like fitting punishment for them. Yeah. So, but the thing is, he can see, you know, he because he can see the bigger picture, he can tell the truth the way he wants it to be understood. Like, the, uh, you know, he can sort of kind of the truth, not the whole truth. Um. Almost like it, and I keep picturing like if you ever read the Lord of the Rings, and, and most of you have, um, when anyone touches a palantir and tries to twist it to see what they want to see, and then Sauron, you know, because he controls 
the controls the the biggest one. Uh, he only lets you see as much. You know, he always twists what you see to to his favor, which is why when Saruman had one, he always saw that it that the, you know the outcome was doomed no matter what. And I was like, well, yeah, because you know, I kind of see it in that way that the, you know every every question you ask, yes, he has to tell you the truth, but yes, he's going to twist it. Um, you know what I'm talking about, Tyler? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, good. I agree. Okay, I just want to make sure you were dead silent there. I'm like, oh my god, am I way off? Um, so what you get here, which I thought was interesting though, is uh, because he keeps giving people messed up answers that would most benefit him and and so more dissent is that eventually in each realm the people start to hate it like at first they all be you know at, ben- at first it's telling them the real truth to make them love it and give them all sorts of benefits and then it tears them down and they get so mad that they attack these things and try to destroy them and by breaking the sigils free of wherever they found them whoop, they fly off and they get a, a, no matter what and talk about attracting magic no matter what realm you're in, no matter how far away you are, <laughs> once that sigil breaks free, it already wants to be a part of its own name with its own person. And then you've got this realm that is attracting it back, and it just comes flying back. You see on the, the picture of it, on the uh, that one page? Yeah. <clears throat> the sigil in the bottom right-hand corner, if you trace where it's coming from, it's coming out of the ground from a place called the sigil pit. <laughs> so... Apparently, Zinch hid one of these sigils 20 feet away from the mountain in a place called the Sigil Pit. Did he? <laughs> well, wait a minute. No. Uh, well, look up at the look up at the very top, though. It says Sigil Pits. Where? Oh, oh, yeah. I think, weird, that's, huh? I think that might. That's where they're passed through. Got yeah, it. I think that might be where, yeah, wherever they uh, wherever they break through and pass through is a Sigil Pit. Makes a bit more sense. Yeah, because it's the seven realms. I doubt if he. I mean, he 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 hid one in in this realm, but I doubt he hid it right here. That would be <laughs> that would be a little crazy. Um, now, part of this realm, as they say, with the time messing up, is that sometimes you'll be walking and you'll hit uh, a thing where time goes real fast, and suddenly you move real fast, and you move through, and suddenly time, and it's it, but it's basically it's it's all based on gravity. So you move much slower, and. Uh, and so it'll take you a long. You become heavier and you move much slower, and it takes much longer to move. And then suddenly you become very light and you move much more swiftly. Um, kind of reminded me again. I'm drawing other things. Uh, remember, if, did you see Interstellar? Yeah. The closer they were to the black hole, the faster time moved for everything else that wasn't as close to it. Yeah. So yeah. That, that gravity affects time and stuff like that. So maybe that's it. I don't know. Like I said, the the whole realm is just confusing. But basically, long story short, eight parts of his name have all made it home to him. And um, the only part left was the one that was on the door and Scarbrand's gate in Akshi. That was the only one that hadn't hadn't come back. The problem, if all nine parts get back, is that this greater demon is going to come back and not not be a statue anymore, but become a full-fledged greater demon. And you say, who cares? There's lots of greater demons. Of course there are. But now his names for so many years have been in every realm. They know the secrets of every realm. And so he knows the secrets of all realms. Anyone who controls this greater demon could use him 
to conquer all the different realms. And you also keep in mind this isn't just any uh, greater demon of Zinch. This is like the Forge World one, like the giant one. Because yeah, when they mention the four greater demons from the Burning Skies, I can only ever remember one of the names, but the... Uh, the Bloodthirster one was definitely the name that Forge World named theirs. It's like Angeroth or something. Right, right. Yeah, though these are the these are the, the yeah <laughs> they didn't send out nobodies to, to to fight Sigmar. These are the big the, the big boys. So not only is he is he one of Zinch's most powerful greater demons, but he knows so much. So whoever knows his true and proper name, you know, you can control that demon. Yeah, it's you know it's that whole. I mean, that's been around for a long time. You know, you know a thing's proper name, you can control it. Uh, for him to know his own name after it was broken up to get his name back would be how he could get free. But anyone who would be there when it happened and, and get the full name would be able to control him, which is exactly what's happening. There's a uh, what do you call it? One of the um, uh, what do you call those guys? The uh, the gaunt summoners. Oh yeah, is there? And the Watcher King. Yeah, the Watcher King, and he's been basically sitting there. <laughs> there's been there's been eight of these things. He's just waiting for the ninth. Once that comes, he's got it. You know. Um, now the Stormcast are uh, they? You know they set it free. And what have I got here? Uh, let's see. Oh, yeah, here comes the sigil. The sigil winged through the void, burning through the barrier of time that surrounded the Undervault. In a matter of days, Cathanus would learn his true name and thereby reclaim his power. Not only would a great evil be released, but one with knowledge torn from the mortal realms, the realm of chaos, and the void besides. One who claimed Cathanus as an ally would have all the knowledge he needed to unlock the secrets of the mortal realms and thereby ensure their conquest. So, yeah, dude, he, you need this guy. And um, so let's see what happens. So Sigmar sees that this that this last sigil had been broken free. And he's like, Vandis, you grab a bunch of Stormcast, get down there. So boom, they pop down there. They show up. This place is wonky. It's crazy. They're fighting demons. They're fighting the human servants of Zinch. Um. Then the, the 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 guy pulls a cool bit of magic here. Uh, he the the gaunt summoner's up on the on the top of this you know his little place that he's working from, and uh, Ionis Cripborn sees him up there and he points up to him and he's like up there. And Vandis looks and he's like stop him. And Ionis Cripborn he looks at at, at Ionis Cripborn he just pulls a little you know wiggling the fingers and stuff like this. And Ionis Cripborn is like stuck. He's frozen. Just frozen. And he gets like, you know, his mind or something gets sucked into this other realm. Um, and then Vandis goes to try to save him, and he gets sucked into the other realm. And he was just there a couple of, like, a, a minute or two later, right? Mm-hmm. And then he gets there, and he goes in, and he's looking around, and he sees this storm cast. He goes over to him, and he's like, is that you, Ionis? And he turns around, and he's, like, ancient. He's, like, aged, like hundreds of years like and since he's been there like time is just totally not working there like it like this whole place and so he's been stuck in there all this time and uh you know vandis is, is getting older too 
But then, of course, he calls on the power of Sigmar and all that stuff, and it, it reverses all of it, and he becomes youthful again, and he saves Ionis, and then all of a sudden, boom, they're back in the battle, and like two seconds have passed. And it's like, it was, it, I, I'm not describing it as cool as it sounded in the book, but it was a neat little piece of magic, a way for him to like slowly torture and drive them crazy and kill them um, without actually ever coming near them. I thought it was kind of neat. It's like uh, Inception. Yeah, basically, yeah, like in Inception when they're in there yeah, and those some of the guys really old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. That's exactly what it was like. Uh, good call. Um, let's see. So they get back into the fight and they're kicking everyone's butt, and they're getting over to the temple. The Gaunt Summoner's like, "Oh boy, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm done. Like they're beating all my guys." So he opens up another realm gate and starts letting demons through. And the Stormcaster fighting these guys. And now he's really getting desperate because everything he's throwing at the Stormcaster are beating. So he opens up the door and he calls Scarbrand. And at first I didn't realize what was going on here because he feels the he hears the giant roaring and feels all this rage. And suddenly his eyes start bleeding and he just starts attacking everybody. And I'm like, what's going on here? Uh, I thought this was cool. There's a roar, a wave of fury. The Watcher King goes nuts. He stabs one of the prosecutors in the in the back, <laughs> and he keeps attacking. And then it's not until somebody shoots him with an arrow, and his arrow like goes into him and like down through his chest, and all of a sudden, all that pain brings his mind back. And he looks around and goes, "What am I doing? Like what?" And then he realizes, "Uh oh, I don't know why, but Scarbrand's not coming." And I was like, oh, yeah. So not only is Scarbrand not coming, but when he summoned him, Scarbrand got really angry and roared at him. And Scarbrand's own fury, like, imbued this guy with with Scarbrand's fury. And the Gaunt Summoner lost it and went beast mode and just started attacking everything around him like like a rabid Gaunt Summoner. I thought this was really cool. <laughs> yeah, I like how pretty much nothing is immune to, like, uh, Scarbrand's rage. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, this is a gaunt summoner here, like a super magical, super slick, clever being. And he just gets hit with that roar and goes crazy. And then he realizes Scarbrand. And he doesn't know why Scarbrand's not coming. We know why Scarbrand's not coming because he's not chained up. There's, there's no, no one's got control over him. So now he's summoning him and it's not working. So now he's really nervous. He's like, uh oh, nobody's coming to help me. So uh, this is great. This is where um, now he's like, I got to go. So he, he, he's, he tries to take off, and there's a great little bit here. Hold on. Um, is it the, in the box? On page 196? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he's starting to panic, and he, he, he can't leave because he needs to know this thing's name. So they're all fighting down there. They're fighting the demons he's called up. He goes out of the realm gate. He's on top of Mount Cronus. He looks up at the thing. Um, now, the last of the magical sigils that would give the true name was coming through, but it's not there yet. But so close, maybe it'll give him the answers. Like, it's not there yet, but maybe it'll tell him what he wants to know. So, and okay, this is the this is a weird question. Like I didn't see this question coming from anywhere. Um, but he wants to know if you can bind Archaon to your will. 
Like well, our, I feel like all, all the Gaunt summoners hate him. Yeah, they might. I mean, dude, who really loves him? I mean, he's not nice. But yeah. I just, I mean, I didn't think of, can I make him do what I want to do? Like, I would, is there a way to kill him? Is there a way to stop him? Is there a way to bind him to my will? Like, I just, I, I didn't see this question coming. Like, of all the things you could ask him, I wasn't expecting this one. And, uh, and he goes, and I love this. He says that, yes, he can. In truth, he was corrupted long ago. And uh, so he, so how, you know, what is, he, what is he hiding? And he basically says, you know, he used to be a good guy. And he, you know, he was, uh, that was the name he used when he was a good guy. And, uh, you know, if you know that name and he goes, wait a minute. So if they turn him into a demon and I know that name, I could make him do what I want. And he goes, yeah, but if you learn it, you're a dead man. And, uh, <laughs> and he tells him the name and he tells him the name and he knows the name and he says it to him right as Archeon shows up. Like, of course. Yeah, of course he does. Because once again, this is back to that whole, I'll tell you the truth, but only in a way that benefits me. Why should I let Archeon be under your control, little man? <laughs> so he tells him his name and Archeon shows up and is like, oh, now that Archeon knows you know his true name, you think he's going to let you live? Not not a chance. Um. I really liked this little part, though, because even in this, there's a mention that uh, that the, the, his old name, it burns like it burns with injustice. His bur- name burns with injured pride. It burns so fiercely he could be turned against the gods once more. Oh, I think it's interesting, too, that they're making. I mean, it's like a big mystery to them. But if you read any of the uh, like his name wasn't a, a secret in the old lore. Was I mean? Do we know what name. it was? I mean, did anybody know? I mean, nobody yeah. ever said it though. What was it? Like I remember reading stuff. Now oh, I didn't. I didn't read the Storm of Chaos books back then. I had just gotten into Warhammer after that ended. But I know in the end time stuff they mentioned you used to be a guy, you used to be a good guy, but nobody actually said his name. Yeah, it's Diedrich Kastner. But really? Okay, where was that from? Was that, I just missed that? Was that in the end times? Uh, they, I think it was just in like all the old lore about him, and then also uh, Rob Sanders did a two-part series on him, like basically on how Archeon became Archeon. Oh, okay. And so yeah, Diedrich Kastner, he was a uh, a Knight Templar of Sigmar. Oh, was that those two books that they came out yeah. with right before the end of the end times? I have them both. I never got a chance to read them. Okay, so yeah, yeah I've okay. only read the first one so far, but yeah, it's his name was Diedrich Kastner, and he was a, a Templar. He was a Knight Templar of Sigmar, and then. Uh, Chaos kind of picked him to be the ever chosen, and it was against. Well, by Chaos and Bellacor picked him to be the ever chosen. Okay, and it was uh, against his will, but he kind of he kept denying it. Like he was supposed to be the prophecy, he was the ever chosen. All the prophecies, like stuff, pointing to being him. He didn't want to believe it, and he kept crying out to Sigmar for help, and no one helped him. And eventually, he gave in to it. Oh, so he blamed like, Sigmar for going bad because he didn't want to. Yeah, he didn't want to, and Sigmar wouldn't help him. And eventually, he's like, "Well, if I'm gonna, supposed to be the ever chosen, then I'm going to be I'm the ever chosen, best ever chosen there ever was." Because he is awesome. Like even in this yeah. book, there they give a they give a recap of his. Uh, in fact, it's the next page here. They talk about how awesome he is, and it's like 
uh, you know, you don't realize how hard what this guy did was. I mean, yes, he went through all the trials of all of them, but just to stand up to the gods of chaos for as long as he didn't say, listen, I'm, I will help all of you, but I'm not going to serve any one of you. Like, I will serve chaos in general, but I won't be beholden to any one of you. And so they all try to take him out. He beats all of their tests, you know, and so nobody wants to take him out because everyone wants to use him. Um, and everyone's glad that he's not going to serve any of the others. I mean, he's just, he's incredible. Yeah, he destroyed an entire world, and all he had back then was a horse. Well, uh, it was the same demon. It was just, you know, yeah. it fit the world. But uh, I just love that. He did this thousands of years. He, you know, wandered. He was around, you know, for all this time doing all of these things. His, he managed to keep his sanity for the most part. You know, he... Uh, he does all this, you know, yeah, he, he wrought the ruin of the world that birthed him, shattering it forever in contempt of his weakness. Um, and he just, I mean, he just kills everything. And uh, I wonder, I wonder if they're going to do anything with that in the story. I really hope they do. It would be really interesting to see. Some sort of, I don't know, not like a redemption with Archeon, but kind of like a uh, well, a either, wavering in his belief. Yeah. Well, and either to have him, you know, I don't know. I mean, you could pull a Darth Vader with him. You totally could. Or or to, to see him flip sides would be even crazier. Um, you know, lose a lot of his powers, but flip sides. Um, there's all sorts of things you could do with this story. Just the the hint that there's that back there, and the fact that he hates Sigmar so much, and Sigmar's out there that he wants him so bad. Um, but it's just it's it's really weird. It added a little dimension to the character that I didn't know before. Now, granted, like you said, I didn't read those two books, which I probably should have. Um, yeah, they're really. I mean, I've only read the first one so far, but they're really good. <laughs> yeah, I recommend it. Uh, I just, I really, I thought this was really cool that, you know, it just, it added a level to him that he wasn't just another guy out there looking to become, cause so many of these guys just are out there, you know, wanting to become the bad guy, you know, wanting to become the tough guy. And here was a guy who was a good guy and didn't want this. And that's all, you know, that's kind of all I knew. But yeah, I think my favorite thing about Archeon, they really like drove this point home in the end, end times, and they haven't hit on it so much yet in Age of Sigmar, but I, I don't think they've abandoned it. Is that, yeah, he's not a bad guy. He's like a, a, a nihilist. He doesn't want to destroy good. He just wants to destroy everything. He hates everything. He hates the gods. He hates the chaos gods. He hates being beholden to anyone he doesn't want to answer to anyone he's pretty much just if he could destroy everything again he would he's got a chaotic evil sort of like he just yeah uh, he doesn't yeah it's he's just destroying for the sake of destruction at this point he just wants to watch it all burn pretty much yeah i mean that's just that's anger there's a lot of rage in there that's just like so much hate yeah, I'm, I'm really hoping at some point in this story, and hopefully not like too far down the line, like several years down the line or whatever, but we get to see him and Sigmar confront each other again. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be cool, wouldn't it? Because they've got so much of this story going on here, so much of this stuff happening, and I'm just like, oh, I uh, I think that would be really interesting to see something in here of that. That's really what's sort of grabbing uh, my attention. But you know what? Let's um, let's take a break because we've been going forever now. Wow, I said we've only gone 20 minutes. Now we've gone an hour. See, this is what I do. I forget, <laughs> and I forget to take a break. Let's take a break. This show is going on forever, but I'm really having fun chatting with you about this, so I really don't care. Um, and when we come back, we'll wrap this up. Uh, we'll give our final thoughts, and uh, we'll close out the show uh, and get ready for me to start recording God Beast. So we'll be back. folks it's dave are you looking for that special model to add to your army a monstrous creature or maybe a character model something unusual that not everybody else is fielding on their table well then you should check out mirce miniatures at mirceminiatures.com their darklands line is full of some of the most fantastic creature models you'll ever see and with the success of their recent kickstarter those models will be perfect for you to play in their forthcoming Darklands game. So whether you're looking for a new skirmish level game to play with lots of cool monstrous creatures, or you're just looking for that extra special model to add to your existing games line, Mierce Miniatures is really worth your time. Check them out at Mierce-Miniatures.com and seriously guys, you'll be glad you did. Okay, and we're back to wrap this up. Let's wrap up the absolute carnage here. Um, okay, wow. So, um, Archeon is not happy. He shows up and he's, you know, it's funny. The fact that this guy knows his name is like the least bit of concern to him at this point because this guy's a dead man. It doesn't even matter. Uh, Archeon's more offended that this gaunt summoner would try to be there to take control of Kiathanus. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, because Kiathanus is his. And that's exactly what it is. He's just looking at him, he's like, dude, I'm it. Uh, I'm the one that's taking him here. And so he's mad. So Archeon shows up. Archeon shows up hundreds of Varengard. Just hundreds of them go down. So that battle is just raging. And he hasn't even come through the gates yet. He hasn't even come through the gates. He's just sending out his Varengard left and right. Um, and he looks down at all the... I love it. He looks down at all the uh, the Stormcast Eternals. And ultimately, those shining armies were of little significance here. Mere demon fodder in the greater scheme. He just came out near the mountain's peak... Wait there, and then uh, gonna go and, and find out what's going on, and um, this is where Archeon is calling him. You know, he's like, "You're gonna, you're gonna challenge me." This is what you're gonna do. He's like, "Oh no, no, I was doing this for you." And he's like, "Yeah, whatever." Uh, Archeon didn't know where this thing was. In fact, Archeon has been looking for this place for a long time. Uh, he knew it had to be around here somewhere. 
again, another thing that Zinch has wanted this this realm for his own for a long time, so it's got to be around here somewhere. This is where he would put it. Um, but he basically sat around waiting for it, and um, what did he say? He said, uh, oh, what was it? Which part? Oh, I'm just trying to say what he told, what he said to him, um, or basically how he knew it was, uh, how he knew it was there. It was basically that uh, he has his own, uh, uh, he has, you know, he's got servants everywhere. In fact, isn't he in charge of? Uh, didn't he put? Didn't Corn uh, put him in charge of Scarbrand for a while? Yeah, is him. Uh, Archeon is the only other person besides Corn who has access to Scarbrand. Right. So as this guy's calling forth all these different demons here to protect him, uh, so that he can do this work, Archeon gets wind of that. That's what it was. He's hid there all this time, and he's been hiding there quietly. And uh, he thought he was going to get away with summoning him uh, when the chips were down, and he started calling all these demons to himself. And then he called Scarbrand. That tipped off Archeon. And so Archeon's like, there it is, and just goes in with everything he's got on hand. Oh, and then, the, oh, and the artwork, man. Page 203. Yeah. This looks. You know what is, is really scary is there are. I've seen pictures like this of like God coming out of heaven with the heavenly host riding out, except it's yep. Archeon with the Varengard. I'm like, oh, that's a, that's a scary uh, reverse image there. I like how the Varengard are like flying through the sky. Yeah, just yeah, coming right down on their steeds, just flying down next to Archeon, through this through this huge tear above them in the sky. Um, and basically. The next few pages of story, it's 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 more it's carnage. He's chasing the gaunt summoner who is just running full bore and just releasing every de- just opening up, opening up whole portals and summoning forth demons. Who <laughs> these demons are coming out? It's great. They come out and before they know what's going on, like this whole wall of Varengard is just running through them. It's like pink horrors come out, crump blue horrors, crump nothing. <laughs> Oh, it's just terrible. And uh, basically, eventually, um, this is the part where, as they're running and running and running, um, eventually, uh, Archeon grabs him. And uh, that's it. He's, just, he's got him, and he, it's time for torture. That guy's, do- that guy's done. In fact, that guy tries to... Uh, tries to get him and he says prepare for an immortality of pain he's the it's he's he's toast yeah you can't escape Archeon no in fact it's great because Archeon just keeps getting closer and closer and reaching out for him and he keeps just you know like he keeps serpentining in front of him on his disc as picture this is like a, a the escape video game level you know exactly and uh, finally, Arkan just reaches out and grabs him by the back of his neck and pulls him back and then puts his fingers around his throat so he can't say any more magical stuff. And he's like, that's it. You're toast. And he just tells him, he's like, I'm, uh, I've had it with you, little boy. Let's go. Um, they get another battle plan in here, which is, a, which is it's kind of a cool battle plan because it's, it's a battle plan that doesn't have any fighting if you're the guy who's running. Yep. You pay. You have two generals. One has to run, and you set up the realm of battle board in like uh, it's like a weird Tetris piece shape. Like it's like a stair. Yeah, it's like a staircase. You start off with the one board, 
And this one actually has, yeah, so you start off with the one board, and then you put the next board to its left, and then you put the next board above that one, and you put the next board to the left of that, and then above that, and then to the left of that. So it's like a, a bit of an elongated Tetris piece. And uh, basically the one guy's got to run, and you can actually choose while you're running, <laughs> trying to get from one end gate, one realm gate to the escape point. Uh, you can choose to not attack during the shooting or the uh, battle phases, which gives you bonuses to your uh, your defense. So that way you can that way you can just keep running. Uh, if you do that, you can't you can't fight at all, but you can just keep running. So it's like it'll help you live longer. And the object, if you're the guy chasing him, is to obviously kill the guy who's running. Um, yeah, I really like. <clears throat> just the idea of this, like I said, it feels like a video game to me. I really like it. Yeah, it, yeah, it did. It did. It absolutely seemed like a video game. Um, the time of war for Mount Kronos is crazy. Um, this time of war plan is ridiculous. It would totally <laughs> be fun. Like you could never put this in a tournament. Okay. Um, this reminded me of Storm of Magic in a lot of ways. Um, I never got to play any Storm of Magic games. Uh, Storm of Magic, I mean, if you if you realize that the... It, it's kind of like when you went from 8th to AOS. If you realize that the point of the game was different, and, yeah. you, knew, and you knew so you had to play differently, it was fun. Uh, but most of the time people played it like just a modified regular game, in which case it wasn't as much fun because you just kept punching each other in the face. Um, but this, you get all these weird stuff. Anytime you get near, uh, you know, a realm, uh, an oculum or a dragon fate deus, um, the, you know, these things get messed up. You can either move faster or you move slower. Um, any unit within 10 inches of a realm gate rolls a dice and, they can have anything from not being able to move until your next movement phase to doubling your distance you can move to uh, attacking twice in the shooting phase, pile in and attacking twice in the combat phase, uh, declare a charge and double the distance rolled, then uh, you can charge up to 24-inch charge declared. Um, then no, the, the last one's the best one. Reroll any and all dice until the end of the turn. <laughs> because time repeats. So you went through the whole battle and then suddenly time did a flip-flop and you wound up standing there before the battle happened with full knowledge. So <laughs> so you knew exactly what happened. So you get a chance to re-roll all your dice. I mean, it, it can totally set a game completely out of whack. But you know what I would like to play this with? Huh? Bring all your models. Yeah. Yeah, you have to go into this game. Like I said, it's not to win; it's just to play the exactly play the scenario. This is almost like an apocalypse setting, you know. Though, like, just bring everything. Like, bring all of your stormcast. I'll bring all of my, uh, you know, other army, and or bring all of you know, and just because stuff's gonna die, stuff's not gonna work, stuff's gonna go crazy. So just fill up the table and just have at it, and it might be really cool then. Um, that's that's what that's the type of thing that I think this battle would be would be great for. Um, 
but I suppose you should get back to the story. I definitely want to play this one, though. Like, that's the thing about this. I don't play enough games to get to play all these scenarios out. I wish oh, I could I play more. <laughs> that's the thing. I do more of the reading and the covering the stories and, and the hobbying than I do the playing, which it, 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 is, what I, it is what it is. I got three little kids at home. I, I got to deal with them and do that stuff, and so I don't have time to go out and play games. Um, but, God, I love this stuff. Like, it's really cool, you know? <laughs> Um. Okay, so let's get back to the the last battle here, the Battle of Cronus Peak. So Archeon gets the final piece of the name, and okay, the sigil comes down, and Archeon then reached out to pluck the diminishing sigil from his steed's warp flame, sliding the twisted thing onto his wrist and taking it for his own, and in doing so, claiming Cathanus's true name forever. So he turned it into a wristlet. <laughs> I like, guess like a bracelet like that's that's what he did like so maybe like uh, one of those snap bracelets from the 90s yeah so he has the last piece of his name and he's the only one who has it or something like that I don't know how he just having the last piece makes it work but the other pieces are there so now Archaon controls this thing now okay that's bad that's really bad like based on everything we just said this guy has the secret to destroy every single realm except Sigmar's Including apparently the realms of chaos. Yeah, which you'd which probably want to do. Which I think would be cool um, to see Archeon turn against everything. Um, it would be nice to see a, a game where uh, the end, uh, you, you, where ultimately your enemy is completely undefeatable and will kill you eventually in the end, as happened in the last game we used to play, if you remember. Um, having someone who might be able to stop that would be a cool thing. You know what I'm saying? That's just me though. I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I've never was into the defeatist toll. You know, you're doomed no matter what type of thing. Never uh, appealed to me. Um, I don't know what you think about it, but I just think it's cool that he actually, it's like, Oh no, he can destroy all the realms. Yes, but he actually, they said it, it was the realm to conquer all the realms, including the void and chaos. I wonder what conquering the void would entail. Exactly. Like, dude, there's a story here that, I mean, and I, I, I'm assuming they know what they're doing. They're writing these stories. I'm assuming they have stuff planned out. I mean, heck, look, they planned out that whole Horus Heresy thing. I would love to see something coming to that sort of a, a level, you know? That would be really cool. Yeah, yeah. Um. So let's see. Oh, and so now he's got it, and Vandus sees this and just screams out because he sees RK on there, and it's like he's terrified. His his visions are there in front of him. You know, the vision has got him scared. The fact that Archeon just got this thing that they were sent to stop, I mean, he knows what's going on, and he just totally kind of forgets himself and just screams out, no, you know? Um and I, I love this part because uh, this is um, with, with, uh, the you know the stormcaster coming out here, and when he screams out, all of the demons that were more focused on getting the gaunt summoner than the stormcast that were pouring out of the gate, that you know the backup plan here, they all notice them and are about to attack, and and Archeon yells out, "Welcome!" and they all stop. And I just like what? 
Yeah, I like this little their exchange of words here. Yeah, because he looks over at him and he looks at him and he can see what's going on. And he's like, this guy is actually the one guy in this whole place that's worth fighting. And, and you know, he's like, and uh, you know what? I didn't come here for this. And at first he looks and he thought he had Galmaraz. He's like, no, but he knows that he has held Galmaraz before, which is kind of weird. Like, Arkan can look at you and can tell these things because of that, his helmet, you know? Mm-hmm. So he knows this guy has held Galmaraz before, so he must be a worthy opponent in that. And it's, it's just, he decides to have, as it quotes in here, quote, he would have a little fun before he would go and start destroying everything. You know, like, before I start out a conquest of Seven Realms, the Void, and the Chaos Realms, I'll have a little fun. So he points at him, he says, you on the half-dragon, what do you call yourself? Just, what? Just the deep Archeon voice. The dark, the Archeon is bad. You on the half-dragon, what do you call your? you know, that deep voice going on? And of course... Did you, uh, did you read the uh, uh, Call of Archeon book yet? Uh, which one was that? It's the one with like all the chaos short stories in it. No, no, I haven't been able to get to most of these books, man. I've been uh-huh. like, with school. I haven't gotten through most of it. Why? What's up with that one? It was just one where he gives like a, Archeon gives a speech in one part of it. And ever since then, I always picture Archeon's voice as being, uh, this, uh, uh, Christopher Lee. Really? Saruman. Yeah. That's a, I just always picture Saruman's voice now. That's what I hear. Oh, that's that's much better than him being the. I just always thought of him being roar, 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 you know, yeah, big super tough guy. But being Saruman would be even better. That was not a good Saruman. I know. <laughs> I was just trying to get my richest tone because you know Christopher Lee had that them dulcet tones. Um, and of course, you know he's not going to tell him his name. Come and find out, coward! It's like really. And I love this part. Archeon shook his head. No respect. He muttered. Kneeing his steed in a sharp dive. Dorgar, you shall dine well tonight. So, oh no, Dorgar's going to eat him. So the vision is happening. But I like that. No respect. Like, you yeah. know, like And in I, that one scene, he sounds like Rodney Dangerfield. Well, you know, it's like, you know, I'm Archaon. Like, you got to <laughs> know who I am. And you're going to call me names. It's, really? Really? I mean, you don't have to answer, but you're just going to sit there and like, really? <laughs> I just, I just picture him shaking his head like, man, you know, I'm freaking Archeon. Is that, is this really what you're gonna call? You're gonna do? Um. So now you get this battle going on, and uh, I mean, he's got no chance against Archeon. He's got no chance. Archeon doesn't even really fight him. He just lets Dorgar beat the crap out of him. Yeah, he's kind of toys with him the whole time. Yeah. I mean, Dorgar goes and, and he whoops Vandis, he whoops Kalinax, and then they shove him off this this cliff where they would have fallen to their death, death, except gravity here is playing, you know, playing games because this is the realm, and gravity here is reversed. So they go, they fall into the pit halfway down, and then they go flying back up. And this is when, uh, as they're flying back up, um, Kalinax, like, you know, rips into the side of uh, um, Dorgar. Dor- yeah, of Dorgar, and they flipping around, and that's all of a sudden. Vandis is like, "Oh, taste Sigmar's wrath," you know, and, <laughs> you know, and he pulls out the thing and uh, or face the vengeance of Sigmar or something like that, and he's bringing the hammer. 
He's going to smash Arkan in the head. And I'm like, oh, maybe someone will get a little shot in. And Arkan is just like, ah, whatever. And just like cuts him in half with the sword. Just cuts him in, you know. Uh, it goes right through the armor, punctures his chest, his lungs, and his spine, and then rips it up. And he comes apart in an explosion of torn flesh. Um, okay, here's the problem. Here's what gets really crazy, though, is he gets all torn up, right? Uh-huh. And it says how, there's a whole description here, which is crazy. Um, the, hello? The, uh, yeah, hello? Hey, sorry, lost it there for oh, a second. Oh, okay. Um, it says that, uh, you know, instead of turning into that big lightning bolt and flashing away, which is what you kind of expect, um, he reaches into the lightning that poured slowly from his insubstantial corpse, and maybe the lightning was supposed to go up and the gravity slowed it down or something like that. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But, like, he reaches out and, like, puts his fingers through him and starts playing with it. And then the energies that had once been had been Vandis vanished into the ether. And I'm like, oh, I really hope Vandis got away. No, he forgot to, and I said, pink sparks left wherever Archeon's touch threaded through the stuff of the Lord Celestine's soul. Yeah, pink sparks. So not only was he, he playing with it, but it was like affecting it somehow. Yeah, it was, yeah, it was just, it was really weird. And I'm just sitting there going, man, I hope Vandis got away. Like, <laughs> at this point, if, you know, you haven't read the rest of the books, you're just like, Oh boy, because he was—he thought he was going to get eaten by Dorgar, and he has those weird visions. And maybe you know it didn't come true exactly the way he saw it, because you know he didn't—you know—he didn't wind up getting killed by Korgos Cool either. But I was just like, oh no! Um, and he dissipates and goes away, and then uh, and then he looks over and he's like, oh well, he's gone. And then he looks over at Kalinax, who's laying over there wounded, and he pulls out Slayer Kings and cuts off Kalinax's head. And it's like, oh great. <laughs> and uh, and then all the hammers of Sigmar are like, oh, and so they're gonna fight because what else are they gonna do? And they die to a man, so they lose again. Every last one of them is slaughtered. Yep, the entire warrior chamber. Yeah, the entire. Ch- uh, um, and actually, it's great. Archeon isn't even gonna bother using the Slayer of Kings on lesser champions. He won't sully his weapon with the blood of lesser champions. So he just hurls beams of mutagenic fire into the ranks of those who would dare attack uh, anyone who got close enough to his Varengard to try to, to hit him. He would just throw fire at him. Uh, and over the next hour, every last one of them dies. And that's just, I'm like, oh, that's horrible. Um. So, uh, oh, Iona's Cryptborn is the last one to die. Good for him. Um, so, and then at the very end, it says the message of the defeated Stormcast Eternals carried with them was clear, and soon it echoed from every star that shone in Hyazir. Arcan was roused to war, and there was no force in the mortal realms that could stop him. I had to say, I was kind of surprised by that ending. I mean, I guess I didn't think Vandis was going to beat Archeon, but I didn't expect Archeon to just completely uh, destroy everything. And it wasn't just that he destroyed him. It was that he didn't... I mean, he like Bruce Lee'd him. (laughs) 
You know, yeah. like Bruce Lee goes through the whole movie, and if you hit him once, like you know, once or twice, like the boss, the 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 you know the the bo- the you know the 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 boss fight might hit him a couple times. Nobody else ever touches him, and in this, he didn't even get touched. He wasn't touched. Like he didn't even bother. Let's face it. He only did. He only swung that sword twice. Yep. He, he let Dorgar do most of it. Like, uh, you know what? I'm not going to bother with you. I'm going to let my demon mount take you out. And and had the reverse gravity not been in effect, he would have never even drawn his sword. Yeah. And he, he was falling over the edge. Yeah. And he wiped out everybody. It's brutal. It was brutal. Uh, it was kind of awesome, but it was brutal. Um, and then you get one last battle, and this is another one of these, uh, the endless hordes versus the tenacious defenders and basically set up. And if you're around at the end of round six, you get a major victory. If not, you're not, um, you can also get a major victory if you kill the general, if you're the defender. So if the defender kills the general, or if any of them are still alive at the end of turn six, they get a major victory. Um, otherwise, not. And I don't need to say much more about that scenario. Um, and then we get a little nice surprise ending here. At like after I'm flipping through it, and there's like really great pictures of of Archeon and all of his Varengard, and some really great more artwork. And then you get this last page, and there's a. Uh, what is it? A knight venator, you know, one yep. of the one knight of the venator. one of the character, one of the flying characters with the with the with the with the hawk, with it, and uh, it's uh, it's Torglug. Except, Except he's, now he's Tornus, right? Yes, and th- this is a great little read here, and I don't want to read through the whole thing. I may actually use it as part of one of the dramatic readings, so I'm not going to read the whole thing here, but. It's a it's a great bit here at the end because it just talks about how he he wakes up and first of all he wakes up and he still thinks he's on the battlefield. He's like reaching for his head where it was smashed in and stuff. And it's like for the first time that he's he's been he's been purified. There's no his guts aren't hanging out, there's no boils, there's no pus, there's no pain. Like all of that is gone. And it's like he kind of remembers who he was before Nurgle took him over and like he's ashamed of what he was ashamed of what he did he hates Nurgle for doing it to him and it's like now he's got a chance to prove that he was you know that he's a good guy and he's got a chance to make Nurgle pay for all the stuff he did to him and I'm like oh that's so good like I'm like like, this is this is so good like the picture in here is awesome yeah, with all the like the the like all the like the the priest, guys, yeah, the wizard things, and uh, you know you got the little griff hound next to the priest, and then uh, and then <laughs> there he is, just sort of reforming, and I'm like, oh, this is beautiful. This was great, a, a fantastic end of the book. Yeah, it really is. I do like how the anvil of apotheosis is literally an anvil. Yes, it is a. G- it is a giant anvil, and uh, <laughs> with Sigmar's writings all over it. Um, 
but no, it's this is great. I loved this book. I really did. Um, with the exception of the really confusing realm and the last part, this book was great. Um, for anyone who's thinking of picking it up, um, you know, I mean, it's got all these, you know, it's got a lot of the war scrolls in the back, but obviously you can get any of these for free in the app. So there's nothing really special here. There's a bunch of uh, war scroll battalions. I thought some of the battalions were cool, especially like I guess this very first one here is uh, Torglug's Foul Blessed. Okay. And what I liked about that is it just uh, it, if you take the so to one Lord of Plagues and three units of Putrid Blight Kings, right? Then basically it gives you additional rules to essentially make that Lord of Plagues Torglug. So it's kind of like making a special character. And they do yeah. that again with the Lady of the Vines and also with Laura Scrim. Yeah, it's kind of cool because it does put Torglug in parentheses after the thing. Uh, reroll failed wound rolls for him and add one to the damage to his weapons. Um, and he heals two wounds in each hero phase instead of one. So you get that for him. And his bodyguard, the Putrid Blight Kings, get a bonus too. Um, they can reroll saves of one for units while they're within seven inches of him, and they don't take battle shock tests while Torglug is visible to them. And being visible on the battlefield, it I mean, that's not a hard thing to do. Nope. So, yeah, I mean, that actually, if you're going to bring a, a Lord of Plagues and three units of Blight Kings, I think that's a pretty decent uh, war scroll. Yeah, I really liked all the battalions in this one, actually. They're yeah. really cool. They, pretty much all of them are centered around characters, which I like since it's supposed to be about the story, the yeah, narrative. That's the, oh, that's true. Because so. you got the next one, you, you said Alarial's guard is one branch wraith who is literally the Lady of the Vines. Yep. Um, and Lord Grim is the next one. Yeah, one Lord Castellant who is Grim. Yeah. And then the next one, one Grimwrath Berserker who's Arnguard. And one Battlesmith Turgon. Um, the only one that's not is the the Skaven, uh, yeah. the Skulkers of Runestruck Pass. It's just a, a group. Um, Neferata's Blood Court is Neferata, a vampire lord on zombie who's Lord Harkton, uh, her handmaidens and her bodyguards. Uh, let's see. Uh, Lassillian's Wanton Horde. So the Lord of Slanesh on a demonic mount, which is the snake, the you know the the weird snake demon. That's Lord Lassillian. And you've got his 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 units. This is really kind of cool. Yeah, that was a really creative way around of them getting around the fact that they don't. I mean, I guess they started to again with the Sylvaneth books, but they weren't really making special characters anymore. Well, even with the Sylvaneth book, they made two, and one of yeah. them is Alarial. Like, you, I mean, you're not going to not make Alarial. There are special characters in some of these books, you know, Alarial and making Drica. Okay, so you've got two. Um, but then they've, you know, the rest of them, they, they made Sons of Durthu. So you took the Durthu special model and made him generic so you could buy 50 of them. You know, so they genericized most of it. But yeah, this is really a cool way of doing this. I haven't, I didn't notice this. Um, yeah, the Knights of Zeros is Diamar, and then the Watcher King's Horde is the Summoner of Zinch and any nine Zinch demon units. But he gets to be the Watcher King. That is kind of cool. I like that. I'd spend some time going through these War Scroll Battalions, but we've spent five hours going through this book. Literally, I think we've spent five hours. Yeah, yeah, that sounds about right. 
and and and, and I want to thank you. Now that we're done with this, um, uh, for those of you who don't know, we've recorded this over three sessions. Uh, Tyler has spent two of his lunch breaks in his car. You might have heard honking. It's, it's actually four sessions with three lunch breaks. Oh, it's three lunch breaks, and then this evening, um, just getting in and recording and. We really kind of plan to just kind of go through it and talk about it, but then, of course, we're getting sidetracked. But that's honestly where the fun from these discussions comes from, I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm sitting here. I'm trying to talk. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm not asking for you to be like, oh, Dave, your show's great. But I know, <laughs> you know, but here's the thing. Like, when I try to speed through it, then you're just speeding through it and it's like what's the point point? and I do want to kind of talk about everything and I think that the show is most fun when we just sit around and talk about what we like about it and we bring up other you know references from other stories and other things because this story is really pretty rich I mean you know it does reach back into some of the old Warhammer stuff and it does reach into some of these other stories I mean you know this is only what the second of those of the four campaign books but there's all these other black library books and all these uh you know the 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 battle tomes come out and all of this fluff is uh, there's so much of it and it really is you know and it, the funny thing is is the more i'm reading the more i realize this really is a continuation of the old story like yes that world was destroyed and yes this is very different but this still it, the main movers and shakers are the people from there and it might not be the same place, but it's still part of this same story and the same battle. And the things that had affected stuff over there have been dr- dragged into this. So, you know, I like sitting around talking about it. So that's, I mean, I don't, you know, it's my show. I'm going to talk for five hours. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care who's going to, I don't have anybody to stop me anymore. So that's what it is. And uh, probably next episode, uh, going to be covering God Beasts. Um, that's the plan, at least. And then, uh, depending on what's going on, maybe get into all gates because I want to kind of wrap up this this age of uh, the Realm Gate Wars. Realm Gate Wars, Age of Silver Realm Gate Wars, before the next thing starts coming out, because you know it's going to be soon. Yeah, I'll be interested to see what the next one is. I wonder if it's going to be the Slanesh stuff. They keep hinting at it. I mean, maybe. Um, I don't know. But they just, I mean, they just, I mean. I think, honestly, I think the next thing will be establishing a lot of the Order factions. Because we just had, really, we've had Stormcast and Fire Slayers, and now Sylvaneth. But the whole point of this season of war is that they're establishing cities. So once, and they've, uh, We've also got Seraphon. Yeah, Seraphon. Yeah, but then in, uh, those are all invading armies, kind of. But who's the, You know, the Fire Slayers being... There's, well, there's the, the realms Steam of Hedwarden. men, the realms yeah. of men, the the steel, steam Hedwarden, and and the elves. Yep, or, and maybe something new that and, we can't even think of. Yeah, well, that's true, but we know I that mean, the elves are all out, or the ones that we've heard about have all taken off chasing after. You know, they've chained up Slanesh, and if Slanesh is getting hunted for, who's going to go and try to stop those people? The elves. Yeah. You know, that's uh, that's that's all I'm thinking is that that's, uh, you know, like. Half of the the order race that we haven't seen yet is involved with heavily with Slanesh. That's what. That's why it's my guess. That's the only reason it's my guess. So, 
Well, or Zinch. Zinch is also building up to be a very big player over the course of these books. Yes. He's constantly, yeah, doing all these manipulations. Korn's been ascendant for a long time. I'd like to see someone else take take the take the lead. I mean it's I mean well it even says Korn is ascendant most of the time because it's easy to be ascendant when everything that dies fuels your fuels your 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 rage everything that dies violently fuels your your power and your rage you know yeah um i don't know i just i really i'm excited i'm just excited and i like talking about these things and we're going to talk about uh more of it later but i think we're done for now so folks um while you're hearing this the you know the 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 worldwide campaign is going on get your games in uh, get your games in and and get to uh, get them recorded. I think at the moment, I think Death is in the lead, isn't it? Uh, let me check. At least when Let's I was recording in. this. Season of War. Let's see. Some great uh, radio here as I wait for this to load. <laughs> and uh, uh, next time, well, by the next time we record, no. if I haven't actually done it and mentioned it, then it'll be on the next show, but... Uh, Oh, did I tell you the uh, my little one day event? Now, granted, UGG is kind of small. We can only, you know, we can only have twelve people, but it is uh, it's full, and we've got a waiting list going right now, and there are people on the waiting list. So, I'm super excited that we are we are full up and going to have a full a full. Uh, not only are we going to have a, a full store playing, but uh, Steve Herner was generous enough to agree to um to bring his his tables like his six of his tables uh to to set up as the tables we're going to play on so we're going to be playing on really nice looking tables alex is bringing the terrain um and we're going to get that all set up so it's going to look nice people are bringing their armies it's going to be a fun time we've got lots of prizes um I'm, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. So, did you find that yet? Yep, yeah. Order's winning. Order's Every city, winning. It's got pretty much, uh, and you look at the breakdown of it for each city. And Order if someone's has looking for this, where can they find it? Seasonofwar.games-workshop.com Okay. Seasonofwar.com games-workshop.com there you go folks I even said it slow so you can type <laughs> it in as I say it you can see what's going on dude this is this is so cool I'm very excited about this I'm yeah. very excited I gotta get in my first game still yeah well and that's the nice thing with the tournament going on is we've got stuff going on so there's games that you, we can get in and, and start getting games in for that too if we can start recording them and don't what's forget the, uh... you can paint if you if you're logged in at your local game store, uh, you know buying and painting units for for the for you know for your for your particular alliance uh, can earn you points, which is awesome. So, what's the uh, where is UGG located? Oh, Unique Gifts and Games is in Gray's Lake, Illinois, on Center Street, and. Uh, it's um, unique gifts and games. Oh, there's no nothing logged there yet for the campaign. No, it hasn't been logged yet, and that's I, I. In fact, I needed to. 
I needed to talk to the to the owner, and we're gonna we're gonna make sure she gets everything logged in. Um, but I know we've got some games going, and people have to just have to get in and and uh, and and log their and log their games. And basically, that's what people are waiting for is to get in there and log everything in. So. Yeah, it looks like chaos and death are winning at the stores around me. I have to take my my stormcast in there. Yeah, I just think it's yeah. I mean, this is this website's pretty cool. You can log in, literally find your store and see what's been logged in and how your particular store is doing. Yep. I I can't wait to see what happens. I can't wait to see what happens. I mean, right now it's looking really order heavy, but as people look at this, then they you know, hey, if you're not playing order. Get, you know, go in there and get some games in and win some games and 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 tilt and you know sh- turn the tide back, um, because I'd like to see how this shakes out for the realm. Um, I mean, it's going to affect the whole story going on. That's just really cool. And we're only one weekend so far. Yeah, there's a lot of time left. It's what is it, three or four weeks? Four weeks, I think. Yeah. So I I, I expect this to change over over a few weeks. I, I don't expect it to just stay order for four weeks solid. So, no. All right. Well, Tyler, thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for coming on day after day and doing this and these little installments and getting all this done. Thank you for having me. And uh, I hope to uh, I hope to see you again at some tournament at some point. Uh, hopefully, yeah, we'll I'll... play two turns. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's have a rematch at uh, Adapticon this year. Yeah. Hey. No, that'll be. Yeah. I plan on being there. So. I think it'll be awesome. So, all right, folks, um, we'll be back with episode 149 um, as soon. Hopefully, by episode 150, I'll have all the stuff in for the music, and we'll have the new music going too as well. And I can, I can send out prizes to the winners. And folks, until next time, only the faithful will be triumphant. Only the faithful will stand when all others fall, and only the faithful know no despair except in failure. You've been listening to Garage Hammer. If you like the show, we invite you to join the Garage Hammer community by joining our forum at garagehammer.net slash forum or our Facebook page, Garage Hammer Podcast. You can also follow us on Twitter. Follow David at Garage Hammer and follow Chris at Topher Chris U. If you'd like to contact us, you can reach David through David at garagehammer.net. You can reach me, that's Chris, through Chris U at garagehammer.net. And you can reach both of us through garagehammer at live.com. If you want to help support Garage Hammer, check the support page or the show store on our website or leave us a positive review on iTunes. Until next time, thanks for listening. sudden gasp. Strong hands flew up to clutch at a shattered skull, finding only undamaged scalp. Sparks danced across eyes of deep jade green as the warrior gradually sat up. He looked down at his sculpted form, unblemished skin, and iron-hard muscles where once was suppurating, bubo-infested fat. The warrior felt a sense of relief so profound that he choked back a sob. With it came recollection, all the horrors that had been heaped upon him, all the horrors he had wrought himself. He felt the sharp stab of shame 
quickly eclipsed by a far stronger emotion. Anger. Rising from the ensorcelled altar where he had awoken, the warrior stood tall. As he did so, lightning leapt from his body, drawing in plates of sculpted armor to gird him for war. He felt no surprise, only fierce elation as crackling pinions of crystal and light spread majestically from his shoulders, and an ornate huntsman's bow appeared in his hand. The weapon felt good there, right in a way his monstrous axe never had. He knew not what miracle had given him this chance at redemption, but he was Torgal, the despised, no longer. He was reborn as Tornus, knight venerator of Sigmar's hosts. No longer was he Nurgle's slave. Instead, he was redeemed, a warrior of righteous vengeance. And he would make the plague god pay dearly for what he had endured.